everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 445. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we got another mid-90s show this week, and another um, show where we don't have any Monday Night Raw to talk about. Good. <laughs> and this is because of two reasons, basically, is that... Um, this is a six-day week that we're doing because it's piggybacking off of a uh, previous week that we did where we covered uh, February 8th through the 14th on a show we did last year on number 394. But there was no Raw that week because of Dog Show. And our show ends this week on Sunday. So we miss Raw altogether. So just one of those uh, situations we have sometimes. Mazel tov. Yes. Well, don't worry. Next week, we'll make up for all that. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> all right. So let's go to the week that was. Well, February... Why am I glad that we're getting the bulk of the remainder of the Patreon show done this week? <laughs> it worked out good in that way. Uh, the week that was February 15th through the 20th of 1994. And we start with the World Wrestling Federation. Marty Gennetti was let go for what has to be a record for the fifth time at the problems on the European tour. Janani and Razor Ramon were scheduled for a tag title match on Monday Night Raw's live airing on February 21st at Poughkeepsie, New York. On television over the weekend, they changed the match to Razor Ramon and Sparky Plug. But 1-2-3 Kid returned with a heavy knee brace and worked the match as Razor's partner instead. Razor gave Johnny Polo a Razor's edge on the floor and he was taken out. As Razor was about to give it to Pierre, Shawn Michaels interfered for the DQ, although it was a clumsy finish as the ref had to hold up before counting the three. Because Sean was slow on the run-in. Kid looked good in his first match back. Was mostly limping by the end of the match. So, yeah. And Dave actually talks about the Raw the, the night before. So, there you go. All right. Um, which, that match happened on Raw we just talked about anyway. So, there you go. But anyway, Marty Jannetty fired. Again. Um, the one thing that this dude could never complain about is not having chances. Yeah, because he he got chances from everybody to mm-hmm. to do right, and he always fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he got more chances than just about anyone else. Would you would you say that? I don't think there's even a just about to. Why do you think that was? Why do you think Mar- what what made Marty Jannetty, um the type of guy that people always wanted to give a shot to Vince's spot for Sean. I mean, maybe, but Marty and Sean weren't always on the greatest of terms. Yeah. And then, and WCW gave him two chances, which there's no Shawn Michaels in that equation. Wait, WCW gave him two chances. He worked there twice. Didn't he? Then he worked there once left and then came back with this new look. No, that was all the same run. That was all the same run. He had to be gone for a minute there, though. They're, they're, Not really. So he could get his new look. But anyway, I mean, still, you know, ECW brought him in. I mean, he he, he was in all kinds of places. Yeah. It is just interesting that he always got these opportunities. Well, also, whenever he shows up, his work is great. There's, yeah, I mean, you could always say that, no matter how bad he was you know outside the ring he always showed up in the ring you know yeah like when he comes back in 95 
Like, his first night in, he looks like he's the best wrestler in the company. Or close to it. Yeah. You know, with that match with Candido. So, like, that I think is, that I think is part of it. Like, we talked about this before. When it comes to physical wrestling talent, Marty was more talented than Sean. Uh, as, as a wrestler, yes. Absolutely. Sean had more charisma. Yes. Sean had more of the other intangibles than Marty did. Yes. But Marty, as a pure worker, was definitely better. Yes. So, there. I mean, there that goes. I mean, that's, you know. So, Dave said fourth or fifth. So, 87? Yeah. Uh, 92? 92, 93. 93. Is fourth. fourth or fifth, I think, is because there there's something there's something. Oh, it's the '89 European tour. I think is when Sean and Marty get like almost fired over wrecking a hotel, but then hired back immediately. Right? Yeah. So is that probably where we're getting fourth or fifth from, or at least the Dave is? Yeah. Because realistically, it's just the fourth, but you, I can see where you can get a fifth. And then, again in 96, uh, that's his last actual real run, right? Yeah. But that's five that he's fired. Um, got signed in 06, and then fired. I forget what. Was, was it that or when he got hired as an agent that he was fired because he didn't tell them he had to be on house arrest? <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, is there but so yes, many Marty, that's a thing Marty that deals? Happens. Yes, that is a thing that actually happened. Yeah. <sighs> well, in lighter news, let's go to Vince McMahon. <laughs> well, in this way, it is kind of. All right, yeah. so uh, let's go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. Vince McMahon and Jim Ross co hosted Radio WWF on February 19th. The following are some key excerpts. On a caller's question about whether Hulk Hogan is jumping the WCW, Vincent Mann said, Well, I don't know if that's actually going to occur. I think there are a lot of rumors and things of that nature bantering about. Things of that I think, nature. <laughs> I think that would be a mistake for the Hulkster to go to the minor leagues after all these years. But then again, perhaps that's where he feels he can compete the best. But then again, I don't really think he's going to do it. I just can't imagine why he would want to do that. I hope he doesn't. Hope he shows up at WrestleMania 10. That's what I hope. Do you think that Vince was openly talking to Hulk Hogan at this time? Well, I mean, we have more. Hold on. Let me let me yes. continue. On a caller's question of whether Hulk Hogan will miss his first WrestleMania, McMahon said, well, you can never tell. There are two main events at WrestleMania, and they both have guest referees, unannounced referees. He could be one of those. I don't know. A caller earlier Wanted to know uh, whether he's going to WCW, blah, blah, blah. I bet you would join the minor leagues like that. But uh, very, very often, though, he's so involved in the theatrics. I mean, he has television commercial, television series. I would suggest that whatever he does is not likely to be on a full-time basis. Oh, there we got another couple of incisions. I would suggest an, a full-time basis. <laughs> so there's more with the Vincent Hogan thing here. I mean, he's going to WCW. Yeah, we'll have, you know, when we get to WCW, we'll talk more about that, yes. 
But at this but, point, all that's happened is a couple weird cameos on TV. On the set of Thunder in Paradise. Yes. And, but still, at this stage, though, it's something, a deal, you know, there could be a deal breaker where he doesn't go. But I think at this mm-hmm. time, Vince probably doesn't want to get get him back in the fold after how it ended the previous year. You know, because, I mean, that really upset Bret Hart, as we've seen in recent years. You know, that whole thing with Hogan. Yes. If, if, you, if, you bring, if you bring Hogan back again after that, this may, may lose Bret. I mean, that could be the straw that brought the camels back, you know? Yeah, especially because the way the the, pay, the Mania pay-per-view is booked, especially the ending, does kind of feel like Vince almost trying to, in his own weird way, half-ass apologize to Bret. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. So, we all know what happens in the end. So there you go. Alright, uh, on whether there will ever be a WCW-WF co-promoted event, Mittman said, I would doubt that very, very seriously. I would doubt that. There's another one. Um, so I forget. Who did it come out? Were the WCW executives that had been pushing for this? I mean, wasn't it Bill Sean Bob do? I think so. Well, of course they would. And they'd be willing to lose. You know, that's the thing, too, and all this. They said they, they just Yes. <laughs> they, they just wanted that spotlight. Mm-hmm. You know? But that was just something that was never, ever going to happen. Vince would have never done that. I mean, you have more of a chance of that happening now with like impact or something than you would with, with TNA, no longer impact with TNA than you ever have, would have had in the previous 40 years, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps, or, or to quote Vince, perhaps indeed. Yes. Um, and then from know, there, and they've, and they've done stuff like, you know, they, you know, sent Nakamura to Noah last year. Yeah, but I'm talking about like a, sh- a show an with two people. An actual show. Yeah, an actual show. Can you imagine that actually happening, though, where it's like the big dog of the World Wrestling Federation, the tribal chief against <laughs> Alex Shelley or whatever? He would never be on that show. I know. I know. I uh, mean, you could probably, you could, I mean, Cody probably would do it. Seth would probably do it. Roman Reigns would never do it. But that's a whole nother story. All right. Um, on a college question about whether wrestling is fake, Mittman said, I guess the caller was named Brian. Well, Brian, uh, it is true that wrestling is fake. No, is it true that wrestling is fake? Is, uh, is it true that wrestling is fake? It's true that uh, actually when people are thirsty, they like to have water. It's true that when the sun goes down, uh, it becomes a little dark. And uh, as far as everything else in life, easy there, Stan, with audio cards. You could never tell. <laughs> it's the same guy that just five years earlier, you know, told the state of New Jersey that, yes, wrestling is predetermined and fake. Mm-hmm. So. And the, the- he even <laughs> said it in interviews going back to the mid-80s in so many words, too. Oh, yeah. Like, there's yeah. that, uh, like, that Boston Globe interview and. Oh yeah, they 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 they're but they're careful about how they say it. But yes, yes, they're they're careful about how they say it without right saying it is 
predetermined and things of that nature. Yeah. On a caller's question of whether Bastion Booger was once Norman with a beard, Vince said he could have very well been. Uh, I guess. I guess he's had a number of aliases. Johnny Polo added, I think he's a bit of a lunatic if you ask me. <laughs> Norman the lunatic, yes. Yes. Oh, and if you were wondering why uh, the torch is the one that's really keeping track of Radio WWF. A caller listening on KFAN in Minneapolis said, I have a comment too, Vince. Your comment about the WCW being the minor leagues was really tacky. I mean, they are. I, th I think one of the two big top promotions in the world. McMahon said, there are only two. Caller said, and you're just going to have to live with them being good. And you know you can put them down in your shows, whatever you want, but they are there and you're going to have to live with them. Vince McMahon said, well, in my humble opinion, Craig, they are the minor league. They will remain the minor league, and the World Wrestling Federation will remain the major league. And always will, and we strive here every single day to convince you and to convince all WF fans out there that, in fact, it is the case. We thank you very much for your call, Craig. Yeah, Craig. I love that he can't give any reasons why they're the minor league. <laughs> because they're not WF. That's reason enough. Well, we have more. Later, McMahon interviewed Les Luger and asked Luger if he believed WCW was the minor league in comparison to the WWF. Oh, boy. <laughs> Lex said, well, I have been in both. I was in the other organization extensively, and I've been here over a year, and I've been able to get an inside good look at both organizations, and I've never been happier in my career. As far as working in the World Wrestling Federation, there's no doubt in my mind that the WWF is definitely, without a doubt, the major league. It's just everywhere you go, whether it's internationally in Europe, in front of sold-out buildings, everywhere you go, there's excitement in the air. Big crowds over here in the States constantly. And I'll be honest with you, I wrestled in front of nobody when I was with the other organization. We go into major markets, major towns, and maybe 300 people in the building. I don't call that major league. I was frustrated. I felt as a competitor, you know, the drilling is flowing when you're in front of a lot of people. The way television is done in WF is more polished. It's more, it's, there's no comparison. I've been in both places and I absolutely agree. And that, that's not necessarily a put down of the other organization. It's just, I've been in both places and there's no comparison. I'm not saying that because I'm here now. I've had my eye on trying to get into the World Wrestling Federation for a number of years for that specific reason. I wanted to test myself against the best talent. I've always felt that I've had the best talent. I want to see how I'd stand against it. I'm happy here. I'm happy to be here now, and I plan on being here for a long, long time to come. Well, <laughs> Lex is not lying in a lot of this. You know, I mean, yeah. WCW had been in some major markets and done some shit houses. And look at their television over the years, all the stuff that we, you know, all the WCW everybody moments. Look at their house show department. I mean, look at just the way they're, they're, they were run. Mm -hmm. I mean, say what you will about WF. I mean, it was definitely a more major league operation in every way than WCW was as far as being run like a business. In it just was. Yeah. Just by every way. Hmm. I mean, it, as far as being run like a business, you know, where did, where did WCW do better than they did? I get what you're saying. Like, WWF has the creative services department. 
come up with the gimmicks and the sketches and the, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like well, you have, got. I mean, you got the infrastructure that WCW never had. Yes. In the ring, it's a different story. I mean, we can talk about how WCW was was you know way better in the ring than WWF. Okay, but to uh, someone like like Lex Luger, that doesn't mean as much, you know. Yeah. Lex Luger wanted to be a big bigger star. Yeah. And say what you will about the Lex Express. It made him a much bigger star than he was with WCW. Yeah. He became more of a name. So. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at some of these like late '91 results and attendances. Uh, Thanksgiving giving weekend '91, thirteen hundred fans in Baltimore for Luger Rick Steiner. And that was their and that was their key market, basically. That was historically their best market. So. I'm trying to see if there's anything else like really that bad um, as far as major markets. Yeah, Philly, a thousand a few days earlier. Yeah. No attendance listed for D.C. with a tag of Luger and Hughes against the Steiners. Um, Richmond, Virginia, 325 fans. Yeah. So he's not exaggerating. No, he's not. <laughs> I mean, I said, say what you will about Lex. I mean, it's just night. And, it was night and day. And WWF's about to go into an era where they're not going to be doing good as far as business and stuff. They're still doing better than WCW. Yeah. November 17th, 91, Greensboro Coliseum. Biggest arena in the country. 750 fans for Luger, Kaz, and Sting Cactus. And Steiner's Enforcers. And just think about Lex, that he finally gets to be the world champion, and he has no good, good, you know, business feuds. Yeah, he has no one one match would stink. His last match, eight hundred in Charlotte. I mean, think about eight hundred in Minneapolis. I know, I know, Sting and Rude was a hot feud. But, I mean, just think about how Luger and Sting could have drawn. Maybe it's a house show program for the title. Yeah. Six, 6.50 in Cleveland for Luger <laughs> Pillman. Yeah. Again, you see what the deal is. You yeah, understand Lex's frustrations. Not as big a market, but Albuquerque, they ran the main arena at Tingley Coliseum and drew under 1,000 fans. Yeah. It's it's insane, but like yeah, like I I had not remembered like that Richmond one off the top of my head. That's why I started looking. I'm like, okay, is he how literal is he being here? Oh, they've yeah. done eight twenty paid in Philly in October. Like he's not exaggerating. Richmond is an awfully big market to do three hundred twenty five fans in. Yeah, but uh, all right. So I mean. Vince, how do you think this this Vince McMahon Radio WF deal uh, went here? He sounds like how Vince always sounds in this kind of environment. Yeah, he's doing interviews with talent. I mean, he's taking phone calls. And things of that nature. Yeah. I would have liked to hear him on the radio, though. He has a, Vince had a radio-type voice. Yeah. I right, announced this this week regarding WrestleMania with the addition of Ludwig Borga against the Earthquake. Doink and Dink against Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon, and an episode of celebrities, including Donnie Wahlberg. 
the lead singer for New Kids on the Block, now called NKOTB, which is hot as which is hot as hell a few years ago, and nosedive fashion hot band in history. Two ex cab drivers who do reviews on Showtime, Bix. Bobby and Vinny, or something like that. Yeah, and they don't end up appearing, even though they do promos that air on television. Burt Reynolds, the legend, and Jenny Garth of Dino Two One O. George Steinbrenner and others are still to be announced. Well, George Steinbrenner doesn't appear. No, he does not. Alundra Blaze originally announced to face Debbie Combs, but this week they just said she would defend her title, and no opponent was named. The reports from Japan said that if was interested in bringing in Bull Nakano for WrestleMania for the match. Well, she comes in later in the air, but it ends up being at uh, Medusa's request, and it's Leilani Kai, who had not yes. been wrestling. I think... She had recently uh, had a child, if I remember right. So uh, that's also why she's wearing the uh, full body stocking. That if, I remember the PWI uh, covering Mania 10 right. They said it looked like she was hiding a spatula in it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't take that to be like a comment about her weight, just like the spe- spe- specificity of the full body body stocking. I mean, it was very Spider Lady. Mm. You know, um, I'm trying to remember if she had wore something like that before. I don't believe so. Okay. But yeah. And uh, NKOTB being NKOTB does not last long. No. I mean, they don't end up recording or touring for a long time, and then eventually they do reunions as new kids on the block. They did. I mean, they went down hard. And it was, and the thing is, it wasn't really a fault of their own. It was just because I, I said, I said, let me see here. So when did they? I'm pulling up their Wikipedia. All right. So I'm looking when they put their albums out. All right. So, all right. So they did step by step in 1990. So that was June of 90. Um, their last single off their album failed to crack the top hundred. That would have been at the in the fall of nineteen ninety. So they went from having I said, what did step by step do? Because I remember that was a big big hit. I'm pulling up right, the so discography page because that's e- that has all the chart positions later. Step by step with number one. The single or the album? The the single. So did the album, it looks like. Yes. Let's try it again. Did it did get in the it it, it got in the fifty? Yeah, it was a fifty third. I don't know what what that Wikipedia said. So that went fifty third. They did a remix album in ninety one, which had new songs on there. Uh, no more games. The remix album. Um, that peaked at nineteen. Yeah, so that got out there. Okay, let's try it again. Like I said, they try, so they went from having a number one song in May, and then their last single, which came out in October, didn't crack the top 40. So Donnie Wahlberg decided, let's do a remix album so we can integrate more of the harder elements of hip-hop and urban dance into the sound. And they also, got they with, did a Valentine Girl, a non-album single during the step-by-step singles, and that didn't. And at least I don't know if that didn't chart, or there's just no chart placements on Wikipedia, or what. 
Because it doesn't have chart placements for any country listed for that. So basically, you know, they got CNC Music Factory to remix the album. And this is before CNC Music Factory had their hits. Mm. So they, and then they start, then they changed to the NKOTB. And I understand why they did it because Joey McIntyre is like 18 now. And the rest of the guys are in their early 20s. So I yeah. get it. So basically it was they, they grew older. And the 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 music world culture was changing. Yeah. So it's just you do have kind of a a shorter shelf life with that type of gimmick. Yeah. So. And eh. their, their first chart hit was "Please Don't Go Girl" in '86. <laughs> was it '86 or '87? Excuse me, '88. I'm reading it wrong. Or eighty eight, okay. I was about to say. I don't think it was eighty six. Yeah, neither of the neither of the songs in eighty six charted. See what what the guys from New Edition did was they broke off, did their solo other group deals, and they they grew up with their music grew up with them. Yes. New kids didn't do that. They tried in a way, but they they didn't do it and it wasn't successful. So Yeah. So Wow, we just been a long time on new kids on the block <laughs> yeah it's so looking at the chart positions it's please don't go girl at 10 you uh the right you got it the right stuff at three is the these are all the peak chart positions i'll be loving you forever number one hanging tough number one cover girl number two didn't i blow your mind number eight this one's for the children number seven step by step number one tonight number seven Let's try it again at 53. That's and crazy. Just, and then they just fall off the charts. That's a crazy thing because, like I said, in a matter of four months, you know, they went from number one to number 53. And if, that, you, if you go away from the remix album, did chart peaking at 16. I know, but... But listen, other that, than that, yeah. It's, that's it's wild. I mean, that was just, wow. Crazy. All right, Ted DiBiase... It's very close to a deal where he come back as a full-time announcer. DiBiase won't be wrestling for at least one year due to a neck injury. At this point, he hasn't undergone surgery. That's right. He hasn't reappeared since the Rumble, if I remember right. Yeah, and this, this was just a, a one-off. And this, and also this one time, there was a thought that he was going to come back and wrestle. Yeah. But, but he, he never did. His Lloyd's of London deal. Yeah. So, but yeah, he does come back as an announcer and then becomes the manager. As uh, 94 rolls along. At the WF House show in Chicago on February 18th, as fans were leaving the building, they were handed flyers announcing the April 17th Spring Stampede W7 preview show. And the flyer said that tickets were on sale at the box office now. However, the box office at the time was closed. W7, everybody. <laughs> Maybe the Even flyers the were section. supposed to be handed out as they were entering the building. <laughs> Even in the WS section, we get WS everybody. How about that? All right, so at the Rosemont Horizon, uh, you're opening a match. Owen Hart over Jim Powers. Then the Quebecers retain the tag titles over Spoken Guns. Alundra Blaze retained her women's title over Heidi Lee Morgan. Bret Hart over Erwin R. Scheister. Yokozuna retained the WF title over Tatanka. Jeff Jarrett over Bob Backlund. Randy Savage Lex Luger over Crush and Quang. And then Razor Ramon retained IC title beating Shawn Michaels. Ah, uh, yes. 
the premier tag team of two guys kind of pretending to be Japanese. <laughs> well, Crush wasn't pretending to be Japanese. Yeah, they kind of, sort of, positioned. Well, he's Hawaiian, Bix. I mean, you know, the Hawaiian and Japanese crossover is already well, there. Remember, he replaced uh, PCO on the Foreign Fanatics. Yeah, but he was also had just turned and aligned with Mr. Fuji. So he's a he's like Crusher Khrushchev, I guess. He's a foreign sympathizer. He's turning Japanese. <laughs> I really think so. Uh, on TV, they're dropping hints that there's someone in Owen Hart's ear causing him to turn on Brett, which may be the entree for Jerry Lawler to return if and when he clears up his current legal problems. And that doesn't go anywhere. Well, I think it does, but not with Lawler. I, wasn't it basically said when Anvil showed up that Anvil was the one that was uh, kind of... Yes, I think you're right, actually. That Anvil was the one that was stirring the pot behind the scenes? Yes, that does happen. Yeah. So we have Fan Fest will take place in a series of seven two-hour and 30-minute segments. We have a mission each segment, $22 on March 18th through the 20th. The session will include historical perspectives of WF, opportunities for autographs, opportunities to purchase merchandise, Opportunity to commentate on matches, opportunity to get your photo and superimpose on the magazine cover, and other gimmicky type items you'd expect at an amusement park. And though they'd done other Mania Week events and stuff before, this is the first time they do what eventually would turn into fan access. Yes. In terms of this actual type of event. Yeah. It always looked fun. Um, Why did you go? I don't remember. I would have liked to have gone, especially with Hillbilly Jim offloading all those Coliseum videos cheap. Yeah, I mean, I would have... uh, I'm surprised that you didn't get your dad to drag you down there. I I don't remember why. Funniest moment on the road this past week was on the February 19th show in Winnipeg when during the tag team main event, the ring announcer introduced Quang as Wang! What's this, uh, Caddyshack, where uh, Al Cervic is introducing Wayne, everybody? Hey, it's Wayne! <laughs> Did you say Al Cervix? No, Al Cervic. That was Ronnie Dangerfield's character on, on Caddyshack, uh, Al, okay. Al Cervic. I thought you were just taking this further into the gutter. Anyway. No. Uh, one of the funniest moments I ever had as a kid with my dad was we used to go to... Uh, the Gwinnett Place Mall in Gwinnett County because it was a big, bigger mall than Southlake. And there was a chain of restaurants at the time named Wang. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) my dad was making Wang jokes and I just thought they were hilarious. (laughs) Hey, I'll get some at at Wang. He said something. You think they sell Poontang at Wang? Uh, there was also flame. Oh, they, oh, they still exist. Flamers Grill still exists too. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Flamer well, being a, as a slur <laughs> does not really exist anymore. I don't think you might hear well, the tar- You might hear someone say flaming, but I don't. <laughs> I, I, I do. I don't ever hear flamer anymore. No, I mean that's definitely an old school term. I mean, I also remember going to Sambo's restaurant 
well, in the eighties. Yeah, that well, that yeah, that was over in the mid eighties, and it became Chick Fil A, the one oh, in Griffin. The, the so Flamers is like mainly like a food court type place. The one that I ever went to, which was at the Borsch Building Food Court in Philadelphia, is still open, according to the uh, Flamers website. There was some wild names for restaurants back in the day. Can I just say, Sam. by the way, Carl's Jr. is a terrible name. What does that even mean? Carl's Carl Jr. has been around forever. I know, but what kind of name is that? Carl's Jr. Because Carl, I guess Carl Jr. Not Carl Jr.'s, Carl's Jr. I guess the thing is based on the Carl who found the, the chain had like little burgers that he called his junior burgers. I don't know. Okay. See, we never had that in the East. That's a West Coast thing. They got with Hardee's and, you know, got together and formed an alliance. But yeah. yeah. I never had a Hardee's, but I did have Roy Rogers when Roy Rogers and Hardee's were the same thing. Ah, uh, yes. Hardee's used to be the shit. Now I don't even have a Hardee's anymore. We had Hardee's right beside the grocery store. And uh, the guy that owned it, he went uh, in bankrupt last year and sold all of his Hardee's. So, and now a, nothing there. Has there ever been a fast food chain that seemed more devoted to giving its customers heart disease than Roy Rogers and Hardee's in that era? <laughs> what do you mean by that? The Frisco Burger. Well, the Frisco Burger, I didn't really care for the Frisco Burger. And then the Frisco Breakfast Sandwich now, that was good. No, now Hardy's had the thick burgers. And those jokers, uh, they were something else. Especially, you get, like, the double thick burger. Mm. Oh, man. Just don't let them put the mayonnaise on there. Always uh, get your own mayonnaise. Because the, the, the times I did let them put the mayonnaise on there, I got sick. <laughs> I, and I just like eh. they just they obviously were not storing their mayonnaise properly, which is a problem. Okay, but anyway, let's get back to WBF and to the torch. And this is a Wade Keller commentary. The views expressed in his commentary are by Wade Keller and Wade Keller only. The WBF has fallen quite a bit short of what Wade would have expected when it comes to the follow-up to the resurrection angle. In order to save the storyline credibility of such feuds as Brett versus Owen, they need to present some rationalization that would explain the Undertaker resurrection. If they lead the fans to think that they are expected to believe Undertaker actually rose from the dead, they will turn off many fans. It been better had the resurrection been directly addressed within a couple of weeks with more than vague references to try and sell the pay-per-view replay and one graveyard scene with Paul Bear. Instead, what about Jim Cornette coming out and rather nonsensically pouting about having to face Lex Luger at WrestleMania? Where even if Brett won the coin toss, Yokozuna would have to face Luger anyway. Assuming Cornette expects his man to win. He could have tried to explain and win the Undertaker scene by talking about how he saw David Copperfield, whom Cornette is a big fan of, backstage, or that he saw ropes. Something, anything needs to be said to provide a rationalization. The last time WF took something to an extreme of a rationalized explanation, it flopped. Papa Shanko. How low can you go? Hopefully Smoky Mountain's TV crew isn't playing this game and it was an accident. But upon reviewing Smoky Mountain's television shows from the last month, Wade came across a disturbing coincidence. Jim Cornette was doing a promo. Let me say one thing to all these genetic defective morons, he said as the camera cut to a crowd shot. 
Not unusual for the Smoky Mountain program. What was unusual was the focus of the camera shot for 10 seconds was a fan standing on his feet booing. This fan had Down syndrome. Oops. Well, there's more. Jim Cornette is said to be carefully screening his television shows each week before the air. And for instance, adds crowd shots during a match if a move is missed. Whether this was a sad joke or coincidence that got past the screeners, either way, it's wrong. Very wrong. And very much not funny. Because of his independent commitments in Michigan and television commitments, Cornette was unable to return to Torch's phone calls. I mean, didn't he stop returning the Torch's phone calls several <laughs> weeks earlier at this point? Period. <laughs> yeah. I remember I hearing want- about this at some point. I mean, it's one of those things where maybe, you know, like we said, it was only for like a, a few seconds and it just fell through the cracks. But when you when you had that kind of comment made, that Cornette made, and then that happens afterwards, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of risky. That, that's one way to put it. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's just one of those coincidences, more than anything else. Now, Wade asked about Owen Hart. Owen Hart's credibility, given Owen Hart's current push and his prominent role at WrestleMania, should be, should the WWE be putting him in a preliminary match against Jim Powers as it did in Chicago last Friday? It seems if Owen's going to be competitive against championship-level talent like Bret Hart, he should be beating at least mid-level, if not main event wrestlers. Yep. Wade's got a gr- great point there. Why is he working Jim Powers in the opener? I mean, you look at that that card. Um, Owen should. I mean, why not put Owen in the Jeff Jarrett slot? Unless, I mean, is Jarrett and Backlund doing a TV program at this time? I don't. I don't remember. Not yet. Okay, you could have put Owen against Backlund and have Owen beaten Backlund and put Jarrett against Powers. Just that simple. Okay, so looking at cage match. So the Rumbles on the on January twenty second. He works Jared on the 23rd in Bristol, Connecticut. Then Jim Powers in Philly, Scott Taylor in Boston, Marty Gennetti in Uniondale at the Nassau Coliseum, uh, Gennetti on Superstars. I'm not counting squash wins, although we beat John Paul in Bushkill. Uh, Bart Gunn on Challenge, Bart Gunn on House Shows, Jim Powers on House Shows, Richard Charlon at Maple Leaf Gardens. <laughs> Uh, teaming with Crush to beat the Smoking Guns on the February 21st Raw in Poughkeepsie. Uh, PJ Walker and Ben Jordan at Superstars taping. Uh, Mike Moraldo, a Starling at Challenge taping. Uh, another squash. Uh, uh, teaming with Sean to lose to Bread and Kid in Whitewater, Wisconsin. That sounds good. Uh, and also in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh bagosh. Yeah, teaming with IRS to lose to Bretton Luger at various house shows on the West Coast. Teaming with Yokozuna for the first time to lose to Bretton Luger on uh, some uh, like house shows in Denver and Seattle and Victoria. Uh, the Smoky Marietta show, where again, yeah, he's teaming with Well Done. It's a mixed bag of who he's working with really going into mania. So he's all over the floor, basically. Yeah. Some of those make sense. Really? <clears throat> he should have just, well, Jannetty's fired. So 
of the guys he's been working with that are heel or, or baby faces, I should say. What am I talking about? What do you do? Just keep him with like a Bart gun or someone like that, or just something? have him ha- have him in the mix with people that are kind of on television getting pushed. Yeah, it could be a random amount of pe- random people. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand where Wade's coming from. So, so anyway, there's the WWF. All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun now, and all Japan pro wrestling leads off. The latest tour opened on February 19th, and the 20th was sellouts at Cork and Hall, although there were no eventful matches on either show. That's at the time that Dave was uh, getting the report, because we have star ratings that say a little bit differently. All right, Cork and Hall on the 19th, front 2100. We have Johnny Gunn. Yeah, that jobber Tom Brandy over Masai Inoue, who Johnny Gunn was on the January tour. He, came, he was there back-to-back tours. And Johnny Gunn assuming... looked, and he looked good on that January tour. He, he had a single special with Masawa that I just watched where Masawa gave him a good bit of offense, and he looked good. So are we assuming, given the time and that he's, well, I was about to say that maybe Zank got him brought in, but Zank's not back yet. Zank's still in WCW a little longer. Yeah. So, I don't, who do we think got him in? I don't know. We'll look and see. Who, maybe Dory. Because Dory's the next match. Dory Funk Jr. over Mighty in a way. And the Can-Ams. Crawford and Furnace over Richard Sling and Rob Van Dam. Giant Baba, Rush Kimura and Yoshinara Gawa over Haruka Egan, Masafuchi, and Rikoku Zamita. Akira Tawe and Timon Honda over Alperez and Barry Horowitz, who became a regular tag team here. Tampa Boys. Then a three and a four and a half star match. Takao Mori and Toshiko Kawada over Kitakabashi and Satoru Sako. John Norton, Stan Hansen over Johnny Ace and the Patriot. In their main event, three and three quarter star match. Junakiyama and Mitsuru Masawa over Dr. F.C. Williams and the Eagle. So there's the 19th, the 20th. We have Yoshinara Gawa over Johnny Gunn. Dory Funjiro and Masawa in a way. Can-Ms over Junakiyama and Timon Honda. Baba, Momoda, and Kimura going to a 30-minute draw with Egan, Fuchi, and Izumita. The Eagle and the Patriot over Alperez and Barry Horowitz. Johnny H. Richard Singer and Dr. Death over John Nord, Rob Van Dam, and Stan Hansen. Sure. And Kenta Kabashi, Mr. Amasan, Storosako over Akira Tawe, Takao Mori, and Toshak Kawada. Super Generation Army over Holy Demon. Yes, this is the... Uh, this is the the time period here where Baba is back. Well, he's doing you know the old man matches here, but on the January tour he was doing more competitive matches because he just did the tag league where he took over for Ted DiBiase when DiBiase got hurt with with Hanson, and he had got in these great matches on the tag league, and I guess he got his uh, dander back up and decided the January tour to you know work some more. Of the you know the six mans with the the younger talent, but here he is back with the 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 normal crew here on the February tour. But yeah, I'm I'm this is the air I'm I, I will be watching um that February nineteenth show next to my old Japan watching. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because yeah, Johnny Gunn looked good on the January tour. I was very very surprised. So all right, New Japan. Which the last New Japan show I just watched was February 6th, so we're right behind that. Uh, latest tour ended on February 17th at Sumo Hall before a style of 11,500. 
This will be the next show I'll watch, period. Rishiro Shimoto scoring his first ever pin on Tenu Gurichiro in the main event. The best match on the card was said to be the Steiner brothers, beating Jushin Thunder Liger and Power Warrior, subbing for Kejimuto, who missed the entire tour after early January knee surgery in 13.05, when Liger, of course, did the job. And then a 10-man New Japan skinheads, I see a Shigun, and it's funny that they, it's funny Dave goes into skinheads because only two guys on that team were bald. Yeah. Goto and Ohara, Slugga. Two or three fall match when Tetsu Fujinami pinned Tashitoshi Goto to win the final fall. Sure, Koshinaka continues to get a major push as he pinned Riki Choshu for a fall in a two or three fall match and pinned Masachono for the fall in a one fall eight man tag match the previous night. Oh, yeah, the fans are into Koshinaka like a freight train at this point in time. He is over. Yeah, and um, it was well-deserved. Koshinaka was a great worker. All right, uh, results of Sumo Hall. Yuji Nagata over Tokimichi Isazawa, the future Kinnagashin in the opener. Max Moon. Yes, Paul Diamond in Max Moon gear, which did make TV. I watched one of his matches. And while Pegasus over El Samurai and Shinjiro Tani. Then there's this match. <laughs> JJ Jax, Akira Nagami, and Taki Kazuka with Manabu Nakanishi over Bobby Eaton, Mike Enos, and Mansoor Rambo. Luke Poirier. Yes. yes. I watched Bobby Eaton. Uh, he was in a Cork and Hall match on uh, the TV. Uh, Akira Saito over Satoshi Kojima. Hiro Saito and Norionaga over Masukarisu and Super Strong Machine. Then we have Hiroshi Hase, Masahiro Chono, Osamu Kido, Riki Choshu, and Tetsumi Fujinami beating Tatsutoshi Goto, Shiro Koshinaka, Michiyoshi Ohara, Keigo Kimura, and Great Kabuki in the two out of three fall match at 29-29. Then the Steiners over Liger and Power Warrior, and Hashimoto over Tenru in your main event. Yeah, New Japan at this point in time is doing really good. Um, lots of heat. That that three way war New Japan high Gun feud, lots of heat there. Um, yeah, good stuff, really good stuff. And that Steiner's uh, Liger Kensuke tag is really good. Oh yeah. New Japan ran a show on February 14th in Gifu, which is Hashimoto's hometown, drawing a sell of four thousand to see him beat Great Kabuki by submission in the main event. And the Steiner's on the match was in Toyohashi on the 16th, where they beat Bobby Eaton and Mike Enos. In short order. Shocking that Mike Enos is working against the Steiner Brothers, Bix. Even in Japan, they are going <laughs> yes. to wrestle Mike Enos, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, he didn't have to worry about being the masked Dan Farron in, in Japan, though. <laughs> Mike Enos, at this point in time, is jacked. Yes. I mean, is, is, and not as much jacked as in muscular. He's just big. He's thick. Yeah, he looks like Scott Norton. <laughs> I wouldn't go quite that far. Yeah. God, shit. <laughs> he, he's close enough. But yeah. All right. Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. Their sh- big show of the week was in Wakayama on February 19th at the Wakayama Factual Gym, where we have Gusaku Goshigawara over Mr. Chin, Kastoshi Niyama over Masato Tanaka, Primo Carnera Jr. won a handicap match over Koji Nakagawa and Tetsuya Kuroda. That's a uh, big Guido for those who don't know. Yeah. yeah. A semifinal match for the FNW Women's title t- in the tournament. Mikigumi Kudo over Lola Gonzalez. Damiase Seses and Ricky Fuji over Groshirumi and Dart Ranger. Combat Toyota, Leilani Kai, Bambi, and, and Neftali. 
beat Malia Hasaka, Miwa Sato, Bad Nurse Nakamura, and Keiko Iwami. That is Where, a match. Where's Peggy Lee Leather? <laughs> In America, Bix, I guess. I don't know. Combat Toyota, Leilani Kai, Bambi, and Neftali. I guess Combat Toyota would be like a Japanese version of Peggy Lee Leather, though. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> uh, and in a street fight, Asushi Anita, Sanpo Osako, and Mr. Ganosuke defeated Mr. Pogo, Hitsukatsu Oya, and Hideki Asaka. So there you go. Pro Wrestling Crusaders ran Corken Hall on February 17th. Jay Hong Ong over Kenji Fujimura. Sanchiro Miyamoto, Bix. Is that Tagagi? That's him over Sabisto. So, I, by the way, I presume every like veteran Japanese indie guy who starts around this time broke in through Crusaders, right? Yeah, and it's not his real name. Um, what is his real name? His real name is Sancho Takagi. It is okay, I mean, but okay. Uh, you know, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's him. Um, no, because... it is. Uh, Cage Match at least says it's him. Okay, because he st- he was a Shurumi training. So, yeah, I mean, it's probably, it's got to be him. At least on cage match, the night before is his first match. Well, there you go. Masashi Matagi over Takeshi Ono. Nobutaka Araya over Roshimada. A PWC junior heavyweight title match is Hodef Min retained over Yuki Mura. And a Falls Count Anywhere match. Kazuko Masazaki, Shinji Takano, and Yukio Kanemura over Super Uchi Power, Uchi Power X, and Uchi Power Double X. Mm-hmm. Good old space Jews. Didn't we eventually learn they weren't space Jews, they were space aliens, and that uh, the, what, the star that's also used as the Star of David has a separate meaning in Japan? I don't know. I never learned that. Maybe you did. Okay. Uh it also reminds me of how I saw someone uh, posting the Toxic Crusaders intro on uh, Twitter the other day. And how whenever I hear the name Pro Wrestling Crusaders, I always hear it as if someone's singing it along to the Toxic Crusaders theme song. Yeah. Pro Wrestling Crusaders, Pro Wrestling Crusaders. All right. There you go. Wing the Danger Zone at Cork and Hall, February 15th. Katsuko Masasaki over Hiroshi Ono, Masashi Matege, Masayoshi Mategi and Zuyama over The Winger and Miss Janeth. The Headhunters over Katsuko Masasaki and Shoji Nakamaki, Nama Namanui. Barbed Wire Baseball Bat Match, Jason the Terrible over Smart Bart Sawyer. Sure. <laughs> False Game Anywhere Match, Leatherface over Freddy Krueger. Krueger, po- wait, is this... Tracy is, is straight. No, Tracy was Jason. Freddie was uh, Bob Barragale. Post Gilberts, I guess. Bunkhouse death match. Kendo Nagasaki over Nobutaka Araya. And loser leave wing street fight. Yukio Kanemura over Bad Boy Hito. Hmm. Masashi, Masashi Oyagi ran a show on February 18th at Corken Hall with himself against a former IBF Japanese welterweight boxing champion named Sakuda in the main event. Which Oyagi won by TKO in a match for a promotion called New Fighting. They drew 1450 at Corken Hall. Our opening match, Hiroshi Nakura over Ichiro Yaguchi. Sure. <laughs> Toyonari Fujita over Yuichi Fukaya. And this is like 
that the first match was round four. This was round two. Jun Kikawada over Yoshiko Abe in round two. Takanobu Suzuki over Kesuke Yamada, the future Black Buffalo by, Ka- by KO, round two. Shigekazu Tajiri over Hiro- Hiroshi Osumi in round one. And then Masashi Oyagi over Kei Sakata by TKO in round three. Are Fuminori Abe and Yoshihiko Abe any relation? What about Sachi Abe? Nah. What about Honest Abe? Oh, now, you're remind, now you're reminding me of that tw- that tweet I saw the other day about how annoying people who use the Japanese names for anime when it's just a direct translation of the English or vice versa are. Yes. Or it's people who use it for video games where the all of the LR stuff gets mixed up and like you have people who are talking about oh, I forget what what they say for Legend but they refer to Legend of Zelda as something of like Zeruda and it's like shut the fuck. <laughs> I was thinking you were going another direction like Legend of Zeruda or something like that. No. no. Okay, that's, I think the other one's even worse. Yes. I, I, by, oh, by the way, just to bring it back on course. uh uh, at, on fr- when I was at uh, Jersey J Cup on Friday, I was talking with Emil, and he he was suggesting that next time they bring in Masayoshi Motegi, since who can have a J Cup without Masayoshi Motegi? Well, he's he's right. I told them to go. I told them to go ask the astronauts about it. I'm like, they probably work for Pro Wrestling Nightmare, right? It's possible. UWFI. They ran one of the biggest grandstand angles in recent wrestling history. Yeah. In, in a press conference on February 15th. At the press conference at the Yokohama Grace Hotel, the promotion announced that the winner of their summer 60-man single elimination tournament to crown the best real pro wrestler in the world, which was going to be originally an eight-man tournament, which begins April 3rd in Osaka at a card that April 16th on US on pay-per-view, and the tournament ends on August 18th in Tokyo, will receive 100 million yen, $964,800 US. They brought in two armed guards with 100 million yen to show the reporters. At the press conference, the group then issued the grandstand challenges for all world champions from all organizations in the tournament and announced specific invitations have been sent to Tenugurichiro, Akira Maeda, Mitsuru Masawa, Shinyashimoto, and Maskas Fadaki. It made the point that if any of these men could win the tournament, they'd get the big prize. UWFI announced that the already in the tournament will be Nobuka Takata, Kazuya Mazaki, Super Vader, Gary Albright, and Salman Hashmakov. Both Tenru and Hashimoto later in the week told reporters they wouldn't be entering the tournament. Tenru said he couldn't work at all the prescribed dates because it conflicts with his own promotion, which he's the top star of, and his company needs him to both run the shows and to draw. Hashimoto was interviewed with Sumo Hall on the 17th and was furious at UFI saying that UFI knew full well that in order to get him, they had to go through the New Japan office since he's in their exclusive contract. And that UFI never contacted New Japan to negotiate a deal, so they weren't serious about it. And thus making a public statement about inviting him to appear was bullshit. Now Chimasa and All Japan simply ignored the challenge. The others haven't responded. It was virtually a lot and none of them will appear. From the Japanese PR standpoint, the names that are most important are Maeda and Funaki. Since Maeda is still the most famous shooting style wrestler in Japan to the general public, and Funaki is the number one star from Pancrase, which is the hottest new promotion in the country because of the belief, which is apparently warranted, that it's the only major wrestling promotion in the world with legitimate matches and non predetermined endings. I am making the hand wink motion right now. 
Maeda's Reigns, which has dropped in popularity greatly over the past year due to the rise in interest in both pancreas and UFI, and Maeda's knee surgery, which has kept him out most of the year, tried to get back in the hunt in his January car when Maeda challenged Takata, Funaki, and Minoru Suzuki. Funaki and Suzuki publicly dissed Maeda by responding, they'd be glad to wrestle on ring shows if Maeda was no longer part of the group. <laughs> While Takata and UWFI simply ignored the public challenge until this press conference which is a response created to put the onus back on Maeda, who obviously won't accept the invitation, despite the nearly $1 million on the table to him if he could win. $1 million. Maeda will be holding a press conference this week to respond to the challenge and attempt to come up with some sort of response to take the onus off his back. Uh, Japan. Gotta love them when, when this shit would happen. And this shit became more commonplace as time went on. Where you would have these types of grandstand challenges in the media. It's always funny. All this one was missing was uh, Luthez Onita. on doors and stuff. Yeah, And Onita. <laughs> Onita, the king of the grandstand challenge, yes. Yeah. One million dollars. Uh, now, now I'm just imagining the Crockett Cup. Dun-dun. Greatness. I just watched the Crockett Cup for the first time in a long time the other day, the commercial version. My brother was out here actually watching it, a part of it with me since he was over here. And he said, and he brought this up rightly. Why are they showing the video before the the actual show? We're showing the results of every match. <laughs> I got, you got a point there. Oh, the Crockett Cup 87 commercial was on the Crockett Cup video? No, the beginning of the video is the big video of the whole show. Oh. Okay. And, and then they go to Tony in the building, empty building, talking about the show and then throwing it to the matches. The thing that... Oh, play it. Yep. Well, you're close. I don't think this is the right one. Auditorium, San Francisco. Yeah, this is a different one. That's it. No. That's I'm the thinking, music. I'm thinking of... Uh... You're thinking of the VHS tech. Yeah. Yes. But that you're thinking of the commercial. They didn't do that on the on the tape. It's the, it did the whole... Well, oh, okay. It did that... Dun, 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 Wait, does this one not have Crockett Cup? It goes, it goes from, uh, it goes from Bash '86 to Bash '87. Yeah, there's no, there's no uh, Crockett Cup on this one unless it's. Oh no, it's out of order. That's why. That's weird. That's weird. I forgot about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Here we go. We offered $1 million to find the toughest, roughest, meanest men in America. Then we locked them in hand-to-hand combat in the most spectacular display of championship wrestling ever captured on videotape. The Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament, the ultimate wrestling event of the year. Now, the wrestling video of the year. Over two hours of hot wrestling action. This one's yeah, hot wrestling action. Uh, Oh wait, hot wrestling action. 
every Saturday night and see hot wrestling action coming live to your towns and producing live hot wrestling action. Real hot wrestling. <laughs> the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Thanks, Bert. All right, let's go to, speaking of hot wrestling action, All Japan Women, Bix, at Akata Star Lanes on February the 8th, where we have uh, Shikaku Shiratori, Kubika Bekawa, and Suzuka Minami over It's Komita, Rie Tamada, and Tomoko Watanabe, Takako Inoue over Mima Shimoda, Asa Kongabul Nakano over Kara Ito and Sakachigawa, and a match rated four and a half stars by Dave, Kyoko Inoue and Yumiko Hota over Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada. JWP had a show in Fukuoka on the 19th. Dove Masami over Plum Mariko. Dodomai Kansai over Bolshoi Kid. Kansai, Mariko, and Fusai Anochi over Dove Masami. Kaman Bolshoi and Hiromiyagi. And then Mayumi Ozaki and Kuri Suzuki retained the tag titles, beating Hikari Fukuoka and Kanyo Kutsu. Well, that sounds like a good show. And LLPW ran Cork and Hall on the 20th. We only had three matches listed. Naruto Tateno and Mikiko Furugami over Michiko Nagashima and Yasha Kuranai. Karl Midori and Rumi Kazama over Leo Kuramura and Holly Saito. And Sh- Shinobu Kendori retained the LLPW singles title, beating Eagle Sawai. I mean, there were like seven wrestlers in the whole company, so maybe it really was just three matches. And we have Europe, Eurasia. Let's go to Otto Vance's CWA in Dresden, Germany. Alex Wright. A very, very young Alice Wright over Colonel Brody. British Steve Casey went to a tunnel to draw with Tony St. Clair. If Herman over Mad Bull Buster by disqualification. So this is uh, this is where Durante's at when uh, Gary Wolf is starting an ECW. Yes. Dave Finley over Robert Foster. And Franz Schumann and August Schmeichel defeated Cannonball Grizzly and Klaus Karoff by disqualification. Is it possible to say any of the German names without sounding angry? <laughs> Franz Schumann and August Meisel. To say it the right way. Franz Schumann and August Meisel defeated Cannonball Grizzly and Klaus Karoff! Yes. It, it's like Germans who yell nice things on the Danny Carvey show. Yes. Brian Dixon's All-Star Wrestling, as we close this section. They uh, ran Queen Elizabeth Hall in... Oldham, Greater Manchester, England, on February 17th. Danny Boy Collins over Lightning Kid. That's not, not Sean Walton. Sean. No. no. Dave Taylor over Skull Murphy. The British one. Marty Jones over Menacing Moto. No idea. And the Dynamite Kid, that one. Robbie Brookside and Dot Dean over Jimmy Ocean. Is he kin to Billy Ocean or even Danny Ocean? Ricky Knight. Well, we know who that is. And Danny Boy Collins in the main event. What a main event that is. <laughs> Ricky Knight, of course, being uh, Soraya's dad, right? Yes, and, and Zach's dad. and Zach's dad, yeah. Zach Knight, Zach Zodiac, uh, whichever name he's using in Ring of Honor. Yes. And uh, isn't there also, also the father of Roy Knight, Zebra Kid, and... Uh, Wait, is Ricky Jr. his son or actually a nephew? I'm not sure on that one there. Lovely family. Definitely not described in Brian Danielson's book as hanging someone uh, by their feet outside of the second story window. No, of course not. 
All right. Well, that's it for the first half of the show. It, well, not yet. I jumped the gun. <laughs> and it's not time for the Oh, uh, yeah, there's very little lucha. This should just all be one international section. Yeah, we're going to do uh, lucha as well. That's right. Sorry about that, folks. This is uh, the way it goes it's sometimes. It's an unusually quiet lucha week for 1994. It is, yes. Let's go to lucha. As we go to Ron Scholar and AAA, Ron Scholar's IWC signed an extension of their current deal through the first quarter of 1995 with AAA for exclusive rights for both AAA matches in the United States. And that's the last deal they signed. Yeah, because, you know, we get, well, we, at least we get the Win Worlds Collide show out of it, I guess. So there's that and other shows. But there you go. AAA take TV. In Zacatecas on the 15th for Rocco Valente, Tony Arce, and Volcano over Latin Lover, Misterioso, and El Torero. Lee's Mart, Mascara Sagrada, and Volador over Fuzagarera, La Parca, and, and Satanico. And Ilda Santo, Evi Metal, and Octagon over Eddie Guerrero, Love Machine, Our Bar, and Jerry Estrada. Well, that's a good talent on that show right there, folks. Then we go to Aguas Calientes the next night where we have Los Payasos, Coco Amarillo, Coco Azul, and Coco Rojo over. Lismark, Io de Lismark, and Solar. Psychosis beat Io de Santo to win the WA Welterweight title, and that was a fantastic match. Mm-hmm. And then Paraguayo Conan and Tinebus Jr. over Black Cat, Cien Caras, and Mascara Año Dos Mil. For anyone who's never seen them, and all of the key title matches are on YouTube, that whole Santo Psychosis feud is absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. Like, if. You know, we rarely got to see that side of Psychosis, but he was great at it, working the title match style. You know, it's the same side of him we saw when he'd get to work with Regal in WCW. Well, the thing is, is that the Psychosis's matches of this era, man, these remember being the Ray matches. Or other guys that he would be, like, the base for, right? With, you know, smaller flyers, whereas Santo, who can fly, but still more of an old-school type, is going to work more of the standard Lucha title match with him. Yes. So, yeah, a totally different type of match. But the 1995 great. one might be even better. It probably was. It probably was, yeah. All right, CMLL. Only news Dave's aware of is that on February 18th, it remake Ultimo Dragon retaining the UWA middleweight title, regain the UWA middleweight title from Koji Ishinriki. Originally, Injuriki was going to retain the title with a draw, then retain his title again in Japan before losing it later this year. But he got over so so poorly that a promotion felt it would hurt one of its leading stars in Dragon if he failed to convincingly beat such an unimpressive foreigner. <laughs> Good on them. Yeah. I mean, the only way uh, Ishinriki is able to have an entertaining match is just by being an absolute crowbar. And that's not going to fly here. So. No. Yeah. No. Bad bit. All right. Uh, the rest of the card in Mexico on the 18th. El Mestizo and Gran Apache over Legendario and Olimpico. Sigon Ramirez, Chireno and El Pantera over Cadaver del Trotumbo, Kung Fu and Panico. Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Pata and El Brazo over Cachorro Mendoza, Felino and El Marnaca Javier Cruz. And then Dragon over Ishinriki. And then King Haku, La Fiera, and Vampiro Canadiense. Over Negro Casas, Petrov, and Yamato. Yes, Kim Duck. Tiger Chun Lee about his qualification. Correct. The crowds in Arena Coliseum Remeco is picked up, though. 
the 18th headline back Ishin Ricky losing the title to Dragon Drew Well and it says a 10,000 fans, Bix. Huh? Yeah. How about that, huh? Are they getting t- tapes of now handhelds where uh, <laughs> they just wanted to see him lose? Where I guess. He, he and Manasuke Ueda are just beating each other about the head with chairs and stuff. I think maybe they just wanted to see him lose. What is he even doing here? He's not in war. He's in now, right? No, he's in war. Oh, he he did end up back with Tenor. Okay. Yeah. Well. So it's now closed by this point? Probably. All right. Um, Petoff won the Mexican National Airway title from Redesco Jr. on February 19th in Puebla. Well, so that's there nice. UWA. They ran El Torre on the February 20th. We have Dragon Chino 3, Frail Pop, and Gratapachi. Uh, went up against uh, El Titere, Loco Valentino, and Mojicano 2 in a match with no result. Adrian, El Mercenario, and Pittsburgh Maya went up against the Machos, 1, 2, and 3. No result listed. El Aldaz, El Marnaca, Javier Cruz, and Ruben Juarez Jr. Mr. Rocky Satana, Scorpio Jr., and Viano 1, winner unknown. Are you sure that it's Javier Cruz if he's listed as just... Elmanarca? I mean, it's usually one the same. But was anyone working both promotions at this time? Um, I mean, who knows? It could have been maybe somebody different, but I doubt it. I don't know. Anyway, um, Biano Tessero, Biano 4, Biano 5, they beat Black Power, El Signo, and Calificado Jr. And Andy Barro, Enrique Vera, and The Killer defeated Kinect, Dos Caras, and Acondorado Jr. That main event sounds terrible. The whole show just sounds like a slog. So, there you go. Now, it's time for halftime. Uh, so, after some, some great 1994 commercials, we've hit the halftime seven of the show, where we'll come back and uh, we'll talk about Patreon, we'll prop up our streaming friends, hit the plugs, and then we'll come back and go to America where we have a Tommy D show to talk about and Plus, universal uh, uh wrestling superstars too yes the very first match between Sebu and Chris Benoit and some Paul Heyman ECW Jim Crockett stuff all that more after the break that's ominous Presenting McDonald's Double Quarter Pounder with Cheese with two juicy quarter pound patties of beef. Okay, and Beth, where are you going to put the fries and the Coke? The what? With large golden fries and a medium Coke, it's our new Double Quarter Pounder with Cheese Extra Value Meal. Okay, Beth, now where are you going to put the arches? The what? What you want is what you get. The Double Quarter Pounder with Cheese Extra Value Meal. At McDonald's today. Come on, I want to show you there's more to cable than what you see. Gather around. This... Folks, is why I brought you out here. It's fiber 
optic cable. It's going to bring you a better picture than you've ever seen before. Interactive TV. You can get more channels on your TV than you could possibly imagine. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Go off and tell the world what you've learned here today. Yeah, cable. I think I had a pretty good day today. I enlightened a lot of people. Okay, who else? Why use Valvoline motor oil? It's the number one choice of Indy 500 chief mechanics. Daytona 500 chief mechanics. NHRA mechanics. And Baja 1000 mechanics. For use in their race cars and in their own cars. Any more questions? People who know use Valvoline. Listen to this. We cannot tell a lie. Sansone is practically giving cars away during their president's celebration. Over 1,000 Toyotas, Nissan, Mazdas, Lincolns, Mercuries, and GMCs. Over 150 cars priced under $9,999. New car payments as low as $98 per month. Interest down to 4.9%. And we won't tell a lie. Every credit application will be accepted. Sansone Galleria, Route 1 North in Woodbridge, 908-815-0500. Can a cable TV company do much to make things better in your community? In a word, yes. Working through United Way, TKR cable employees help local organizations like this adult day center in Bernard's Township. TKR employees put in hundreds of volunteer hours last year. And in November, we raised over $9,000 for United Way. TKR is working to make life better in your community. TKR Cable Company, your community connection. Glossary Primer, number 55, Rotisserie Geek. I hate these guys. They're eggheads, high-wearing types. Sure, they know their stats over the high school. Blah, 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 blah. Maybe these pencil necks are smarter than I am, but I love the game. And I got a girlfriend. <laughs> nothing but a bunch of rotisserie geeks. Watch Rome, speak Rome. Talk to, phone in, sports talk with a language all its own. Monday through Friday, 10.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1994 commercials. That's the 5th of the halftime segment of the show. We'll begin talking about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And yes, we're pretty much halfway through recording our next show, which is a look at the 30th anniversary of Missy Hyatt being fired by WCW, leading to her sexual harassment lawsuit against the company. And uh, as you would expect, there's a lot of wacky and wild information already on this show. So, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting timing, as we talked about uh, recently on this show being done. But it was something that we had picked months ago, and that's just the way the cookie crumbled. But, uh, yes, it will be a very, very interesting show uh, when this show comes out, which should be in the next week or so. After you listen to this, so because uh, February being a shorter month, oh, this year's leap year, so there's 29 days in February, but still, still shorter than normal. So, uh, yeah, you uh, definitely want to be a part of this at patreon.com slash between the sheets. $5 a month gets you access to that, plus all the other shows that we've done in our seven complete years of the Patreon, and we're deep in year eight now. So, uh, yeah. Plenty of plenty, plenty of audio for that five dollars a month, and of course we have the Titan Gate shows up that we did now on the Patreon and on the main feed is uh, kind of like a 
free listen for you guys to see what the Patreon shows are about. We've got the whole series up there because of the whole Vince McMahon controversy. And we've done all, the, all kinds of other stuff recently that's really cool and interesting. So uh, definitely want to check it out if you haven't checked it out already. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment. $25 as long as you pick a show for the week. Now, if you want to do that, have two shows on your mind just in case the original show that you may want us to do could be something that somebody else has picked on the calendar. It could be something that we may have done in the past that you may have forgotten about that we've done. Uh, get with Father Bix and myself, and uh, we will get with you and make sure that uh, it all works out and we can get a show of your choosing on the air. And yeah, I know we've, <laughs> we're doing, we've been doing this now almost nine years. And there's still a lot of shows that we haven't done. So, uh, especially in the 2000s. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we haven't done yet. So, if you want to hear us talk about a subject, check see if we've done it. If not, then uh, put $25 down and make sure it gets done. So, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. Follow the protocol on the website to get that information to us. 30-day rules in effect. 10-year rules in effect. Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline. So, all that stuff. And you should be good to go. Fifty dollars. I'll send you the lesson for a second on the show if you choose, and a hundred for the whole show if you choose. You don't have to; it's just part of the perks. Patreon.com/slash between the sheets. All right, Big Sweet. I think this week is our new and/or returning patrons. All right. Well, we still got a healthy number of new ones this week. Uh, well, ten new and one upgraded. So, which uh, brings us to uh, I think the highest we've been at in a while i'm trying to remember what the previous high watermark was we're we're at 530 uh current paid patrons right now all right which uh well it says 529 on the information they have but on graftrion that makes us up 11 spots uh i don't know if it's from the last time i looked or what they're saying 11 spots from but we are the 638th most popular podcast on patreon <laughs> all right let's get up there let's get even higher Yes. Let's see if we can get to uh, 612th. I don't know. Let's get in the 500s. Well, yes. So anyway, we would like to thank uh, Greg Sirota, who uh, edited his membership to $25. Thanks, Greg. I I wish everyone was as low maintenance as him. I'm kidding, but just being like, yeah, anything from the 80s. And that's uh, his pick that we'll have in March. Yeah, and he's not the only one who's done that either. And I'm kidding, but still, it's it makes things easier. Now, uh, we'd also like to thank Justin Harp. Thanks, Justin. Joseph Mele. Thanks, Joseph. I'm Hen two five two. Thanks, I'm Hen two five two. I think that's a returning patron. Uh, R W O B. Thanks, R W O B. Art Gallegos. Thanks, Art. Infrared shark rays. Thanks, infrared shark ray wave rays. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Derek Austin. Thanks, Derek. RichardThomasBlog.com. Thanks, RichardThomasBlog.com. Brent Davis. Thanks, Brent. And I'm assuming the last name is not real, but Ray Dude. Thanks, Ray Dude. So thank all you new patrons, old patrons, 
patrons that have been there all the way from the beginning and stayed with us, patrons that have left to come back. We thank all of you for your patronage at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Vix, what's going on in the world of our streaming friends this week at uh, IWTV and Fight TV presented by Triller, whatever it is. All right, IWTV, uh, first looking at the VOD, latest Southern Honor show from February 2nd, Southern Honor 59 went up, which I mentioned mainly because it includes our dear friend Matt Griffin in his guise as the evil IWTV representative, uh, seconding mm-hmm. Adam Priest against Kyle Matthews. Yeah. On a show that also includes Cruel defending the IWTV title against... It says suicide. I don't know if that's TJ Perkins or doing that. I doubt that very seriously. There's just some Southern wrestler now named Suicide, presumably. I just asked for TJ Perkins because, I mean, he does not work the South, and he mainly mainly wears Japan now. He lives in Florida, though, doesn't he? Or did he move back to the West? Oh, I I thought he lived near Vegas. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway. So, yes. That's that. I also didn't realize they have a Jake Roberts Legacy Championship. Yeah, because Jake's involved with them. Ah, okay. Yeah, he's like um, he's like their authority figure or something. Oh, that's nice. That's close to home. Yeah. Anyway, uh, also our friends at uh, PWF Crystal Coast have Goodbye Crystal Coast coming up now, as far as live streams on. Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern, only match listed, at least on the IWTV site right now, is BoJack against Patrick Scott in a Loser Leaves Town match, but I'm sure we're going to get more announced, like a Colby Carino match and whatnot. So that's PWF. Now, uh, Blitzkrieg Pro in Connecticut also has a show Saturday night at 7, uh, titled Everything is Alright, and includes... uh, T.J. Crawford defending their Bedlam title against uh, Marcus Mathers. Cruel against, it just says Heath, so that would, he's just, Heath Slater, Heath Miller is just Heath in TNA, right? So that I guess that's him, right? I have no idea. I think so. Uh, Ishiban versus Aaron Rourke versus Lucas Chase versus Akira in a four-way. Miracle Generation against the Batiri and more. So that's Blitzkrieg Pro. Uh, Limitless Wrestling up in Maine, also running Saturday. They're 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Jeez, a lot of shows at the same time. <laughs> um, Janik Thomas defending their title against Rip Bison. Leo Rush against Alec Price, which should be, in which should be a hell of a match. Uh, Desmond Cole against Charles Mason, and more. More on Saturday, Chris. Mm-hmm. Our friends at Bloodstorm Wrestling. Uh, Eric's promotion. Uh, running New South versus Bloodstorm Pro uh, at the H2O Wrestling Center in Williamstown, New Jersey, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern for a show that includes Tony Deppin against Donnie Primetime, Donnie Janella, Joey's cousin, uh, Hunter Drake against Austin Luke, Braden Toon against Rocket, and do I recognize any of these other names now? So let's say N more. So... Let's see, is that everything? Yes, that's everything for Saturday. So there are going to be four shows streaming simultaneously on IWTV this Saturday. Well, very busy day. Yes. Then Sunday, Beyond Wrestling has a show, Hick, uh, 
What does it say? 6 p.m. Eastern. And they are, aren't they using the NXS type visual on yes. that too? Yes. Okay. Yes, very nice. There you so, go. Yes, it's as IWTV kick. It's like the uh, NXS cover art. Yes. So, main event, Cruel defending the IWTV title against former champion uh, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. Miracle Japan, Miracle what? Miracle Generation defending the uh, tag titles against Waves and Curls. Alec Price against Megan Bain. Leo Rush against Desmond Cole. Brad Hollister versus Desmond Rourke. Uh, Richard Holiday against Marcus Mathers, no DQ. Uh, Janai Kai, Brittany Brooks, and more. So... A little bit more of a loaded uh, Beyond show than they've had lately. You know, some outsiders like uh, Alec Price. Uh, not Alec Price. Leo Rush. What am I talking about? Alec Price is a regular. You know, Tracy Williams being back. So, interesting looking show there. And then, finally, also Sunday, coming up later that night, 10 p.m. Eastern, Prestige has Moment of Violence live from uh, the Vermont, Hollywood, and Los Angeles, California. Main event, Speedball Mike Bailey against Mustafa Ali. Matt Mascara Torada against Ray Orus. Sandra Moon against Jordan Grace. Uh, Prestige tag titles, Sinner and Saint defending against the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Chris Saban against Alan Angels. Sonico against Kushida. And, uh, and more with some of their, you know, uh, more uh, locally-ish West Coast names. Oh, and I missed this. This was at the bottom. Uh, Los Suavecitos taking on the trio of Kevin Blackwood, Alex Shelley, and Tiger Mask 4. And an interesting mix of Japanese talent with the uh, natives here. Yes, and I'm curious how much... I mean, he lives in L.A., so you don't have to pay for any travel, but I'm curious how much Kushida is charging that we're honestly not seeing him on more indie dates. Uh, who, who knows? Maybe this is his call. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Speedball against uh, Mustafa Ali should be a hell of a main event. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it seems like, you know, Mustafa Ali does... I keep saying the name wrong. Mustafa Ali keep Like, you know, he is not charging a small uh, booking fee. But by all accounts, it seems like he's drawing both selling tickets and drawing new eyeballs to streams and stuff. So... It seems like he's earning that money beyond just also, you know, putting on great matches. Well, I mean, if he's able to bring fans in, then yeah, it's well worth it if you got the money to do it. You know, I mean, just that simple. So anyway, if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, sign up at independentwrestling.tv. Use code BTSPOD, and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored no, by... I didn't, I didn't do a trailer I'm, yet. Oh, oh okay. Well, that went, so, that went so fucking long, I thought you did both of them. <laughs> So, uh, what do we have here? 9 p.m. Eastern on the 23rd, which is Friday. We got GCW Touch the Sky. Let's see where this one's from. Uh, oh, from Gillies in Dallas, Chris. Yeah, I've seen all that. 
But that's yeah. a, wait, the original Gillies. Oh no 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 no. I mean no, the Gillies no, that... the Gillies that Texas All Star ran was in Pasadena, right? And it burned down. So oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, the full yeah, that ain't is, it. <laughs> this is a Gillies franchise. I see. Not franchise. A, se- a this is a second location. No, I mean, they re- I, 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 or is this the primary one now? No, I just think they they built another one and used the Gillies brand because Mickey Gillies dead, um, so he's not involved in it. Um, it seems like they have multiple locations. They're they're, they're using they're just using the branding. Yeah, wait. There's one in Vegas. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Okay, this website though does not actually appear to be about the current clubs, but still, on some level, it's wrestling returning to Gillies. That's kind of cool. They should. Is Billy Bob's Texas still open? That would be even better. Oh, I don't know. Let's see, uh, yes, Billy Bob's Texas is still open. Hmm. Someone should run there. So anyway, yeah, it doesn't actually have the matches listed on Fight for this one. I did not open the Twitter, but I'm think I'm going to bother for this one. I mean, it's it's GCW. You know what you're getting at this point. Um, is that the that's the only GCW show listed for this week? And then uh, IWC in Pittsburgh also has a show on the 24th, so uh, Saturday night at 7 Eastern. That includes uh, in his return the the. Elijah, WWE's Elias, because I guess he was originally a Pittsburgh guy. I think so. So he'll be there. Uh, Katie Arquette will be there, depending her women's title and more. So that's uh, IWC there, which I, I was trying to think. Like, I don't know when Norm sold the promotion. So have, have they been around longer without Norm Connors as promoter than they were with Norm Connors as promoter? Probably. Yeah, probably so. And Norm had a good run, too. It's not like it was short. Oh, no. So, anyway. You're not already a Fight Triller TV Plus Powered by Fight subscriber. Uh, Go to... What what am I saying? Go to tinyurl.com slash BTS Triller, and uh, you can use that as our referral link, both for uh, signing up for Plus or also for buying iPay-per-views, so... There you go. Now now go into the VPN spiel. Finally? Okay. Yeah. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. You can use incognito mode, your nurse provider storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and routes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider at network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geo-block content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes to easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and is just ranking the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up Private Internet Access right now, you take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's talk about that as we offer three different packages for you guys. So you can go monthly at eleven ninety five a month. Yearly, three dollars thirty three cents a month for thirty nine ninety five a year. Or you can go with the number one package, three years plus four free months, a dollar ninety eight a month, seventy nine dollars for the first three years. Yearly thereafter, the best damn deal in the business. And why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. 
And if you get it right now, you can take advantage of private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just return it for full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to the year 2000. We got a lot going on here as WCW is in a state of turmoil, which no surprise there. And they're always in a state of turmoil. But this is the era where uh, Kevin Sullivan's the booker pre-Vince Russo, pre and post-Vince Russo in the middle. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just wackiness. Hulk Hogan's doing Hulk Hogan things. You got television, which is out of control. It's just a wild company. So uh, we'll have uh, all kinds of stuff there on WCW. You got Kenny Kobashi winning the Triple Crown in all Japan, plus uh, news on a possible split coming up in that promotion. And we'll have all kinds of other news from Japan, including uh, Big Japan and CZW getting hooked up for the first time. Oh. And uh, we have the King of Kings and Rings to talk about, featuring Dan Henderson and all kind of stuff like that. And uh, Mexico Paraguayo makes his return to Mexico after a seven-year absence. We'll have news on that. Plus, Mil Mascaras is running for Senate in Mexico and is pissed off at Gong Magazine in Japan. So, yeah, we have that. We have a... Uh, a story that's going to be uh, interesting to talk about in many ways is uh, Jim Thompson, a.k.a. ML Curley, of Detroit News, gets arrested for uh, child molestation. So we'll have news on that. And, uh, yeah, what a story that was back in that time. So, uh, man, it's 20, almost 25 years. That's crazy. Um, ECW and Sabu will have an update on their little relationship, plus uh, – TNN tapings during our week and other stuff. The Super 8 and ECWA. We'll talk about that. Um, Norm Connors on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. We'll talk about that. Which, by the way, I know we won't watch the whole segment or anything, but it is on YouTube and I did add it to the notes. Okay. We'll have the Memphis Wrestling Wars to talk about. And uh, a big XPW show where Shane Douglas shows up. And Raw at the Georgia Dome. We'll have uh, that rundown plus uh, SmackDown and Mick Foley retirement match at the time on the uh, No Way Out pay-per-view. So all that more next week on a loaded between the sheets. You know, I was kind of surprised that you didn't save the past leap year for the week of with the 29th. I'm just going by the count by things how they line up on the calendar. I mean, do you we know? have anything besides like oh four, oh eight, twenty twelve? Do we have anything that we haven't done from uh, leap years? I don't know. I'm just going with what matches up. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to do right now, right. if I can. If not, then I'll have to go to the newer years. Okay. But I'm trying to fill in the gaps on the old t- years first. I know. I always like to have a 29th, so if we're in a leap here, but there we um, go. So that's next week. Hi, you follow me on Twitter, Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Big Set, David Fix. And um, you didn't do any uh, other podcast appearances in the last week, did you, that I know of? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. So we don't have that. Um, 
I may have something else out next. Well, we'll talk about it next week if it's out by then. The thing I told you about before we started. <clears throat> but, I mean, we look at what's going on since we uh, last recorded this segment. You know, as we recorded this segment last week, they had the whole WWE uh, Las Vegas extravaganza going on. So now we know it's going to be Cody and Roman at WrestleMania. And uh, where does Rock fit in and all that? Who knows? That's a big question right now. Well, I mean, they'll be on SmackDown Friday as after we record this. So we'll see how that goes for Mania. If we're going to get a tag match on night one or something involving The Rock. So there's that. Um, the the uh, Vince stuff, we get, you know, Tim Marchman's had some stuff come out. Um, yeah, that came out on Friday morning. So we probably should talk about that since that was after we last uh recorded which was that uh, he got a hold of something that was not in her finalized affidavit from the concussion lawsuit that had the you know Kuwait allegation and stuff in it um but that she was willing to swear to and that you know not just the sanctioned Constantine Kairos but that other lawyers on the case you know attested to being genuine um I mean should I just read it it's not this is, and this is Ashley Massaro that I thought I said Ashley Massaro. You just said she. Oh, sorry. I thought I said Ashley Massaro. Um, let, let me just read this. So this is the paragraph that did not end up in the final affidavit that he reported on last week. During my time with the WWE, I had observed Vince McMahon making out with other divas in the locker room, but he never paid attention to me, and I assumed and assu- I assumed I was not his type. This changed after my Playboy cover was released. I was fortunate enough to be allowed to to fly on the company jet and stay at the same hotels as the executives for a period of time so that I could get home faster to spend more time with my daughter. On one of these occasions, Vince was attempting to get me alone with him in his hotel room late at night, and I felt extraordinarily uncomfortable. He began calling the hotel room phone and my cell phone nonstop. I called Kevin Dunn to explain the situation and he said I should tell Vince I was not feeling well and would see him on TV the next day, so I did. Immediately after that night, Vince started writing my promos for me. Vince does not write promos for the female wrestlers. That is the job of the creative department. And he certainly wouldn't have, under any normal circumstances, written a promo for me. But he did, and the promos were written with the clear intention of ruining my career. I brought the first script Vince wrote for me to the WWE employee in charge of creative at the time, Michael Hayes, and he said, You're not saying this. Who the fuck wrote this? I told him that Vince did. He said, Well, kid, these are the breaks. Meaning that Vince wanted to end my career and destroy my reputation on my way out. He is known for this type of behavior, and also this too redacted upon her departure from WWE. In addition, after that night... Each time I walked by him, he would make vulgar sexual comments that were clearly designed to make me uncomfortable. And the redacted name is because there is kind of the implication that the other woman she's talking about did reject a sexual advance from Vince. So since she's not coming forward, I don't know if she was available for comment. They're leaving her name out. So, I mean, it's her account corroborating other stuff. You know, it's gets to some of the stuff Paul London has said that she told him about, you know, about Vince trying to, like, 
hound her at her hotel and whatnot. Um, well, you saw the newest thing, right? Uh, that Rene Dupree said on his latest podcast that the same thing happened with Jackie Gata. Has she? I mean, are we to assume she told him this and that it was okay for him to say that? I haven't watched the clip yet. I saw the tweet, though. I mean, I, mean, I just said that that he was... I guess something he may have seen himself. I don't know that he was that, that Vince was being that kind of way towards her. Yeah, he's um, trying to ruin ruin her because she turned him down. That's what I'm talking about. Ru- right, ruin that's her what I thought you meant. Down. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Not um, like Vince actually did anything to Jackie Gaeta. Beyond, but that, that. No, yeah. that, that, that he was wanting to, obviously, but it never made that far. And then she turned him down, and he decided he was going to. Uh, Ruin her career. Yeah, and how about the thing about openly making out with the other some of the other talent in the locker room? I mean, <laughs> I'm not surprised, a, but I'm curious. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to speculate, but I am curious at who who that was. <laughs> I mean, the who? other thing is, if, I mean, if that's true, and I think we're assuming she's telling the truth here. That does make you wonder about which rumors were more than just rumors. If people were speaking to firsthand, you know, experiences that they of things they witnessed with some of the rumors about Vince affairs with Talon over the years, um, it just makes you it just makes you wonder who it was. The Playboy thing is also interesting because it makes you wonder if that's another pattern. And I want to make it clear: this is not. Please don't use this to guess, especially since it's a finite number of women about who Vince might have harassed. But the reason I bring that up, if you look at the timing of when Emily Feinberg got promoted to being Vince's uh, personal assistant from being Dick Glover's secretary, it was within weeks at most of her Playboy issue coming out. And then, uh, like, within a week or two of her episode of Video Centerfold premiering on... uh, Playboy TV, according to TV listing. So, interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not going to speculate on any names. Yeah, no, but, yeah. But I, I definitely am curious who, who that would have been. That is for sure. As far as the the who the who's Vince was acted here. Uh, well, no, Vince, who who was Vince oh, making, making out, out with? Oh, the making out. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. People are working on stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah. people should definitely listen to to um, to Marchman on uh, Pollock and Thurston from this week, too, if they have not yet. Yeah. Very good. If you yeah. want to get a better understanding of, like, the reporting process behind all this. So. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what's next. Um, I mean, it just it. I feel like on top of just who he might have harassed, it just in general, like, I think we're only scratching the surface of, like, just all the weird, like, retaliatory booking and all that. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think we had suspicions, but I think it's become, like, 100% clear now that this is something he did on the regular. You see, who was it that, was it Foley... That said that, I think maybe Foley's one that just said this. I just saw the other day that because you know on this WWE just did the 25th anniversary of the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre pay per view, 
and it was mentioned something that somebody said, it may have been Foley, how they noticed a market change in Vince's attitude and his mindset once he started wrestling and taking bumps and chair shots to the head and stuff like that. That Vince, you know, had his issues before, but he became like a different person in ways. Yeah, and like it, the public behavior changes a lot to how much of that is being a heel wrestling character and how much of that is head injuries. Probably both. Um, yeah, I mean, we, it's not, it's obviously not an excuse, but like, no, no, where, no, where I'm going with that though is like, we, I think we all get the feeling there are probably a good bit more Rita Chatterton's and Ashley Massaro's out there. I'm not sure how many other Janelle Grants are out there. And, you know, with her... I would she, hope none. Well, well what she yes, went through. You get what I'm saying, though. Like, especially his sloppiness with the texting and everything. Like, I had someone mention that to me. Like, I think it was actually like, within the last day or so. That, like, you do kind of wonder, is this something... Like, has he gotten worse because of shit like that? Yeah. So. Who knows? So. I'm sure, but anyway. I'm sure more is going to come out, but yeah, let's get back to the rest of the show. And also we have a lot ahead of us to record on the uh, Patreon show. All right, we're back here and let's go to the U.S. As we have Tommy D, Tommy D promotions. They ran Ridgewood, Queens on February 19th in front of 450 fans. No venue listed, but a salad crowd, whatever it was. Yeah. SD Jones over Damian Stone. That would be uh, Little Guido, James Maritato. Yes. Then you have Chris Michaels over Mr. X. Doint the Clown, Steve Kern under the gimmick over Tony Atlas. And Metal Maniac over Bodyguard for Hire. That would be uh, Mike Cruel's dad, Bodyguard for Hire. Yes. And I'm trying to think where in Ridgewood this would be. If it's at a school or something thing because i don't think there was many school gym shows by this point um ridgewood grove arena is not a thing anymore and hasn't been a decade at this for a decade at this point um wasn't there a place that evolved ran briefly that was in or near ridgewood maybe oh what was that no but that was technically in brooklyn wasn't it the lyceum or whatever it was yeah i don't think they ever ran a ridgewood deal yeah. Oh. Actually, wait. No, there's no way a Tommy D promotion show in 1994 would be at Queens Brewery, right? Probably not. Because Queen, yeah, Queens Brewery is technically in Ridgewood, and that's a place that's housed some indie shows in recent years. But I, I, yeah, I'm not sure what venue this would be. Yeah. But very New York show, as is this one, which is not only does not have a venue listed, but does not even say what borough it's in. Universal Wrestling Superstars in New York City on February 20th. We have Gino Caruso oh, oh. Of, of a Metal Maniac. American Ninja over Hollywood Kid. Chris Michaels and Tito Santana over Mr. X and the Kodiak Bear. Woof. Bodyguard for Hire over Damian Stone. And then Dwight the Clown went to no contest with Tony Atlas. But the big news of this show is we have Metal Maniac, but no Jimmy Snuka. On either show. Yeah. Hmm. How about that? Yeah. Kodiak Bear is only on one of them for some reason. 
Yeah. Uh, Hollywood Kid's only on one of them. And so, it, was it Bo who explained to us that this Chris Michaels is not the one who ends up... No, totally different guy. Ducky. Okay. I always thought totally different was guy. I remember a Chris Michaels in that in Kentucky being billed from Long Island is the thing. Yeah, we ain't him because that Chris Michaels that was smoking mountain was a, had a blonde mullet. But the I thought the the Chris Michaels who was working in New York City Indies had a blonde mullet. And they, I I've watched a Chris Michaels from New York match recently and they are not the same guy. Chris USA Michaels. Yes, not the same guy. Okay. Um, definitely not the same guy. Oh yeah, okay. Pre- what is it? Predator Pro Wrestling ran a show in 2016 that included Jake Roberts, Paul Orndorff, and Chris USA Michaels. <laughs> they just did a search for Chris USA Michaels. Yeah. So there that is. All right, let's move on to. Oh, this was in Long Beach. At a time I still lived in Long Beach, and I had no idea the show was happening. Okay. <laughs> the first meeting of Sabu versus Kristen Wall took place on February 19th in Woodbury, New Jersey, where an estimated 750 fans was just shy of a sellout. Reports received rage for three and a half to four and a half stars, most giving it down the middle, four stars. Sabu missed a moonsault outside the ring, hit a table, and was counted out of the ring. However, Benoit refused to accept the count on win. That's for five more minutes, and this time Sabu's manager, Tony Rumble, interfered, causing Benoit to get pinned. Early in the car, they ran an angle where they announced that Benoit was going to receive an award from the Mexican promotion called AAA, and his friend Atlantis came in to present the award to him. It wound up being Jerry Lawler wearing an Atlantis mask, who wasn't even advertised on the card, and who naturally clocked Benoit on the head with the plaque, which is an old angle done numerous times on American Heels and their masters in Bio Santo, etc., and hitting Dusty Rhodes, whomever the top local face is with the plaque for the Mexican office. And Lawler had that angle in, in 1981 when Austin Idol came in as uh, El Diamante Negro. Yes. And did it. I want to see Jerry Lawler in Atlantis mask. That sounds amazing. I think amazing. there's video of this, isn't there? I've never seen it. Lawler claimed that since sure Benoit... Ma- I'm pretty sure at least the main event is out there. Lawler claimed that since Benoit was a friend of Bret Hart's, he hated him too. <laughs> Matt Bourne was in as Doink, and Lawler blamed him for losing the bread at SummerSlam, and Lawler pinned him in an unadvertised match. On March 26th in Woodbury, we will have Lawler and Benoit in the main event, which isn't exactly playing towards either man's strength as a worker. So, Jerry Lawler and Atlantis mask. That just, that's amazing. All right, February 19th, at Dennis Corlusa's NWA New Jersey show, Woodbury. We have Ray Odyssey over Jimmy Shoulders. Cloudy. Frank Finnegan over the Kodiak Bear. Frank Finnegan would end up being, uh, later that year, uh, Paul White's first pro wrestling opponent. That's correct. Abuda Singh, the future uh, Balls Mahoney B. Bradley, over Akuma Bushido. No idea. The Spiders, one and two, headbangers over Chris Evans and Ed the Razor. So, okay, even though he's split from Larry, we still have some of the Larry guys working for Dennis. Jerry Lawler over Dwight the Clown, Ricky Blues over East L.A., and Sabu over Chris Benoit. Huh. I love that Lawler angle. Oh, man, I wish I could, I've seen, I wish I could see that. <laughs> In a professionally shot environment, too. That'd be even better. But well, that, that uh, one, I, 
The long-awaited first television taping of Jim Crockett Jr.'s World Wrestling Network promotion is scheduled February 28th at the Manhattan Center in New York. The old tape is filed for Monday Night Raw. Because of all sorts of problems having to do with the commission licensing of the show, the local advertising was set to begin as of February 23rd. But, 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 I know. What? The promotion set up a phone number for ticket information for the car, which will be a three-hour-long demo television taping. With the headline matches being Road Warrior Hawk and Nails, Terry Funk against Sabu, Public Air versus Bad Company. That's Tanaka and Diamond. With Paul E. Davis as the booker, the car will be rounded out larger by wrestlers that have been working for ECW. Yes. Well, let's transition to ECW. Paul E. Davis is still handling the booking for Todd Gordon, although there may be problems in the future. Since Danis is going to work for Crockett full time when WN gets going, mm-hmm. which is meant to be Im- imminently. And wants Gar- Gordon to be part of WN. But Gordon seems to want to promote shows independently on his own, rather than be part of a large promotion. Also, what large promotion is there when it's been in the newsletters for months that their money guy pulled out? Well, we still have more. Let's go to the torch. ECW promoter Todd Gordon has chosen not to link up with Jim Crockett's upstart WN. As a result, Booker and lead heel manager Paulie Dangerson will depart ECW in early March after the March 5th ECW Arena show. Chances are Kevin Sullivan, Terry Funk, or another veteran will take over booking of the house shows. Gordon is already sending out feelers for a new lead heel manager to bring in. Without Heyman post-producing the TV show, the look of the program will likely change. Well. So if we go by what Todd wrote in his book, it's probably right after the Manhattan Center taping that Paulie comes into his office. It's like, crack it. <laughs> but. Here we are at this time, point in time, you know, it's uncertainty, in, in, at least in the newsletter. Yeah. You know? This taping is basically the last anyone ever hears of the WWN. Yes. Well, aside from the uh, the pilot that aired on the Pedicino block that you saw. Yeah. Which I have never seen hair no hide of. Like, I've never seen it. Like, if you had not mentioned seeing that, I would have no idea that existed. That there was a professionally produced pilot that was out there somewhere. It aired. So at this point, it's Channel 14? or I thought you didn't get Channel 14. No, I didn't, but I saw it at my brother's house. Oh, okay. He got Channel 14. All right. NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling TV show for our week here. We have the Wade Rundown. Means if you open the program, feature highlights of the three-way ECW heavyweight title match with Shay Douglas, Terry Funk, and Sabu. Yes, the night line was crossed. Todd Gordon announced the NWA board of directors have named Douglas number contender for Funk's ECW title. Stipulations will be announced next week. Also announced from March 5th was Royal Hawk versus Mr. Hughes, and Sabu defending the TV title against Mike Awesome. Paulie Danielson pasted into the picture with Gordon to complain about Douglas being deemed number contender instead of Sabu. Gordon yelled at him to leave. Douglas, managed by Sherry, beat, and Chad Austin never got going. As Dangerously distracted Douglas, as 911 flipped Austin out of the ring, and Sabu attacked Douglas from behind. After a couple minutes of brawling, a dozen wrestlers broke up the fight. JT Smith and Tommy Cairo, Iron Man Tommy Cairo, beat the Pitbull and Rock and Rubble, managed by Jason, when Smith pinned Pitbull with a victory roll. Then we have Mr. Hughes and Jason talking about the match with Hawk. 
Tommy Dreamer's kicking out of Jimmy Snooker Superfly Leap was replayed. Mr. Hughes squashed Pat Myers. Rebel Pitbull and Jace confront the Sandman and Peaches in mid-rig. Rebel threw a liquid at Sandman's face. Sandman blung wildly, hit Peaches with the cane in mid-ring. Sandman then left without tending the Peaches. So there was a Sandman blinding angle before the Sandman blinding angle. Yes. Okay, that's not confusing at all. Tony Stetson and Johnny Hotbody lost to the Bruise Brothers. During the match, Stetson and Hotbody did, didn't want to tag into the match. Well, gee, I wonder why. Uh, Tasman and Kevin Sullivan beat the Young Dragons. Relentlessly uh, uh, Whipwreck and Lori under mask. Yeah, until the referee stopped the match. And the Bruise Brothers Public Enemy ball with Taz and Sullivan and threw a brawl. Public Enemy into the show with a promo. Analysis. A good job was done establishing the latest twist in ongoing feuds. And it had scorecard by Wade Keller, but we never got a scorecard. Oh, I was about to ask, did you delete the scorecard? No, apparently not. It just wasn't there. Um, okay, this this reminds me of something I've wondered. Because I haven't watched all the TV from this era. Was Gary Wolf ever called Pitbull Psycho Mike on TV? Or is that just some weird aftermath thing? I haven't seen all of the TV or really a whole lot of this TV from this era. So I can't confirm or deny. I think I've seen Mikey winning the TV title from him. And by I don't think they call him Pitbull Psycho Mike. Like like the aftermags do. So I've always wondered what the deal with that was like. Some some of those PWI things you can make sense of, like, okay, I get why they're calling him B. Mahoney. Um, <laughs> I don't get why they're calling Sean Waltman just the kid. Because um, that's what he was called by the boys. I don't think that's the reason, though. That's right. Well, it may, may not be the reason. I, I don't know. I mean, it might be the reason. I mean, they're using the vernacular the boys use. I don't know. Maybe. Um... I'm trying to remember, what ends up being the catalyst, too, for Sandman to actual turn? I mean, I know it's coming out of this. I know they're setting it up. But I don't remember, like, how does he end up, like, deciding that he thinks that Peaches was cheating on him with Cairo and pay your bills and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I was going to say, 94, I am very dark on a lot of, because I have not really watched a lot of it. At least till later in the year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's the, what uh, expertise. Still have the original up. theme song at this point too. Oh, of course. For if you uh, also if you want to subscribe to Sports Illustrated and get a shoe phone, that's all. Well, yeah. All right, let's go to a promotion I completely had no knowledge of even existing. Championship Wrestling of Georgia. Not to be confused with Championship Wrestling from Georgia. They're in a show in Smyrna. On February 19th, home of the WCW offices. Keep that in mind as I announce who's on this show. Well, I don't think the Smyrna office existed yet in 94, right? Well, that's where it would be. Yeah. Uh, but not yet. The Flying Hawaiian on FS Quaifa over Panama Jack. Is there any reason to think that was, was Quaifa and that he was already wrestling and based out of Georgia? Uh, you never know. Loverboy Lee Thomas beat the Punisher. Bull Buchanan by disqualification. So he was Punisher pre-Smokey sometimes? He, yes. I thought he was just Sunset Sam McGraw. 
I think he did some of both. Okay. Ken Arden and Billy Montana over the Nasty Critters. Medieval Man over Chris Blade. And then our main event. Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio beat Tex Slasinger and Shanghai Pierce. Gotta love so here uh, we... Mel... Is this Melter or Keller? This is uh, Dave. Gotta love him spelling Slashinger phonetically. <laughs> Slashinger, yes. But I have no knowledge of this. And WCW guys work in this indie show here in Smyrna. Yeah, I did not realize they were taking outside dates in this era. Yeah, that's something. Well, speaking of Georgia Indies, Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers, who tagged for years, worked against each other on February 19th at the Pete's State Wrestling Show in Clarkville, Georgia, where Smothers working as heel teaming with Steve the Brawler Lawler against uh, Steve teaming with his brother Scott Armstrong. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Sounds like a good match. See the brawl all I love him. Love him as a worker. Wish he would have been seen by more people. And uh, Tra- him and Tracy sound like a really fun team together. Yeah. Uh, so. Before we get to Smokey, I did, I did, I was able to download the uh, Reese dub of our week's show. Do we want to hear the Heyman promo? Or, I mean, we're past that now. Okay. I just, I wanted to make sure, because, you know, as we talk about on here sometimes, like, you know, his work as an actual manager in ECW is, I think, historically now, very underrated. Yeah. Oh, and the the tag main event is the source of the clip of, uh, is it Sullivan? That throwing the table that's in the opening for a little bit after this. Yeah. All right, uh, speaking about wrestling. Spoken Man Tag Titles changed hands twice over the weekend outside of territory. On February 18th in Port Huron, Michigan, the Rock and Roll Express regained tag titles from Heavenly Bodies. But the titles switched back on February 19th in Taylor, Michigan. And these are both the uh, Gary Warren Jack Midwest Territorial Wrestling Shows. And we have results. February 18th in Port Huron, we have Otis Apollo over the Irish Assassin. Is that Chris Car- uh, b- 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 what's his face? McTierney? No, no, no. Okay. Chris Carter from Muhammad Saad over Denny Cass and Al Snow. So that would be uh, the Freedom Fighters over the new Fabulous Kangaroos. Yeah. Mike Kelly over Mickey Doyle. Andy Fish over Judge Dredd. Scott Stevens over Scott Summers. Johnny Canine over Scott Damore. Boba Brazil Jr. went to no double count with Sabu. And then Rock and Rolls Over the Bodies in the main event. Then uh, on February 19th, we have a Smoky Mountain show in Hickory. Yeah, we don't actually have results for uh, Taylor. It's about the same type of show. Okay. That's why I didn't put it in there. In Hickory, North Carolina, at the Fred T. Ford F-O-A-R-D High School in, in Newton, North Carolina, which is outside of Hickory. Same deal. Bobby Blaze over Curtis Thompson. Moondog Rex and Moondog Spot over the Battens. Tracy Smothers over Chris Candido. Dirty White Boy retains Smoking Mountain Todd being primetime Brian Lee. And Tracy Smothers won a Battle Royal. Okay. Um, so, yes, Midwest Territorial Wrestling. Interesting little gimmick they did here. I guess just it makes, makes Smokey sound like a bigger deal, I suppose. 
Yeah. Yeah. Same part of the country where the bodies uh, had their SummerSlam match against the Steiners several months earlier. So I don't know if that was part of the equation. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was because of something you said, because I hadn't looked at the notes yet. Uh, if it was something you said about this show or what that I was thinking the other day about how, like, is there any footage of Al Snow basically between, like, working as a job guy in 1982 and then, like, the Sabu matches later in 94? Basically, no. Because I, I wondered, like, what does his work look like until that Sabu run? Like, does Ooh. he look like this, you know, best-kept secret in wrestling that he looks like as the year goes on? Or is that him, like, adapting and changing his style and seeing an opportunity? You know, because we've talked about it a little bit recently. Like, you really think about it. His career arc is insane. He yeah. was the journeyman of journeymans going nowhere on the indies. Yeah. For over a decade. He had been wrestling for 12 years. Going nowhere, just sticking around Michigan and, you know, Ontario and Ohio. And then the Sabu thing clicks, and he starts out the matches with Benoit and other guys, and all of a sudden he's on people's radar, you know. And and they and he's not uh, one of the new kangaroos anymore. <laughs> uh, as far as other things on this story, yeah, Sabu and Bobo Brazil Jr. That that sounds like a match with wrestlers in it. Judge Dredd, of course, along for the ride with Sabu, uh, Scott Demore and Johnny Canine, huh? Yeah. Those are two people who have a lot of things in common. <laughs> They're both pro wrestlers. They're both on this show. They're both from the Detroit Windsor area. Both Canadian. Yeah. A lot of things they have in common. <laughs> Whatever you say, Bix. By the way, did you know Scott Demore's family owns the largest waste disposal? Uh, oh, no, excuse me. God damn it. Construction company in Ontario. I did not know that. Well, good for him. Wait. Yes? All right. Smoky Mountain Wrestling <laughs> Television. You know that awkward pause is going to be gone after I do the editing. On television this weekend, they did a similar day. We're outside the, Smoky, the first Smoky Mountain Wrestling board meeting since Bob Armstrong regained the commissionership. They showed Bob throwing an unnamed person out of the boardroom with the idea being it was Harry White. The heel commissioner in Courtney's pocket. Wait a second. And, and Armstrong announced he had put together a match in Marietta in a cage against Cornette. Well, we're going to watch it. So let's see how this plays out. How many times did Harry White's name come up on Smokey TV? A lot. More than like even The Observer and other inside references did. Hi, wrestling fans. I am Brian Matthews reporting for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We are at an office building in downtown Knoxville. It is Monday, February the 14th. It's about we are at an office building in downtown Knoxville. Okay. Mm -hmm. 15 after 9, and there has been a called meeting of the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Board of Directors with the new commissioner, Bullet Bob Armstrong. And we understand that the fur is flying and he's making some changes in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Oh, what in the? Oh, my God. I, but Mr. Armstrong, what are you doing? Oh, my God. 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 O
I'm sure Brian Matthews enjoyed that. <laughs> what well, you really, you really just laid that one on thick, didn't you? There would be a very limited amount of people that'll get that joke. Yeah, I mean, his performances as an announcer and Smokey were not very good. They they knocked him stiff, you know. <laughs> so who is this person? This is not actual Harry White, is it? Uh, I doubt it. It looks like a, a skinny, old, emaciated Sam Kennison. Do we know what Casey O'Connor looked like back then? Uh, no, no, no idea. Armstrong, what oh, no, that's it for you, brother. Jeez, that ain't come on, brother. Oh, my God. Oh, that's just half of it. Jeez. And you stay there. All right, brother. Man. That's your crooked board of director right there that you and your mama paid for out on his ear, and he's going to have a sore fanny to boot. There's going to be some changes made here, I'll tell you that much. And two things I've done personally. Now I'm going to be able to be at my own family reunion in Marietta, Georgia. And I've already signed and been approved by the rest of the board of directors for a cage match one-on-one, Cornette, me and you. And for all you folks in the Smoky Mountain area that have had to put up with him these last few months, Bullet Bob going to take care of business. Now, he was pretty smart. I couldn't get him one-on-one. He said, I'll do it in the handicap. Let me check a, pick a partner. So he said he's going to pick Redneck, the captain himself, Dick Murdoch. Well, take him. Bring him on. I'll wrestle both of you. I'll do whatever I have to do to get to you. And I want to show everybody in these Smoky Mountains how to drop that hog, brother. I may have to drop two of them, but to get to you, Cornette, I'll have it done, brother. And I ain't through yet. There's some more things I'm taking care of as we speak. Fans, there you have it. Bullet Bob Armstrong is causing chaos with the board of directors of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Well, Bob Armstrong... Dropping that hog? <laughs> Whatever that means. Isn't that what Two Cold Scorpio does after he enjoys a meal at Huddle House? <laughs> yeah. I All guess right, it's your idea of a little joke. I guess that's your sixth sense of humor that the paperwork about my appeal to get the decision reversed and have you replaced as commissioner gets accompanied by a cameraman following me in the locker room to get my comments on exactly what's going on in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I did everything I could do. I did everything in my power. That's exactly right. To make sure that you never be the commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling again. But you foiled me again when you beat Terry Funk in Knoxville. Now, not only have you assumed the commissionership again, but you've also got past a little ruling that you shoved through with all your good buddies that you shake hands with just like that on the board of directors saying that whenever I need to, whenever I need to put my foot down and right some wrongs, I can wrestle now as well as be commissioner. That smacks to me of conflict of interest, bullet Bob Armstrong. I'll tell you what it smacks to me of, bribery. And I'm going to prove that you're a crooked politician one way or another yet. And I'll tell you something else I'm going to do. I am going to get Dick Murdoch. Yeah, the rumors that you've heard are true. Because if you want me, brother, the only way you're going to get me is in a handicap match where I've got a partner because I've never claimed to be a wrestler. But remember this, Armstrong. The men that I manage and me put you in a hospital once before, and we can do it again. Captain Redneck beat you right in the middle of the ring, one, two, three, in the Knoxville Civic Coliseum on Christmas night. And he's one of the baddest men in wrestling and one of the baddest men walking the face of the planet. So that's the way it's going to be at Golden Week 94. Me and Dick Murdoch in a handicap match against you, Bob Armstrong. 
And one way or another, I'm going to see that Murdoch gives you that brain buster, breaks that big fat neck of yours and sends you back to the hospital and relieves you once again as commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And as for the Armstrong Family Reunion, Marietta, Georgia, Cobb Civic Center, on Thursday night, March the 10th, I realize you're attempting to mutilate me. But they don't call me Houdini Cornet for nothing. And one way or another, Armstrong, I will live to see the following day. But I'm not sure that you will have a good family reunion because it might be the last time the whole gang's all together ever again. Robbery, hey, robbery, robbery, himself, sure robbery, Bob. You sit you there and you can do all this liberal talk you want to talk about. Bob Armstrong is a crook, he's a thief, he's he's managled himself in there, he's finagled this, he's finagled that. Wait a minute. Hold on just a second. I don't mean to interrupt everything, but Chris Candido, I heard right. you running your mouth out there and he's hollering how you're going to put your money. Who is this that Tracy's brought out here? That is uh, young Robbie Eagle. It is? Yep. That's what he looked like? Oh, I guess that is the stroke. Jeez. Yeah, that's him. If you had not told me that, I would not have figured that out. Like, once you said it was like, okay, yeah, that's him, he looks almost like a completely different human being. Well, he kind of (laughs) was. At that point in time. Because he's not even the stroke yet. He's very, I mean, he's very, very young. But, yeah. So. All right. We can watch all this stuff. Next on Smoky Mountain Wrestling, a major contract signing. Let's go to uh, Bob and Dutch. And dirty with Dutch. I am John Bobby. And what are you doing with that now? This week, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, it was announced that Smoky Mountain Wrestling has signed a tag team to come in here soon. And it is, they're described as, by experts, as probably one of the greatest teams of all time. And more, more than likely, the team of the 90s. Let's go right now to a contract signing of the thrill seekers, Lance Storm and Chris Jericho. Watch this, and we'll be right back. Okay, fans, a momentous moment in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We are here today to finalize and officialize a long-term contract between a brand-new team that's coming into the area, the Thrill Seekers and Smoky Mountain. Okay, who do we have here? All right, so we obviously got Tim Horner. Uh, What's her name? The female employee they had? Uh, Pam Lawson. That's got to be Pam Lawson. That's got to be Casey O'Connor. And Sandy, Sandy Scott, Scott and Brian Hildebrand. Brian, Brian Hildebrand. Then we got Bob, Bullet Bob, Dutch, and the Thrill Seekers. <laughs> so everybody's there but Jimmy. Naturally. Was Horner ever office in storyline? Uh, no. But he, there. I think there was a time when they actually did talk about him promoting shows in Morristown. Okay. And had he been wrestling much at, around this time? He was Kendo. I don't think he's Kendo yet, is he? Not this early, no. Okay, so I just searched Cage Match. He has no matches in 1994 until March 15th. Well, about in that? Albany, Kentucky. Um, then he subs for Morton at a show in Bar- at the Barberville show with the 60-minute uh, marathon match against the Bodies. And then uh, at the next TV on April 4th, he doesn't wrestle until then, when he debuts as Kendo the Samurai, defeating uh, Brian Logan. All right. So, yeah. So he has not been around for a bit at this point. Oh, yeah. Then after he leaves Smokey later in the year, he has a New Japan tour, which I did not I remember. remember. That. I remember that. There are some weird matches here. No, let's not, let's not go. Let's not go. I know. Let's, 
Get back to the clip. All right. What a group of people. And you're right, based on who we know is in the office, that does have to be Casey in the middle. What what wonderful uh, hair that Horner has for this, too. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Storm with the Sipowitz look, with the short yeah. sleeves and the tie, Jericho looking kind of westernish, like he just uh, patronized Robert O'Connor, and then Dutch and Bullet are in their usual. Wrestling. Now, in attendance today, of course, to my left... Bob Armstrong and the Commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And to my right over here, you will notice Tim Horner, who is the, the event coordinator for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Next to him is Pam Lawson, who is the marketing director. Next to Pam is Cat Collins, the media relations director oh, Cat of Smoky Collins. Mountain Wrestling. Cat Collins. Forgot about Cat Collins. But he was, he, never, like, he was never day-to-day with Smoky, right? He was. Oh, he was? Okay. Doing that media role deal that Dutch is talking about. Okay, I didn't realize that. I thought he was just a friend of Cornette's that helped with with radio stuff sometimes. Yeah. So I didn't realize go. he was actually like SMW. I don't know why I'm saying SMW. Smoky office. Then Sandy Scott, who is the general manager. And also on the end down here, we have Mark Curtis, who is the senior referee in attendance today. And without further ado, I would like to turn the proceedings over now to the commissioner, Bob Armstrong. Thank you very much, Dutch. It's a proud moment for me personally, as well as for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, to have the Thrill Seekers come here. You know, to come here, they vacated the tag team title in Canada. This is their first venture into the United States, and the films I've seen, I think this is going to be the hottest team to come down the pike in about the past 20 years. In other words, I think this team is good to go, Dutch. Okay, thank you very much. Now, let's go, go to the gentlemen, the Thrill Seekers. Gentlemen, your comments on coming to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Well, everybody knows Smoky Mountain Wrestling... Notice that no one has said the words Lance Storm or Chris Jericho yet. Yeah. This is not well done. <laughs> well, of course not. It's not uh, Stephen uh, Dunn and Timothy Well. Well, they feud with them later in the year, though. Is the most tag team rich promotion in the world today. Teams like the legendary Rock and Roll Express and the Heavenly Bodies. And that's why Chris and myself are happy to be here, so we can prove ourselves against the best and show the people that we are the tag team of the future. Against... That's right, Lance. You know, we're very impressed by the way that all the officials in Smoky Mountain and all the uh, referees and everybody have treated us here. And we're very excited to be coming to the promotion, you know, because we want to show everybody out there in Tennessee and all the surrounding areas wrestling thrill seeker style, you know, because we're going to go 100 miles an hour nonstop. We like to live on the edge and we're going to show everybody out there that we can do that. You know, we're going to rock Smoky Mountain wrestling and we're going to rock America. Watch out, people, because we're coming to your town. Okay, so no no event would be uh, complete without the signing. So, guys, if you put your John John Hancock's on those, and then we'll get Bob Armstrong's on it, and then we'll it'll be official. Now, Mr. Armstrong, you finalized the deal. Be happy to, Dutch. It is official right now, ladies and gentlemen. The thrill seekers are on their way officially in Smoky Mountain. Okay, fans, you saw the thrill seekers come into Smoky Mountain Wrestling soon. Don't miss them. One of the hottest teams of all time, according to experts, and that makes Smoky Mountain Wrestling the hotbed of tag team wrestling. Don't go go away. We'll be right back. Now you can have the bluegrass brawl. Smoky Mountain Wrestling's wildest event ever on home video. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, 
It's it's just it's, it's a, a interesting choice in all of this. They're making Chris and Lance seem like this real big deal. But you tell they don't even give their names. Yeah, but it's just it's hard for it's hard for me to see them working in this territory like they that they want them to work because of them being Canadian. And also that they work a Japanese junior heavyweight style. Yes. Um I forget, what was the guarantee Cornette gave them? It wasn't a thousand a week each, was it? I don't remember, oh, but I'm right. But yeah, I mean they uh they were definitely putting a lot of stuff behind them, but it just it didn't click like it should have. Yeah, and you know, like part of the deal was I guess from Jericho and Storm's side, it's like they're not Southerners. They don't have any reason to understand why that would be a big deal. Like they agreed that Cornette could get all of their gimmick money. So here's Corn- yeah. Just let, yeah, let me bad move. Well, Cornette figured, oh, I have these handsome young baby faces. Like, oh, they're letting me have all the gimmick money? Oh, this will pay for itself. But no, like, they weren't going out there and pushing the stuff. You know, Cornette felt that uh, by virtue of them not uh, fraternizing with some of the female fans who enjoyed the company of the wrestlers, that they were uh, hurting things as well. You know, what was it? It was Jericho in his book, right? That said, uh, Lance was married and I had standards or whatever the line was. Yeah, I, I, I think that it would have been better off if they were not as a tag, they were not a tag team. Um, Lance probably wouldn't have done that great, but I think Jericho would have done a lot better as a singles wrestler. Mm. I really do. Maybe. Or, like, Jericho with, like, a Southern vet, maybe. But they also, another thing about them, too, they didn't have a team that the feud with them that matched them at, the, at that time. Well, that's the thing, too, because, like, the bo- they don't have a feud with the bodies. They just have the Night of Legends thing when the bodies are full-time in WWF. But they, but they have a feud, but they don't. That's what I mean. You they know, don't have a run they, of matches. They, they had the parking lot angle, remember, where they were attacked in the parking lot? I mean, so they shoot this big angle, but they don't have the they don't have a feud feud. They only have the one match, yeah. Um, the feud that the feud that would have made sense for them would have been if Rock and Rolls would have turned. Yes. Or they turn on Rock and Roll Express. I mean, who are your heel teams that are in at this point? You have well, 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 well done's their well, fe- done. well done's their feud. Yeah. And Candido and Lee's gonna be broke up, you know, later on. The gangsters. So you don't have that few for them to play off of. Like they need it. Yeah. And the fact that they're well done coming in off of being glorified job guys on WWE. Yeah. Like, they would have been better off facing, you know, them as simply divine than as well done. Yeah. Um, It it was a bit, if you were going to do it, this was just not a good time for it, regardless. Yeah. Um, I'm pulling up Jericho's book to see if there's anything. I mean, also, like, Lance and Jericho hadn't been teaming for a while, had they? No, that's what I'm saying. I think, I think they would have been better off as singles. 
I mean, like, when was the last time they even teamed up anywhere a sudden impact or whatever before this? Uh, not much. Oh, Canada, basically. But even then, in Canada, I don't think they were teaming that much. They were. They were. We we talk about them. We've done shows about them when they're in there. So they did. Let me look. They did oh, enough. Okay. At least from what's on Cage Match. Well, I mean, they were feuding in Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling over the middleweight title around this time. And, you know, we don't have much results before that. But at least on Cage Match, which, grain of salt, the last sudden impact match we have results for is almost two years before this. But they have a history. They do. And they've been a team before. Um, but just, I forget, like, what? How did, how did they even get on Cornette's radar? Uh, they probably sent video or something. I guess I don't know. I guess, well, also don't forget, style-wise, that Jericho's been working so much in Mexico, too. Yeah. So that's another problem. Um, okay, all right. Jericho said after he got back from Germany, he wanted to get serious about working in the States. Uh, Rip Morgan had told him he was ready to break into the WWF. Um, oh, he was catching up with Lance, and Lance said he'd been talking with Cornette. Uh, slower pace, Southern style, more interviews. He got okay, so he got Cornette's number from Lance and gave him a call. I was surprised. When Jim called me back excitedly the next day, he'd already seen some of my work via an audition tape Lance had sent him, chock full of highlights of the two of us wrestling each other. You know, one of the clips featured me taking a crazy bump over the top, uh, straight to the floor that Cornette wouldn't stop raving about. When I brought up, I'd interviewed him for my college newspaper five years earlier. He laughed and then cut to the chase. I'd love to bring you and Lance in to work as a tag team. Uh, more emphasis on tag teams there. Da -da -da -da. Uh... Cornette's plan was to put us together as thrill seekers. Our gimmick was that we were more extreme than the rest of performers in Smokey. Uh, yeah, devil may care attitude, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so, yeah, it just... I mean, when, the, it, when you think about it, it's actually kind of interesting. Like, So at least Jericho's version is that it was from seeing a, just a tape of them doing all sorts of cool high spots and bumps. And I guess just figuring that with they had enough seasoning and international experience that they'd be a better fit than they were not realizing like they haven't worked anywhere. That would be that style. But this is also Cornette as another example, Cornette, not understanding his territory, yeah. you know? Yeah. So another, another example of that. All right. Uh, to continue, they showed the last few minutes of a alleged six minute draw, of the rock and rolls and the heavenly bodies from West Liberty, Kentucky. And uh, clips of Jeff Jarrett and Lex Luger plugging in the big Marietta, Georgia show. Oh, real the, the, quick. Okay. Jericho says it was eight fifty a week each. That's pretty good for that time period. Yeah. Um, now talking about the gimmicks. Uh, Cornette told us he could guarantee the 3400 to each of us monthly if uh, by keeping the proceeds from our gimmick sales. Um, he, I think he figured he could pay us a hundred bucks a match for four matches a week and make up the remaining $1,800 with thrill seeker gimmicks. It might've been possible, except I think Corny forgot that Lance and I would each have to, would have to generate 1800 a month in gimmicks each to cover the guarantee. Therefore, the thrill seekers would have to sell 3,600 
a month in merch for him to break even. So the deal put him in as much of a hole money-wise as our crappy vignettes put the Thrill Seekers in image-wise. <laughs> the vignettes definitely were interesting. I think it did them more damage than good. Roller coasters, laser tag. Yeah, it really made them look hokey, and they're supposed to be this extreme uh, team, kind of, sort of-ish. I know it's Jericho, but I love this story, even if it's not true. Potentially. Once I saw a fan give Ricky Morton a Rebel Flag license plate as a gift. As soon as she turned her back, he signed his name on it and sold it ten minutes later for twenty bucks. I believe it. <laughs> I absolutely believe it. Have no reason not to. That sounds like some shit that th- that would be done. Oh, it's all Jericho, about the money. Jericho also talks about he felt like Southern style gimmick table st- stuff hurt wrestlers mystique well because he's not from the south but look at what the motherfucker would be doing years later so Mm. yeah all right the 60 minute match was set in the marathon matches most falls in 60 minutes between the two teams for the titles it's going to be even more arduous than it sounds because ricky morton has been working on a badly injured ankle and ends up missing at least one of them yeah we just talked about yeah. And now let's go to the USWA and Jerry Lawler's legal situation, which, oh, geez, we got a lot here. <laughs> yeah. And another yet bizarre turn, the statutory rape case against longtime wrestling superstars and USWA co-owner Jerry Lawler. The man who instigated the inv- investigation against Lawler was arrested on February 15th and himself charged with rape. John Segevin, 27 years old, was jailed and held on a $20,000 bond after being charged with a forcible rape of a 15-year-old Louisville girl. Segevin was originally released, uh, was initially released on his own recognizance, but was jailed again the next day when a local district court judge ordered the bond. According to the charge, Segevin allegedly raped the girl after offering her a ride home from a church dance in Louisville on November 26th which would be exactly two weeks after the Jefferson County Grand Jury indicted Lawler on five counts, stemming from police investigation that started when Segovan went to the police and claimed a 13-year-old girl, whose younger sister of a former girlfriend, had told him she had sex with Lawler, now 44. For the same person to be charged with a similar crime, although in the case of Segovan, the charge is a forcible rape, when the underage girl, just two weeks after the publicity from the Lawler indictment hit, means either this guy is dumber than dirt or something else. Lawler from the start had largely blanked his plight, which even if he ends up winning in trial or the charges being dropped this week, will have cost him five months of the most lucrative run of his lengthy career and tens of thousands of dollars in legal bills on Segovan. Lawler claimed he was jealous of all the attention wrestlers received. According to Lawler, the girl was initially reluctant when the authorities came to her, but repeated the story she told Segovan of her and Lawler to the police, which she later claimed was under duress when she recanted her claim. A second girl, 14, who was involved in an alleged victim in additional harassing a government witness charge, initially stated she had been contacted by Lawler and urged to lie about the case, but has since changed her story. Okay. Before we keep going, let's talk about John Segovan, because I don't want to lose that thread. Okay. When it comes to his rape charges, I looked... Okay, so I mean, I'll just say this. I never finished writing this. I really need to, even if it's not going to be 
well, I guess now it'll be tied to an anniversary, I guess. I started writing it late last year, tying to when Lawler got indicted, and I just never finished it. Just a whole post, just trying to contextualize and categorize everything, what Lawler said, that where he maybe contradicted the factual record, whatever, just all sorts of different stuff, just so to have it all in one place. And one of the things I looked at was like, yeah, what happens with this Segavan rape case? And so the court records online don't go back that far, but his name just doesn't come up again in, in the Louisville papers, and he's not a registered sex offender in Kentucky. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, just, I, I find it weird that it never gets mentioned again in the paper, you know? I mean, not that yeah. that thing didn't happen all the time with people, you know, like, it's a thing we've heard about all the time, you know, like, that people get charged with crimes, it turns out they didn't do it. I'm not saying that's the case here, but still. Like, and it either doesn't get covered in the local paper when they're exonerated or it's barely covered. You know, so that's not unusual. I feel like given the circumstances, it's a little weird it doesn't come up again, given all the stuff about him and this case. Um, now... Should I save my thoughts on Segavan's involvement more broadly uh, until we get further? I think so. Laws attempting this week to get the charges dropped one more time in a hearing scheduled February 23rd, citing both girls having changed their initial stories and citing outrageous government conduct. If the charges aren't dropped this week, the case is scheduled to go to trial on April the 5th. The outrageous government conduct claim is based on with the prosecutor of the case got a warrant to search one of Lawler's attorney's offices and confiscated tapes made of the conversations Lawler had, which included a conversation with the mother of the alleged victim weeks before the indictment came down. In Lawler's statement to the police for the indictment, he claimed the tapes included an admission by the victim that the story was made up. Although in a conversation with us a few weeks ago, Lawler claimed the remarks on the tape were more ambiguous. According to Lawler, the tapes contained no evidence supporting that a crime was committed, which is what the prosecutor was looking for but didn't contain proof no crime was committed other than the mother admitting to Lawler that her daughter doesn't always tell the truth. Prosecutor Lisa Schweikert obtained the warrant just before the close of business on December 29th from, from Judge Virginia Wittenhill, who wasn't the judge presiding over the case and made the ruling for the warrant. Claiming Lawler forfeited his attorney-client privilege when it came to the tapes when he told police detectives and Schweikert about the tapes one month for the indictment. According to a major feature story in the Louisville Courier-Journal last week, a police affidavit claimed one of the girls told police that on tape Lawler had said all she had to do was lie and said this never happened and she was the key to the whole thing. However, in a letter, letter excuse me, sent to Judge Earl O'Bannon, the presiding judge in the case against Lawler, signed by both girls on January 24th, the second girl also recanted her story. Okay. Um... Real quick, by the way, like, I don't think it's ever explained why he was technically only charged with regards to one, one of the girls, not the other. Like, it does, it makes this very confusing. But, like, the letter, like you said, is supposed to be from both of them. So let's, let's go to what's, what's here, which was, a, and as we'll get into more when I give all my thoughts on this weird thing about this, what Dave has here... I used to think he had more, but I double-checked it, and he did. This This presumably all comes from the Memphis Commercial Appeal. Curiously, none of, none of the text of this letter is mentioned in the Louisville Courier-Journal, which had been covering the case extensively, so it's strange. But anyway. All right, so the letter 
sent to a banished state. And we told the first story to the detectives about doing sexual things with Jerry Lawler. That is totally not true. Then we told the truth the second time. Why is the case going, still going on? All this is doing is putting our families through stress and worry. We just want this to be over with so we can all go on with our lives. Please take this consideration. The Louisville story also had quotes from two women who were backstage regulars at the Louisville Gardens who said they began hearing rumors of the story last August, confronted the girls at the time, and the girls at the time denied the story. The alleged victim claimed she made up the story in frustration when Segovan accused her of messing around with the wrestlers. I told the detectives what I already told John. I told them on the morning of May 26, 1993, a friend of mine and I met Jerry Lawler at Louisville Gardens and went with him the days in in Sellersburg, Indiana. I told them both that that uh, the friend and I performed oral sex on Lawler. I was not telling the truth. I was afraid, and the police detectives told me they wanted me to tell them what I told John. That's why I said this, and I know what I did was wrong. We did go to the Jerry Lawler's room, though, and he did take us out to eat at Taco Bell, shopping the Value City, and back to the Louisville Gardens. Well, what a cheap, uh, cheap experience that was. <laughs> Value well, City. according to Lawler, no, he goes to Value City regardless when he's in Louisville on a regular basis because Value City had an unusually good deal on his preferred laundry detergent. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, the girl also admitted repeating to the detective stories about similar incidents with Lawler on June the 6th and June the 7th, uh, July 7th. July 7th. Incidents she said involved her, but not her friend. She said Lawler had treated her as a friend for several years and has always been nice to both her and her mother. And the girl said that she was sorry she said those things. According to the Louisville story, attorneys with experience in cases of this type said it isn't unusual for victims to recant their original story in sex crime cases. And the prosecutor's task is to convince the jury that the initial statements by the two girls sounded more like the truth and more consistent than their later recanting of the story. All right. Where do you where do we start? <laughs> I don't know, Vix. Where do you start? So according to what's in the police report, um and I think all the stuff I ha- is online in that LinkedIn that Deadspin article I did. Um it didn't happen exactly the way Lawler's saying and that it's being characterized. Um catalyst for the first girl saying something it involved Segavan, but it was that Segavan caught her at a boy's house or something and asked her like who else, well, who else have you been having sex with and she said Jerry Lawler and the other wrestler who she named who never got charged for whatever reason um, which I, I mean, I can just say it. It's in the thing. It's a uh, Bill Martin, Bill Marino, whichever. Which I forget which was the wrestling name, which was the real name. Uh, they, well, Bill Marino was the wrestling name. Right. Um. So here's the thing about the mom saying the daughter doesn't always tell the truth, according to the police interviews. Um, and these are you know these are in the report. The only thing we have an actual transcript of are the is Lawler's interview. Um, but according to the report. The mom took that into account. She heard what her daughter had to say. The other girl's name came up. The mother called the other girl's mother to try to verify, who then uh, asked her daughter about it, and she had the same story. That's a lot different from what's being stated here and what everyone heard over the years. You know? Yeah. Like, she... The mother, like... 
the mother absolutely considered the fact that this might have been a tall tale, or the idea, I should say, that this was a tall tale. It's not that she didn't. She had that concern, clearly, that it was her daughter just mouthing off and telling a the story. Piss, the piss-off Segavan. Yes. Who obviously shouldn't have been with her because he was too old. Well, Segavan wasn't with her, though. He was like well, the uh, old... No, but this is... It's him being overprotective, vaguely creepy sister's ex-boyfriend. Yeah, but again, how low was the other girl that he was the boyfriend of? That's a, that's oh, what I'm was curious. the older sister? I'm just curious about Sega Band. I don't know if that ever comes out, actually. I'm just curious about Sega Band being that he was charged with rape of a underage girl. You know, what it's, is his... It never says, I don't think, how old, the, how old the older sister is. What is his dealings with these with these underage girls, too? Sure. I mean, he's you know, not even dating the sister at the time. So, it, yeah, it, it definitely comes off weird and creepy. Yes. Yeah, there's something something going on there. Yeah. Because um, why would she be, te- why would she be, like, saying this to, like, piss him off? When girls do stuff like that, you know, sometimes it's to make je- make guys jealous. So, another way around, and vice versa, guys doing that to girls. So that again, I'm I'm just I'm curious. That's all. I'm curious about the about his his dealings and all this. Yeah. There are other things that are just weird. Like there's mentions of a letter and an affidavit. It's not clear which is which. Um. Again, like I said, the fact that it's mentioned in passing in some of the later articles, but that most of this is not in the Louisville paper is very strange to me. Um, you know, Lawler clearly tells a bunch of tall tales. Um, and then there's other stuff. So there's something I did not catch when I first got this stuff, uh, Jesus, six years ago. Um... There's that I didn't catch until uh, I was putting this together. So remember how something I uncovered was that Lawler in his impeccable handwriting wrote a very weird letter to the prosecutors. Yeah. Oh, this girl was caught having sex with a black man and committing lesbian acts in front of witnesses. Okay. Yeah. Why would he say that and think it would sway the prosecutors at all? Uh, when, according to the girls, uh, they had committed lesbian acts in front of uh, a witness named Jerry O'Neill Lawler. <laughs> yeah. Did he have access? I doubt he had any access to the police records yet. The lo- letter's not dated, so I don't know exactly when it's from, but it's like... If he had... If he did have the l- records, though, there's no reason for him to think that that would... I mean, the whole letter's insane, but still, there's no reason for him to think that would sway the prosecutors at all. And if not, like, who even would have t- told him that the two girls, and this is the only thing he attributes to the two of them as a collective, had, quote-unquote, committed lesbian acts in front of witnesses in the first place. <laughs> you know, and the, what else did he write in the letter? The other girl is currently involved in a sexual relationship with a 40-year-old neighbor who, whom she babysits for and also was caught having sex with a black man. <laughs> well, that was, uh, you know, a big I thing know, back then. It's like, it's, he's writing That's to the prosecutors, though. 
He's trying to sully their image. I know, but I, you think that's going to work with the the female prosecutor who you're going to go out in the media later and say has this agenda and all that? You think you think that's going to work? Uh, God, having sex with a black man. Well, like I said, Biggs, that was uh, that was a uh, taboo thing back then. But anyway, I mean, it's we. Uh, who knows what 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 actually went on? But that Sega van, I, I, I don't know about him. There's some sh- he's shady to shit. There's some shit going on with that guy too. Yeah. Oh, and okay. I'm refreshing my memory with some of the stuff I put. In. I really do need to finish writing and publishing this on my Substack because there is other stuff. Like, okay, if she made this up out of whole cloth to shut up John Sega van. Why had classmates heard about this going back weeks earlier before she said anything to him? Who knows? There's, I mean, and he's he's lied about stuff with this. Like he absolutely has. Um, I mean, who knows? I mean, there's that's also another thing too, where it could be one of those things where they could be trying to impress other people. I'm yes. just saying, who who yes. who knows? Who knows? But who also, knows? like, it's just. It's so rich reading some of the stuff where they're like wrestlers in the Memphis territory having carnal relations with underage girls. Well, I never. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's shit that happened. Absolutely. Look, it did. Does the, does the fact that Lawler was charged and that Bill Martin wasn't, does it make you think that he was maybe more targeted for being more high profile and more famous? Yes, of course. Because Bill, Bill, Bill Martin was like just a prelim level guy who was barely even wrestling on TV or anything. But, yeah. Like, and the fact it like maybe, I mean, I don't know if they felt they could somehow prove the Lawler stuff more, but like, yeah, if you want to say it looks like he got targeted more because he's more famous, I don't think that's necessarily incorrect, but there's still a lot more there than people. Uh, I think long thought there was, and just the whole, th- I mean, the whole thing, just regardless, just does not smell right. Yeah. Um, there was know, some and, shit going on. Yeah. And, and also, like, let's just say this too, like, and especially knowing, like, if you're not doing what he was accused of, letting those girls into his motel room to use the phone and talk or whatever is the is such a risk. Like, obviously, you know that there are other wrestlers in the territory doing these crimes. Yeah, he's playing with fire, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, don't, no don't forget, too, Lawler got various people to be witnesses and submit affidavits. Um, One of the weirdest parts is that there's an affidavit saying that the girls weren't there Um, after Lawler had already admitted that the girls were there. <laughs> Oops. I'd love to know what uh, Mark James and Dave Milliken think about all this, since they apparently <laughs> got very angry at me for uh, trying to destroy Jerry Lawler's life or whatever the hell they thought it was. Yeah. All right. Uh, on the February 14th show in Memphis, the crowd being held down to about 825 due to inclement weather. And the fact that power was out much of Memphis area during a television show. Eddie Gilbert regained the unified title from Jerry Lawler and Brian Christopher regained the USWA title from Doug Gilbert. 
on the February 14th show. Eddie put up his car against the belt, while Christopher put up his hair against the belt. On the February 19th show, in a non-title match, it'll all be Eddie Gilbert in a match where Eddie put up his mother's car. It really wasn't his mother's car, but a car used as a prop. And when Lawler won, Gilbert went to the parking lot and smashed the windshield of the car because he didn't want Lawler to have it. We're going to get into that in a minute. All right, so let's go to the TV show. TV show open with Skullbond Crush being Tony Williams. And then we get Del Rios out there with Burt Prentice, who wants him to show some personality. Let's go to the clip. Hot wrestling action will only take you so far. <laughs> Standing drop kick. Yeah, he came back. Looking mighty good, but in the end, Skullbon Crush gets the hand raise. Here comes Bert Prentice and Del Rio. Babyface Bert Prentice. I'm kind of looking forward to this. I was talking to, uh, sorry, with Bert and Del Rio's a little bit earlier, and uh, a lot of fans may not know, probably don't know, that Del Rio's is uh, quite a magician. So I see you have a deck of cards with you. I'm hoping uh, maybe oh, for a boy. demonstration there, too, Bert. You know, for two months, I've been managing Del Rio's, and since that time, he hasn't lost a match. The kid is incredible. Not only a phenomenal athlete, just a, a great human being. He loves the kids. He loves the old folks. He's a great person for the professional wrestling music. You need more like that. The only problem I got, he's still a little self-conscious of the scar. I have told the people, you know, the people love Del Rio. They believe in him. They don't care about the scar. But what I'm going to show you today, because I'm so excited about this, he is actually a world-class magician. And we had a little time, and you were so gracious enough. Yes, I want you to show him some of the... Says he's not world-class. He's, yeah. he's No, he's USWA world-class. Now, come on. Now, I want you to show some the people at home some of your, your tricks. Do it for me. Come yeah. on, you want to... Yeah. Yeah, it's just showing off. He's very good with the cards, just in terms of his just physical card tricks. You put him all out of his mouth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I got Bert all excited. I want you to come out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the stuff the boom as Bert was making as that card was cutting out of his mouth. <laughs> Something else. Let me see again. <laughs> I mean, technically speaking, isn't the usual move, though, that. Would be the other way around as far as who. Would, never mind. <laughs> All right. Oh, wait. okay. Whoa. Pull the rabbit out of your hat. <laughs> I missed that earlier. Yeah. Pull the rabbit out of your hat. He doesn't have a hat. <laughs> That's next. That's next. All right, here we go. I get ready, but watch Bert. Next. This will keep watching. Oh, okay. You. What are you doing? Now, get out of here. Now, wait a minute. Skullbond Crush. Look, come on. We've got a little demonstration going on here. You've had your match. Demonstration. Hey, on, let me tell you something. There's no such thing as magic. And I see other people are breaking fools for believing in this stupid magic act. This big shot, Mr. Strongman. You want to prove you're a magician? You want to prove to America you're a magician? Then you do it with me. 
I didn't know it was possible to have a bad fake German accent. <laughs> Meet Skovon Crush. Like, literally, just do the Germans who say nice things type voice. <laughs> it's not that hard. It doesn't have to sound authentic. It just needs to sound like that. It said he just sounds like Vito, but, like, <laughs> trying to sound foreign. Just in, in the most generic way. The Gestapo wrestling, Skovon Crush, and for all you people. Come here, big man. Over here, step forward. Step forward, come on. Now, come on. We just got a little demonstration here. And... Come here, big man. You see what this is? This is German bag of tricks. Okay? German bag of tricks. Inside the bag. Has one of those All we want to do is come out and do an illusion or two. You don't need to be out here. Look, I got surprise for you people here. I got surprise. A surprise? Go. A pair of handcuffs. Now, I want to put on you. Yes. Yes. You're talking about the handcuff escape? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, great American trick. We, we can do that great American trick, but he has his own handcuffs we do that trick with. Don't, don't worry about it. Man. No. Step aside. Do it. Do it. Hey, come on. Hey, now watch it. Come on. For you, my friend. I have another surprise right. for you. How many more surprises you gonna come up with here? Okay. Problem. Uh, okay. Okay. I have another surprise for you, my friend. I have blindfold. Now wait a minute. Blindfold. You need a blindfold. Yes. Blindfolding to, to escape from handcuffs. I Skull von Crush with the. Uh, the first, first is what German army handcuffs. Hey, everything's good, my friend. Hey, come on, everything's good, my friend. Handcuffs on tight. Let's go. Let me see you break out of it now. Yes, yes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. One more surprise. Oh, come on. This is magic wand. This is magic wand. And I want to show magic wand and how it is used in German style. Hey, come on. Hey, hey, come on, come on, Crush! What are you doing? Uh, magic wand. Skull Barn Crush first with a handcuff, then the blindfold, and then the magic wand, a club, as he smacks Del Rios and then Burt Prentice with it. Come on, Barn Crush. Out here with a, just a simple demonstration showing a couple of illusions, as Burt says. And you come up here with the... Oh. Oh, my. oh, Obviously, not me. He has the wow. spellbinder mask on. <laughs> oh, yeah. There goes Mr. Von Crush right there. Obviously, it's a mask. He's going to put on face paint. He's in as a magic trick. You ought to bring out your bag of tricks, you goofy German. What we're going to do this week in the arena is make a big, bald-headed German disappear. Yeah. 
A word from Del Rios and Bert Prentice will be back with more after this. Burt Prentice watching uh, someone using a magic wand on a young man with a bag over his head in handcuffs. <laughs> Last time you saw that happen, the magic wand said Hitachi on it. <laughs> but I'm dumb. But, I mean, that was a cool visual. Oh, of him he's taking the... the bag off and he has the mask, the spellbinder thing on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a, uh, definitely a cool little twist there. You were, I mean, in all seriousness, like, Chris is not exaggerating that Bert looked unusually uh, <laughs> excited at at, at uh, Spellbinder having the cards uh, come out of his mouth. <laughs> like, we're not being like, oh, lol, Bert is gay. Like, no, like, he really, he could not contain himself. He looked like he had no idea what to do with his hands. <laughs> yes, he was. He was extremely excited at that. Aroused, yeah. even. <laughs> Maybe I don't know, but anyway. All right, so oh, it's a PGA Tour winner, Eddie Marlin. <laughs> so yeah, so next we get Eddie Marlin, and uh, he's got a uh, demand he wants from Eddie Gilbert. So let's go to that. Does this involve a jacket? Oh, no, it's about the... That's right, we're talking about the car. Well, jackets are involved. Oh, the sandbass jacket is involved. Okay. Eddie Marlin has joined us right here. Eddie, I know there's a situation you want to get taken care of, so uh, why don't we just talk about that a little bit with the Gilberts and the jacket? That's right. I told the Gilberts to bring the jackets out and give them to me this morning or they were through. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'll bring the people up to date. A few weeks ago, Jerry Lawler won that jacket back. Right. He had the jacket... And he was proud of it, and he's got a real outstanding partner, so he presented that jacket to Brian Christopher, his partner. This was a jacket that, that was owned by Sam Bass, uh, Jerry's manager. Two of them was tag team, and the two had the jackets alike. Lawler and Brian had a match with the Moondogs. The Gilberts came and stole the jackets. And I told them to bring the jackets back today, or they was through. Well, I think time is now. Maybe it's, uh... Bring the jacket out. Time's now to bring the jackets out. I see Eddie Gilbert headed this way, as a matter of fact, and... He has one arm behind his back. I don't see the jacket. Good day, sir. Hello. Where's the so jacket? You want to see Where? something, huh? yeah. That's right, Eddie. Uh, 1994 Eddie Gilbert wearing sunglasses on a Saturday morning. I wonder why. <laughs> <sighs> I told you to bring the jackets out and give them to me this morning on TV or you were through in this area. Now, where is the jackets? Oh, that's what you meant. You meant for me to bring the jacket out here. Well, I tell you what I've got, though. Almost, almost that. I've got a picture right here of the jacket. See? This is important. This is no time to be funny. Bring the jackets. The jackets mean a whole lot to Jerry Lawler, and now they mean a lot to Brian Christopher. I want the jackets out here, and I want them out here now. Holy... Eddie is 32 and looks 20 years older. Mm, yeah. Like, that was the... That's something that, like, I don't think we talk about enough with him, that, like, when his drug problem really got out of control, he aged. Yeah. 
Like, he aged, like, 20 years from, like, 1992 to 1995. <laughs> yeah, he did. One more time, I want everyone to see this picture I have of Sam Bass with this jacket on. Right there you go. See? Right there, Sam Bass, the old drunk, standing there with that jacket on. And see, if truth be known, let me see, make sure I pull this up right. If, if truth be known, there was someone holding Sam's legs up down here, his feet propping him up there, because Sam couldn't even stand up straight, he was so drunk all the time. See? <laughs> and I just want everyone to understand something else, too, is that I have a picture that I want to show everyone, but before I do, and Lyle up there, the director, please don't show this till I get ready and Lyle. tell you. But I'll give the devil his due, Eddie Marlin. I tell you what, I'll say something positive about Jerry Lawler. He has not ever drank a beer or any alcoholic beverage. Matter of fact, he's never had alcohol in his mouth. But I have a picture, I have evidence, Dave Brown, that Sam Bass, during Jerry Lawler's younger years, tried to coax him into drinking. So now if we can show this picture that I have, Lyle, if you'll go ahead, show, look right there. See, right there you see Sam, but how old was Lawler there? About 12 years old, 13 years old or something right there? <laughs> Jerry Lawler's about 12, 13 years old right there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that's that that he mentioned that age as a coincidence. Um <laughs> Uh, audience uh, in the studio seemed to get where he was going with that too I gotta <laughs> say though like more so with the subject matter but even in general like we've seen some Eddie promos where he is not right clearly um, this is the first time I can remember seeing him on a Saturday morning where he is clearly intoxicated and he's got a wrestle lighter but like he is noticeably slurring his speech here and I say Andy's not the wrestle it's it's I think one of the saddest parts is that if this was a different era, he would have at least probably... He would have at some point, someone would have at least tried to force him into getting some help, which is not necessarily going to work because you need to get there yourself, but he would have been pushed further in the direction of getting help, I think, if he was around today. You know? And just the culture being more accepting. Anyway. What a picture this is, too. Yeah. Doesn't even look like a liquor bottle either. It's like it looks like he's giving him Sam Bass's miracle elixir. <laughs> Sam Bass, there he is with that beard, and he's going. And, and Sam oh, Bass, I knew Sam Bass real well. Either. And Sam Bass, right there in that picture, I know what he was saying. He was going, "Here you go, Jerry. Here, here's the beer for you. I want you to go up and be oh, just hey, like that right now. Eddie, give it just wait a minute. Sam Bass is not the issue out here right now. The jackets are the issue out here. And let me tell you something else." I knew you when you was a little bitty fella. Eddie was just hiding the belt under his sweatshirt the whole time. <laughs> and then just casually takes it out. Here's the thing, like, here's how great he was, that he is, like, clearly either drunk or pilled off his ass and still managing to be, like, funny Eddie Gilbert. And I thought you would grow up to maybe be the man that Jerry Lawler is today. I am. No, you want to be. You're imitating Jerry Lawler, and it's eating you alive because you're not the man that Jerry Lawler is. Yeah, and how'd you get all those pictures anyway? Those old pictures, that's what I want to know. I got those, I got those pictures 
They were in a trash dumpster. I found those pictures, all these pictures I got. I found them, and and I was going to show you evidence, and I've shown you evidence. I'm the world heavyweight champion. I have the jacket, but I'm not planning on giving them back any time. Before this show goes off the air, I'll guarantee you that. Oh, you'll be long gone. I'll tell you what's going to happen today. Right here, a little bit later, I'm going to have Jerry Law right in the ring, and I'm going to take his crown away from him. I'm going to give my van, the van back to my mother. I'm going to have the world title. Do what? Van, my mother's van. I'm, you put uh, your mother's van up? Yeah. That shows it's, what kind of fellow he is, wanting to put his mother afoot. Yeah. She has confidence in me, Eddie Marlin. She has a lot of confidence in me. She does. She does. And she knows all about this. And, and she has confidence. I'm putting the van up. I'm going to take everything he's got. I'm going to take the crown. I've got the belt. I've got the jacket. And later on this week, I'll have the Lord of the Rings ring, and I will be the king. And yes. Let me tell you something, Eddie Garrett. When, this, when we go off there, you will not have the jackets. He will bring them out today. Got to turn them in today or he's out of here. All right, he could be right about some of the other, because there is a match schedule, which we've told you about, which is going to be coming up here in just a few minutes. All right. Eddie Gilbert will be going against the king. All right, so... We had Coco Beware beating Mike Anthony next, and J.C. Ice uh, video where he's feuding with Whoopi D. They had a ladder match coming up. Upcap suspended for the Steelhead. Geez, they their first split was that early? Yeah. Because when had they debuted as a team? 92. Late 92. So they've only been a team a little over a year, and they've already had their first split. Memphis Memories video. Then we get Lawler Gilbert. Lawler won in this one Gilbert's mother's van, which Gilbert put up against all his crowns, right? And his mother knew about it. Well, Lawler went out to the parking lot. He was going to drive off in the van. Well, let's see what happens there, shall we? I'm trying to get to the right part. I mean, we, we don't need Coliseum footage, do we? I, I told you where we need to be, so. Okay, it just, it's. I don't want We're, it's tricky. The this uh, I'm doing it in QuickTime since this isn't on YouTube. So you're going it's not the backwards. Thing with Christopher. You're going backwards. Oh wait, they have a match. Okay. Yes. So wait, where am I? Am you're I going, to... going backwards. Go forwards. I know, but I'm trying. Keep to going. Keep going. Keep Here, going. No, after the match. Okay. Good lord. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um. All right. So. Let's go here, then, I guess. I guess so. Man, Lawler's out. Robbery Kevin Christian is back up. Gilbert covers Lawler. Two, look at that, Lawler hooks him one. He He got it. it. The team Lawler holds on to the crown, and he will drive away with Eddie Gilbert's mother's band. Oh, boy. Lawler gets the win. Here's the key to the band. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Eddie Gilbert can't believe what's happened. (laughs) He has just lost his mother's band. Yeah. Here's the title. Here's the key. (laughs) And here's the credit. Watch this, Eddie Gilbert. He may be going for a ride. Beth, if we can, let's follow him and follow him. I think he's going to take Ooh, a ride. There it is. What used to be your mother's van. 
Did your mother even know about I don't think your mother even knew about this, did you? I think Jerry was right. She oh, didn't look at Jerry Lawler. Look at that. Dave, you be quiet. You're, she didn't know about it, did you? Just, you have just, you have just lost your mother's uh, van. What's he doing? <laughs> He's what not that he's going to the van, Eddie. He's got the he key. He's got my mother's van. Well, it's his now. He's oh, got he the key and the title. He can't do that. Oh no, he can't. He's gonna. Oh no, he won't. Yep. Does the key fit? <laughs> it does. He's in. Hello, he can't. He can't. Right, he right, can't right. He, I think he's got a message for you. Eat your heart out, he says. <laughs> I'm right north. Well, I'm gone. Well, he's not gonna drive it long. What are you gonna tell your mom is what I wanna know. Oh, Eddie Gilbert. Looks like he, he is right. upset. Looks like he may be headed that way, Dave. Jerry Lawler is forewarned of what may happen if he comes out there. There's the king of that man. A good-looking man there, too. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, Lawler's got her ready to go there. But, uh, <laughs> he's he's probably trying to see how to crank it posing, up. Posing one more time for the camera as... Uh, I, don't, I don't really know if he's going to... Oh, look at that! What is that? What in the world? That's a fire extinguisher. He just bashed the windshield out of that thing with a fire extinguisher. What is the... Oh, my goodness, Jerry's sitting in that thing. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let's get... Let's... Let's uh, let's get Jerry checked out here. Let's go to break. Well, we, uh, we had some... Maybe that's where Beecher got the idea for blinding Schillinger in that one eye. <laughs> no schedule right here, but we're going to okay. change. I want to get Eddie Gilbert out here is what I want to do. I want to find out what in the world was going to, well, the whole thing. I mean, putting his mother's band at stake and all that sort of thing. Where is he? Here, yeah, here he comes right here. Eddie Gilbert, hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. Yeah, hot stuff with a fire extinguisher. The man wins it fair and square. You come in here, you put it on the line. He wins it fair and square. And what do you do? You try to destroy it. That's what you do. He's got the jacket. He's taking me drive my mother's van. Where is he? Nee, 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 nee. I told you, he thought he was going to be the big savior. He was going to be the king. He pulled out something, beat me. And then he goes, I try to steal my mother's van in the parking lot. Well, I stopped him. I'm a hero, Jerry Lawler. I stopped you from stealing my mother's van. You ain't driving anywhere. And now, the time we've all been waiting for. Well, I see you've at least brought the jackets back. We'll take those off your hands and make sure Eddie Marlin gets them, as a yeah. matter of fact. Okay, I, I want to make sure that Eddie gets them, too. Dave, I, I hate to let him go. A lot of sentimental value to me. This being the... Jerry Lawler's jacket. <laughs> Come on, Eddie. Come on, Eddie. Come on now. Hey, watch it. He's cutting them up. Sort of Sam Bass's jacket being cut to shreds here. Hey. By it. Hey. If, if I can't have them, no one's going to have them. If I can't have them, no one's going to have them. Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler. <laughs> oh my goodness. And by the way, the jackets are very folded up here. It looks like there's a good chance these are not the 
actual jacket. Oh, you think they're going to let him cut up the, uh, the original jacket here, Vix? It's wrestling, Chris. Who knows? It's Jerry Lawler. Brian. Brian. I'm going to say this, Eddie Gilbert. Let me tell you something. I'm going to make this short and sweet. You better... You're not going to be able to get it out of that van. But what you better do the next time you see me, Eddie Gilbert, whether it's in a parking lot or whether it's at your stinking house or whether it's in the arena, you better have you the biggest fire extinguisher you've ever seen in your life because you're going to need it, you son of a bitch. Woo! 1994? Sorry for that, I know he's upset. I'm upset. After what? Not a... That kind of stuff, that is ridiculous. That is uncalled for. Ridiculous. Just, there's no, I'm, I'm not even going to recap. You saw what happened Crazy. with the band. You saw what happened with the jacket out here. Do we have a match coming up, or do we do we need to take a break right here? I apologize. I think we got a match coming up. All right, let's do that. Fans, let's let's get back in the ring and get uh, get back to wrestling. I see Ken All Wayne right. headed toward the ring right now. Ken Wayne will be stepping in. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Lawler Lawler walked off as he said "bitch," so it wasn't audible. I mean, you could hear that he said "bitch" though. Yeah, but it wasn't audible over the, oh, straight over the mic, though. Oh, you mean to the, well, the, the studio crowd didn't react to it that much, so I'm guessing they couldn't hear it that well. But, uh, you can tell Lawler was definitely pissed, uh, and we're acting pissed there in a different way. Hmm. So it gets over the effectiveness of what just happened. Because when has any, when has ever, anyone ever said "son of a bitch" on a wrestling show in ni- as of nineteen ninety four? Saturday mornings too. Basically, probably never. Like this, literally, could be the first time anyone has ever said "son of a bitch" on a wrestling show. Yeah. Other than somebody came out with Nat to Nazareth's hair to dog, oh, which I think way, by, by, what did you use the, the theme song? By the house show lineup at the end of the show, he's already spellbinder. Now you're messing with a son of a bitch. All right. No, what so, do you think of that? That he's already being referred to as Spellbinder by the end of the show. Okay. Well, Even we're about to get into that. Actually, oh, okay. Is that on this show? There's still more? Or No, no. Okay. In the in the notes. Uh, Brian Christopher, Kim Wayne, Madge, Coco, Attack, Brian, Lawler made to save. So there you go. They're starting to hype up the March 7th card. They're going to bring in several dozen former wrestlers like in a Slamboree-type card, Memphis Memories. Terry Funk probably headed in for the first time in three years challenge all for a title with the next two months, although that's not definite. And he doesn't, if I'm not mistaken. Dirty he, does work, ba- uh, he does work Memphis Memories, though. Yeah, but he doesn't wrestle all for the title. No. Dario's is back as Spellbinder, being managed by Burr Prentice. So there's that. 
and then we have the Eddie stuff here. Even though Eddie Gilbert continues to play strong heel on television, he's registered for the Republican primary for the Office of County Clerk in Henderson County, Tennessee. The primary is on May the 3rd. And go to the torch. In a large advertisement in the recent newspaper, Gilbert wrote an open letter to the citizens of Henderson County. My experience in office management, business, administration, and public relations qualifies me for the duties of county clerk. He says he has had the opportunity to travel the world and along the way has learned to appreciate his home. There's no mention of his job as a professional wrestler. And but as we talked about in. before, he was serious about this. Oh, he was, but he comes in like, what, fourth place? Yeah. Fourth place, something like that? Yeah. He, d- he does not do well um, here. And I mean, given the state of him at the time, I mean, he was not fit for uh, being the county clerk. At the no. Oh, the Missy Hyatt's insists that she's through with wrestling, whether WF makes her an offer or not. There is talk of bringing her here in view with her ex-husband, Eddie Gilbert, which we talk about this on Patreon.com slash Trend Sheets. Well, later this month or whenever it actually comes out. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, it's February, so that's sneaking up on us, too. That'll be out soon. It'll be out next week. Yeah. So, as you listen to this show. All right, let's go to the NWF. Still around in some form or fashion in Morgan City, Louisiana, the Morgan City Municipal Auditorium on February 19th. We have so the Armstrongs. Assuming, so, you're, we're assuming this is the one that Buck Robley was involved in? If it's the, the, I, well, they're using the name. Yeah. The, the Armstrongs beat the Executioners. Scott Dusty Wool. Yeah, I said that. Dusty Wolf and Mike Lane went to a 50-minute draw. Well, you asked for it. Wendy Richter defeated Peggy Lee Leather. So here she is. She's working this show against Wendy Richter. While Bambi is in, in Japan. Yes. On the, on the same day. On the same day. That's right. JYD over Pistol Pest Watley. And Hunky Top Man over Giant Warrior. Jesus Christ. <laughs> just trying to picture what that match looks like not good five miles of bad road <laughs> alright it's time for your favorite portion of the show it's time for the Metroplex and it's time for you to swallow on some Big D as we go to February 18th as Big D Pro Wrestling presented that, that the show even... at the Ro- Rocket Fiesta Palace in Dallas, Texas where we have Terry Black and Alan Dillon beating B.A. Dalton and Broadway Danny. Not Broadway Wolf. Danny Rose? Or Wolf. I don't think. Not either <laughs> of them, no. Mad Madeline defeated Tasha Simone Love. Mascara de Fuego over Sinestro. While Barrera went over Mike Savage. Big D defeated Kit Carson. Not the uh, guy from the 1800s. Billy Joe Travis and Mr. Mr. defeated Ray Evans and Bullman Downs. And then Terry Sands won a chain match over Killer Tim Brooks by disqualification. Oh, yeah. What a, what a great way to end a chain match. I mean, I know, like, especially <laughs> in Mid-South, they had, like, they would make it clear that, like, you could have DQs and these kind of stipulation matches that in other places. And Memphis did, too, to a degree. Like, for example, like, the whole idea in Mid-South of, like, chain match or a dog collar match it's a disqualification to remove yourself from the chain and then you know when they have the buzz sawyer was it butch reed who's the one where he unhooks himself and does the bulldog with the, with the thing um Some that was that, specifically yeah. a no dq dog collar match but like by 1994 that's not really a thing that's happening anymore for a chain match to end in a dq is kind of bullshit it's wrestling. 
Yeah. I, I didn't realize Big D was still around by early 94. Oh, yes. And at this point, yeah, it's just it's the same wrestlers as everywhere else. Uh, Big, Big D was still slinging it. Well, plus plus promoter Big D, Gary Sturdivant. And do we know what Mr. Mister's deal is since Mr. Mister is the only, only other one that only wrestles in Big D? <sighs> He's taking these broken wings, brother. All right, maybe GWF. He's other, maybe he's the money guy. Who knows? GWF. Global. They ran February 20th at the Sportatorium. We have Plowboy Wilbur over Dapper Dan. Rod Price at Crybaby Buxton over Chaz and Stephen Dane. What a team that is. Iceman the, Ke- uh, <laughs> at this point, they are the Skyliners is their name, right? <laughs> I, I guess. Iceman Keith Parsons over the Angel of Death by disqualification. Mr. Jeep Swenson over John Hawk Bradshaw Layfield by disqualification. Calvin Knapp beat Alice oh the Pug, <laughs> Pug Bordeaux to win the GW Junior Heavyweight title. Wait, Calvin Knapp is a junior heavyweight? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Chaz won a hair match against Crybaby Buxton and Rod Price over Chris Adams. You know, I I I get it that with the gimmick and playing off of what they did, the movie character and stuff, why he's Francis Crybaby Buxton. But if you were a guy named Lolly Dude and you went into pro wrestling, <laughs> wouldn't you be better off just using the name Lolly Dude if that's your <laughs> real name? <laughs> I have no idea. All right, World Class Championship Wrestling. We're going to show Mount Pleasant, Texas on February 19th. What? Okay, oh, it's Ke- Kevin. Okay. Scott Puzky over the Pug, Alice Porto. Tasha Simone Love over Mad Madeline. John Hawk Bradshaw Layfield over Maniac Mike Davis. Gentleman Chris Adams over Rob Price. And then Kevin Von Erich over Black Bart, your main event. So it's it's a Chris Adams, Kevin Von Erich show. Basically. Yeah. And then we have this, Mexican Wrestling USA in front of 600 fans in Carson, California on February 19th. Had a show included Mucho Cota, Fierro, El Dandy, and Blue Demon Jr. from CMLL. How about that? Mucho Cota doing a show in America ah. in 1994. So this is this MWF that was running Compton, or is this a different promotion? Or No idea. Mexican Wrestling USA. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. Yep. Mexican Wrestling USA. Sounds like a theme park. Like a Lucha theme <laughs> park. All right, let's close out with everyone's favorite World Championship Wrestling. Either Hulk Hogan is heading to World Championship Wrestling for a series of matches of Ric Flair, or there are a lot of people that are going to wind up with egg on their face. On the Super Bowl pay-per-view, there are a couple of references to Hogan, one of which was put directly to Flair in an interview before his match with Vader where the possibility of a Flair Hogan match for the title was brought up. Flair responded by saying if it did happen, it would be the biggest event in pro wrestling history. Well, to the best of our knowledge, no contracts have been officially signed, and those close to Hogan continue to insist no deal has been made. WCW officials are clearly in the impression that not only will a Hogan-Flair match headline the Great American Bash pay-per-view in July, but they'll also headline numerous house shows during the summer, and that plans we made this week for the run, with the belief that Hogan would start appearing on television to kick things off in May. The New York Daily News, in their gossip page on February 18th, reported Hogan would receive something like $1 million per pay-per-view event, as well as percentage points on each event's gross receipts. It's also reported 
at the first Hogan Flair match will take place on WCW's huge summer pay-per-view event, which seemingly would mean the Bash show in early July. The one million plus points per show figure can be dismissed as hyperbole, since most WCW events only gross the company one to one point two million range to begin with. For Hogan to be worth that kind of figure, it's double the current number of pay per view buys. In other words, on his first show in, be worth to be worth a figure like that, WCW pay per view show would have to do the same number or more buys in the past two WF shows have done. The early Flair Hogan matches will do far more business than any other match WCW could put on, either on pay per view at the arenas. Whether it would do the kind of business of pay review as WF now does is another story, although the first match does have strong possibilities. The house show matches to do a run to be considered successful, which is big crowds, would mean WCW would have to outdraw WF consistently during the run, something that has never happened in the history of the company during any run. To sustain that business over a period of time would require both men to put the other over in a fairly clean method at different points in the national exposure matches. While there's no doubt judges from past history that Flair were cleanly put Hogan over at some point, the reverse can't be said with anything resembling certainty. And it's Hogan putting Flair over cleanly in the beginning, which is the key to the fuse longevity, because it's the one result people don't expect and will make them interested in future matches. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. Well, that was never the plan, but then the original plan was that Flair would win in the second match. And then they, well, to act, would regain the title in the second match, I should say. And that got changed to a count out, and then they've killed him off, so they have to retire him at Havoc. Mm hmm. Because there was no longevity. And Ric Flair got cucked. I mean, Ric Flair's the one that, I mean, as we said many times before on the show, Ric Flair is the reason why Hulk Hogan's in WCW. Yes. Ric Flair wanted to wrestle Hulk Hogan, he wanted to do the business. But Flair. Not thinking, probably, uh, you know, Hogan's not going to. Hogan was not going to do a job of Ric Flair. I mean, that just was not going to happen. Or do, he probably and, didn't think they were going to give Hogan this level of creative control. Yeah, there's that too. So he got cucked, basically, in the whole thing, and we saw that ended out for him. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, no one to blame but himself. You know, when it comes to those points where he had all these uh, issues with uh, how things were going because he's the one that got him in there. Huh? And, and I'm pretty sure that Ho that Flair probably thought that never thought that Hogan was going to intertwine himself with Eric Bischoff as big as he did. Probably. Because, I mean, one thing you could kind of say about Hogan and WF is he never he never used really his power to change what the plans were, so to speak, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, they did the Brett thing in 93, but, but that was Vince's idea. Wasn't it? That was Vince's idea. So you can't really put that on Hogan. Um, so now Hogan would someone had never... with a lesser ego, 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 ego have, have tried to turn that down. Maybe. Yeah, but Hogan, again, there's no track record of at this time of Hogan doing what he was about to do in WCW. No. Wielding the power that he would wield. And, you know, part of that goes to the difference between Eric Bischoff and Vince McMahon. Yeah. As far as who they were and how Hogan saw them. 
I mean, Hogan probably saw Vincent Mann as a guy who pretty much made him, so to speak. You know, Hogan had his own fame before he came back in 84, but him and Vince were like partners in a way. They were of equal standing Hmm. in Hogan's eyes. Bischoff's just this fucking Mark, (laughs) fucking Mark, uh, you know, boss who's just going to fawn over him and just become like a lap dog. Oh, he was Vern's funky after I was gone? Oh, this is going to be easy. Yeah. Now, I'm sure, and I'm sure Hogan thought that. friends, but yeah. Well, yeah, but still, that's that relationship, though. Hogan knows he could put he could, he could put it to Bischoff and get whatever he wanted. He necessarily probably he could, couldn't do that with Vince. You know? Yeah. Do you think Hogan really wanted to lose Sultan Warrior? I mean, with how he handled it, no, of course not. <laughs> but he did it because that's what Vince wanted. Mm-hmm. You know? Because he respected Vince's authority. But he didn't but he didn't respect Bischoff's authority and made Bischoff's authority his authority, basically. Yeah. And who knows how different things in WCW would have been if Kevin Sullivan didn't use the right mindset to kowtow to Hogan to get the stuff that he wanted done just because you keep Hogan happy. Yeah. You know, we, who knows how different nitro and that era WCW early nitro era WCW would have been if Sullivan didn't kowtow to Hogan's needs. We might not have got the Lucha guys in there like that or something, you know, right, at least Hogan is preoccupied with uh, his shit. Exactly. But, uh, I mean, all this stuff that we just said, I mean, the big J- July show, that's Bash at the Beach, blah, 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 blah. So we got, I mean, everything in here, none of them, the million dollars and the percentage points, we've talked about that before, uh, wasn't necessarily the million dollars. Right. And we don't have his first contract. We have his, his 98 contract. Yeah, so we don't really know all the uh, particulars there. But, yeah, it was, I mean, this was a big, no matter what, and as I said before, no matter how much I hate saying it, I mean, Hulk Hogan coming in WCW saved that company and gave them the time that they, you know, needed to get things back on track. Yes. Now, what do you make of all the wrestling scoops that uh, Linda Stasi and... AJ Benza and Michael DeWittis are getting in this era. Yeah. Um, it's all like really concentrated to this like 94 period. I guess we attribute that to AJ Benza. I would think so. I would think so. Yeah. And he's probably talking to, I, I, I'm sure Paul Heyman's got his, his hands in some of this stuff. So, you know, it's not promoting Paul Heyman and anything Paul Heyman's involved in. But Benz is probably talking to Heyman. They, they, I'm sure that, I mean, well, because. And he's Paul Benz Heyman, and Heyman. So he hears everything. And Benz and Paul Heyman probably had, I mean, definitely, I would say they probably had crossed paths over the years with Heyman being his background and PR. And, been... Yeah. And being in that circle. I'm sure they had a lot of mutuals. So, yeah. All right. 
Well, let's talk about the the big pay per view, which is a forgotten pay per view in a lot of ways. Super Brawl on February 20th from Albany, Georgia, the Civic Center. It was another one of those shows with a dreadful undercard and a strong last few matches. The show drew a full house of 7,600, of which 4217 was paid with a gate of $39,000. The group was pleased out of their bide with the turnout, and it's a group thing with the show itself, although it wasn't a unanimous opinion. Getting a lot of praise was the work of local promoter Chip Burnham. Considering there was no advance a week in because the storyline didn't allow them to advertise locally the Flair Vader match until one week before the show. They had originally decided to block up the building for a 5,500 seat capacity, except the late interest was such that they used the entire building. They also did a gimmick of giving away four free tickets to anyone who turned in a handgun, which supposedly garnered a total of 290 guns and more than 1,000 tickets. Now, that is a novel concept. Wouldn't that be nice if you had something like that today? Yeah, you know, do do some type of a gimmick like that to try to get some of these guns off the streets. Yeah, this is 1994. Yes. <laughs> Based on the response here, it appeared the buy rate was well below what WCW most favorite shows do. And preliminary reports indicated is again accurate barometer, as the early estimate is a point four five buy rate or about ninety nine thousand buys, which would be a one point one one million dollar gross. Reports indicate because of not advertising the main event in the weeks leading to the event that the advanced buys were well down from previous shows, and the expected late pickup wasn't strong enough to equal the even equal the average WCW preview in total buys. Although Jesse Ventura had stated on his hotline that he'll be back to announce the show, it was Tony Schiavone working with Bobby Heenan once again. Heenan was excellent in spots, although he even he wasn't entertaining enough to carry the first hour and a half of the show, which should be taped for medical science as a last-ditch cure for insomnia. Shivani far off from his performance at Starcade because of him constantly trying to pathetically oversell the green guys, even though the lack of crowd interest in the matches was obvious to the densest viewer. The same comments about Michael Buffer that are said at every show apply once again here. Do you think that Buffer was too, was criticized too much? No, because he doesn't do any prep and he always makes mistakes as a result. And for the money you're paying him, he should at least do five minutes of prep. <laughs> well, they about... <laughs> Yeah, but you gotta you gotta think that Buffer's probably thinking this is just a payday and I ain't gotta do shit. This isn't boxing. Boxing was his was his love and bread mm. and butter. Sure. So they're paying they're paying names and whatever. They're paying people. They're paying me this money. You know. Mm. Some people have that type of attitude on things, where you know I'm get I don't respect these guys, but they're paying me the money, so whatever. I'm gonna just do what I gotta do. The work rate in the top three matches was very strong, but the several and the underneath matches had no business being put on pay-per-view show, particularly when guys like Bagwell, Scorpio, Brad Armstrong, and others were sitting at home. And Ricky Steamboat was in a suit and tie rather than wrestling, and far too much time was devoted to most of them. Although Flair Vader got numerous votes for best match of the show, Dave thought it was way too short for a match that was on what was once again promoted as a one-match show. They devoted far too much time to a waste-of-time angle and match with Jimmy Garvin... And a match with Steve Regal and Arn Anderson that lasted twice as long as it should have. Which not only forced Vader and Flair to rush through their spots to the point they didn't have the impact they needed to, and both men eliminate other spots because time was running on the show. The six-man tag was really scheduled for about 22 minutes, and that had to be cut to 14.30 because the earlier matches took too long. And nearly 10 minutes were chopped for the main event as well. <sighs> Who's fucking timing this shit? 
Well, I mean, also, like, Arn Regal, if I remember right, is a 30-minute time limit draw, right? It went what it was supposed to go. It did not run longer than its allotted time. No, no, it's not that. It's that Dave thought it it shouldn't have been 30 minutes. Right. And he'll, I'm sure he'll get to that when we get to the, the match, but who's fucking time in this show? WCW, everybody. Now, we should explain, too, one of the main reasons this is a forgotten show. Uh, one of very few WCW pay-per-views with no home video release. Yeah, so you have that. You also have um, the fact that it's in this period of WCW where it's post-Star K, where everybody missed Flair and Vader, and then you have Spring Stampede, which is a great pay-per-view, Slamboree, which was a, a damn good pay-per-view, and then Hogan comes in. So this is like a pay-per-view that's in its own like universe when you think about it because it's this weird this yeah. weird time in wcw history yes now if i'm remembering right this is the only pay-per-view between bunkhouse stampede and the 2001 pay-per-views without a home video release right yeah i think this is the only one basically between the beginning and the end weird yeah very weird um, I never understood what the deal was there, especially since this is in the middle of the run of them doing like the sell through $10 pay-per-view home videos. Yeah. Which they didn't do for every 93 show because they didn't do what, right? Because 93, it was just Slamboree and Starcade, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Bash at the Beach, Fall Brawl, Halloween Havoc were all, were all price parental normal type home videos. And then they go back to the, you know, the budget price to, you know, sell through for Spring Stampede and Slamboree. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, you Spring Stampede and Slamboree, you had those very memorable hardcore matches and other stuff going on. And just this one Blair just... Steamboat, the... Yeah. The buck matches. This one just falls through the cracks. Of being, a, of being a show that happened. Hmm? The show opened with a really lame angle designed to go on our 900 line calls. Michael Hayes agreed to come back for this show, even though his deal with WCW had expired and he was legit injured. Although Dave's sure he didn't need to be in a wheelchair since he's scheduled to perform two concerts next month. Was wheeled out by Jimmy Garvin. Hayes and Garvin did, did the gimmick trying to sell as a fake injury. Nick Botwinkle came out and said that he had to accept that Hayes was injured while making it clear he didn't believe it and ordered Jimmy Garvin to wrestle Johnny B. Bad. Garvin claimed he was a retired airline pilot and didn't have his gear with him. Botwinkle said if he wasn't ready in 45 minutes that he and Hayes would be fined and suspended, which caused both heels to panic. Boy, does that defy logic. A guy who doesn't even wrestle is afraid of being suspended, and a guy who's in a wheelchair is afraid of a suspension. The segment was too long and largely died. Then the announcer saw the audience to call the 900 line to vote for whether or not they thought Botwinkle made the right decision. We do. I guess we need to watch this because, see, the return of Jimmy Garvin after uh, a year, year and a half. And also the first appearance of Michael Hayes on any, like, anything other than Worldwide in God knows how long. Because this remember, was explicit- WCB, separate universes. This was explicitly a worldwide storyline and feud. With them as a tag team, and then Hayes turning heel. Different universe, yes. When was the last time he had even been on TBS? He was on main event. He was like the host of main event in 93. 
when was the last time he was on TBS as a wrestler? Oh God, ninety two. As a rest, well, wrestler manager even. But yeah, ninety two. Yeah, but he was the host of main event in ninety three, going tr- you know traveling around doing all kind of shit. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because I remember listening to this on Scramble Vision. If I had any idea this had happened for the pay per view, like had had they shown any of this on main event, maybe. We'll talk about main event later. Tony. Wait a minute. Oh, for crying out loud. That's Jimmy Garvin pushing him in a wheelchair. All right. We're going to send Gene Okerlund up here to see what's going on. Gene, let's see. Yep, he's here. And Gene's making his way to see. And he's got the commissioner of WC. Now, this is not the original entrance music. This is whatever Hayes produced for WWE to dub over the Slam Jam songs, right? Mm-hmm. Right, because here he would have been using Bitch USA or I'm a free bird. What's your excuse, right? Yeah, I think he's using I'm a free bird. What's your excuse? Okay. Nick Bockwinkle, what are we? What is going on here? Well, if you keep your mouth shut, you might learn something. Excuse me, gentlemen. Do you mind telling me what's going on, Michael Hayes, uh, with a bandage, obviously now, this wrapped is, around your midsection? Free bird Jimmy Garvin <laughs> is back. What, what's going on here? Well, well, first, how so? Gene Oakland and the Freebirds together. That's just a weird deal. With and Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listen, Bockwinkle was kind of with them in the AWA, but mm. this is and, a, yeah a rare Gene Oakland Michael Hayes interaction. Now we all know about the Gene Oakland Jimmy Garvin interaction. Are, are you, you ready, ready for Survivor Series? <laughs> yes. Um, Look at Jimmy just, Garvin. We're just weeks into Commissioner Bockwinkle, too, right? I know, and just look at Jimmy Garvin here, how he looks. Looking like a Secret Service agent? Yes. He looks like Tom Ronesto. <laughs> and uh, Michael Hayes, for the record here, is uh, not yet 35. No, he's not. He's, he turns 35 in about uh, a month. That's insane. How old's Jimmy here? Oh, yeah, older than that. Jimmy's probably well because uh, Jimmy started in the early seventies at what like, as a teenager. Jimmy's probably forty. He's forty-one. Forty-one, yeah. He looks much better for his age than Michael does. Yeah, Jimmy Garvin is six years older than Michael Hayes. Think about that, folks. Of all, Mean Gene and Mister Bockwinkle, we never have got to congratulate you on your appointment. As the new director of W Commissioner, Commissioner, whatever, Correct. and what? I, you know, we always thought that you were the greatest, if not the greatest, world champion. I want you to know that from the bottom of my heart. Oh. But on the way down here, the freakish accident happened. I was coming in the building, and I slid down the stairs. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Get, you're saying one thing; he's saying something else. No, no, no I, I mean, I, he slipped on it. Fell a, down the stairs. Banana peel. You've got a banana peel. He's down the stairs. What what happened, gentlemen? All right. Well, look, this is what happened. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. And did I mention we think that you're the greatest world champion it ever was? Anyway, I got injured. I am unable to wrestle in it. Wait a minute. Do you have a doctor's release? Uh, What would you you don't believe me? Uh, That's is there any reason that I shouldn't believe you? Are you calling me a liar? Am I calling? 
I'm not calling you anything. Look, this is hurting me from the bottom of my heart. I want to get out of this chair and just wipe the mat with you. Yeah, but uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, give, the, give them the note. Give them the doctor's note. I hope you can come up with one because, gentlemen, you could be in a pickle if you don't come up with something real quick. Okay. All right, Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle. Have we... By the way, we should note the turn aired on TV the day before. <laughs> yes. So actually, yeah, if this aired on main event, if it aired the turn on main event, then, I mean, I guess main event... If you weren't watching main event right before the show and you weren't watching syndication, you had no idea any this happened. Of course, because it's WCW, everybody. Killing me, you know. I want to get in there and wipe the mat with you. I would fight him too. I'm ready to fight. I mean, I could probably go in there with one hand behind my back and beat his brains out. But I mean, I just. Hey, this is killing me because you lied when you said you were the baddest man. The only bad thing about you is your breath. All right, Commissioner Bachwink. Well, this is signed by a physician, Mr. Hayes. Easy, easy, easy now. He stuck the note Let in his bandage. Let me say that for whatever reason, you, you created some suspicion in the minds of myself and the other officials of the World Championship Wrestling. And we had our legal staff look through all of the contracts with World Championship Wrestling going back a number of years. Whether you're aware of it or not, there is a contract that is still in force for the Freebirds which constitutes both of you gentlemen, as you sit, as you stand. So since you... I'm, I'm, I'm retired. I'm retired. You're retired? <laughs> Not for long. Because what's going to take place here, since I have to accept the fact that you can't get in the ring, uh, the condition you presented yourself in, and consequently, you do not. But I will say this. Mr. Garvin, in 40 to 45 minutes, you better be ready because you're going to have to step into the ring and take his place. Wait a minute, wait, wait. Me, me. No. Me, no. Ladies and gentlemen, can you believe it? You don't seem to understand. See, I'm retired. I'm a commercial pilot. I, I don't wrestle anymore. I didn't even bring any, any gear, sir. We can find some gear for you, Jimmy Garvin. No, no, no. I don't like the looks of this. Hey. A pair of tights and a, and a pair of wrestling boots, and you're at business, pal. No, this is, this is an outrage. I think I can do that. One last word. You will either step into the ring, or both of you can be fined and suspended indefinitely. No, Ladies and gentlemen, what a bombshell. Kicking it all off here at Super Bowl. You have just heard Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle no! make a unilateral decision. He accepts the doctor's excuse for Michael PSAs. He has insisted that Freebird Jimmy Garvin get in the ring and wrestle in his place. If not, both men risk the suspension and fines. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what to tell you, but we are heating her up right away. Johnny B. Bad, stand by. Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, back to you, gentlemen. Oh, my. Well, we start off with a bang, so to speak, don't we? Close that mouth. Make a comment. I, 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 I can't believe Bachwinkle would just make a decision like that. Who does he think he is, Bill Clinton or somebody? Just to make a decision like that? Garvin is a commercial airline pilot. He, he hasn't been in the ring in a couple of years. And the force commander that when the when 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 when, when, when Mr. Uh, Hayes has a legitimate injury, <laughs> what are you saying? 
Huh? You talking to me? <laughs> what are you saying? I'm saying I don't understand Bachwinkle. He just he just comes out and makes proclamations, and everybody has to that's, abide by it. That's why he was selected as the WCW commissioner, a man of action, a man of authority, and a man who will give us another match later on. The man's retired. Jimmy Garvin does not wrestle. Let's go find one of these ham and eggers here with a T-shirt on. Put them in the ring. Same thing. Well, he's a pilot, right? Yeah, he's a pilot. He, he better put the uh, trade tables up because there's turbulence in the air at Super Brawl. Oh, he's not a stewardess. He's let's, a pilot. Let's go to our next match here at Super Brawl. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest. Has- so Dave's complaining about something they didn't say because they said find and suspended. So yeah. it's, it's not just someone who's retired and trying to fake being injured being worried about being suspended, which is what Dave's saying doesn't make sense. It's that they're also... Concerned about being fined. They don't want to lose money. That's correct. So there's nothing so there really to that. complain yeah. about here. In yeah. terms of that. Uh, what a weird little storyline this whole thing is. Though. <laughs> it's just total WCW. And then this is the end of Hayes and Garvin and WCW. Uh, Well, Hayes is done. I mean, he's not even in the contract. He just came for this one night. No, but I'm saying... We, well, Garvin... Is, but Hayes... Hayes' I mean, contract's done. We just talked about it. He's but I'm not, saying he's even had nothing employee. Left was, I'm saying there was nothing left that he had taped at Orlando or anything. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying, but he's not even an employee anymore, so crazy. All right, well, let's talk about these matches that Dave did not like. We let off with Harlem Heat beating Thunder and Lightning in 947. One of the Ken Dolls had Kane, which was uh, Stevie Ray, in a rolling reverse cradle, and Cole which was Booker T, kicked him in the head, and Kane scored the pin. TNL looked really green, and towards the end, both teams were missing spots left and right, and dud. And who's the one who's not Jeff Farmer? Oh, shit, I can't remember his name. Oh, and by the way, just for perspective, um, all of the stuff with Hayes teaming with Bad and that little mini-program was taped uh, in mid-November. Of course it was. So... This is them trying to blow off a three-month-old taping angle that just aired with someone who's leaving the company. Stupid. So basically, because they're leaving the company, they're like, oh, shit, this aired yesterday. We need we should do something tonight, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid. Now, Hayes had been working house shows, by the way, in 93, but he was not on TV. He was working, like, Crystal Chandelier shows. You know, he was doing that type of stuff. Mm. All right. Jungle Jim Steel beat the Equalizer that featured Dave Sullivan in 631 with with the Steel Trap with Death Press. Steel does a bad Ultimate Warrior gimmick. Action is bad to the second power. But the good Ultimate Warrior gimmick is inherently bad. The finishing sequence is one of of the most clumsiest high spots ever on the pay-per-view show. Negative two and a half stars. One of the most clumsiest high spots ever on a pay-per-view show? <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to try to find that. But, oh, yeah. Forget that we have DDP versus Paul Taylor after this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's watch this here. Okay. Um, Did I go back too far? Let's see. Okay. Here's a... Let's see. Where's the actual finish on this? We're getting close. Okay. So... Might as well just play it from here. Let it go. Okay. Equalizer reminds me of someone. He just looks like someone I've seen before. 
So they're setting up the Sullivan thing at this point, I guess. I uh, mean, well, wait, yeah. we know they've ta they taped the stuff at Disney already. Yeah, so they've done already taped it, yeah, but they've already taped some of it. But it's the Sherry stuff that doesn't air. So yeah. Have you ever been in Dodge City, Kansas? A foot to the face again. <laughs> no, I haven't, Tony. No reason to go there. Jim is doing well, they name a, a town after a car. It looks like rock and roll. Shoulder block. A block. Jungle Jim. He's dazed, but he is still fighting the equalizer. Look at this man come back. He picks him up. Jungle Jim. Atomic drop. Steal. Drop kick. It don't seem like either of them are running out of gas. Into the ropes. Oh! He kicked him. He clotheslined him down. Oh, Took too goodness. long. When you shoot a man in, you stand straight up. As soon as he comes out, you then you drop the backdrop and do what you're going to do. You can't wait too long now. So, how long has uh, Equalizer been wrestling, Chris? Uh, about four years at this point, but good God. He has no idea how to was... on the ropes or take an Irish whip. Oh, we're about to have some bad, bad stuff right here. I'm going to go back a few seconds, but... Uh, he has no idea how to run the ropes. He has no idea how to take an Irish whip. Yeah. Straight up. As soon as he comes out, then you drop the backdrop and do what you're going to do. You can't wait too long nowadays. Everyone's so quick. The steel trap. One, two, three. Got him. So Dave was talking about the weird Irish whip. I guess. Oh, my God. That was horrible. The of the match, Jungle Jim. So I'll say this. You can't wait too long. In a small defense of uh, one Bill Dannenhauer, and uh, maybe also a little bit Jim Steele's fault. It, what it looks like, what happened as I watch it closer, is because they kind of started it with Equalizer in the corner. He thinks that maybe Steele is trying to whip him into the opposite corner when he's trying to whip him into the ropes. Either Here's way, it's the not thing, good. Though. It's the finish, so he should know that he's supposed to go into the ropes. And you look at these two matches, and it's like, Dave's right. Why, why, are, why are these guys on this show, and why aren't your, some of your better workers not working on this show? Yeah. Oh, do we want to hear Bad. the hotline plug? Not really. Okay. It's for the damn Hayes thing. Yeah. Oh, here's Gene right, so Okerlund with Bachwinkle. And there's Ricky Steamboat in his suit. Yeah. Who's not working on this show? Who should have yeah. been working on this show? And this is probably announced that Steamboat's going to wrestle uh, the winner of the title match of Spring Stampede or some shit. Well, no, if he has to wrestle Austin first, doesn't he? So I don't remember what this is announced. Well, let's let, well, we might as well watch it then and see what he says. Because I don't, does he put it on the line against Austin? Let's see. Dragon Steamboat, ladies and gentlemen. Ricky. I know you've made it uh, public knowledge that you would like to meet whoever happens to be the WCW uh, heavyweight title holder. In talking with Ric Flair, he's promised you that opportunity. You know something? That's correct, Mean Gene. Uh, I have been approaching the, the promotion for a year now, and negotiations during that time have what? broken down, and I've had to go through a lot of red tape. But as I understand it, as of today that the winner of tonight's match, even though that Flair has gone public in stating the fact that he will give me that title shot, that even if Vader wins tonight, that I will get that title shot with either winner tonight, and tonight there will be a winner. Isn't that right, Commissioner Bachwick? Absolutely. I can only just reiterate what he's already stated and to put the authority that I have behind me 
that what he has said, regardless of who comes out as a champion, this man's track record is more than deserving. He's a former champion himself, and he does deserve the shot that I think so many people would like to see. All regardless. right. Very good. Uh, by the way, Ricky, I'm sure you're aware of the fact there is unprecedented security back in the locker room area. Vader has made it well known that if he gets a shot at Terran Flair up before this match even gets underway here in the Thunder Cage, he will do it. I don't know what you make of something like that, but I'll tell you what, the electricity is so thick back there, you could cut it with the knife. You know, I've been back there in the locker room, Mean Gene, and you are correct. It is really thick back there. Security is everywhere. All the wrestlers back there are walking around on edge every once in a while. And in the other locker room, you can hear that bull of a man, Vader, busting up chairs in locker rooms. It is just chaos back there. I know Ric Flair is just trying to set himself at ease and put his mind at tonight's match. All right, I thank you, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Mr. Bockwinkle, Commissioner of World Championship Wrestling. Right now, let's take you back to carry Michael Capetta in the ring. Ladies and gentlemen. See? So it is that. <laughs> so it's, I'm trying to remember what the role of the Austin match is, though. Because it's, I know it, I know it's framed as the winner getting the title shot. So maybe it's, he's putting it on, maybe the title shot's on the line. I don't remember exactly. But negotiations for a year and getting stonewalled? Yeah. Okay. That's what he said. Okay. <laughs> now he had also been doing a a TV program with Vader, right? Uh, he may have. Because wasn't the human cage match around this time? Probably, possibly. And by the way, the diamond doll here is not Kimberly. Uh, no, it's not. It's just one of the random diamond dolls that Paige would have. So she starts, I guess, later in the year. And Paige is just basically back in the company at this point in time. From his run in AAA and working for John and all that. Yeah, yeah, doing other things. So. This woman is pretty jacked, whoever she is. That's what I'm saying. She, yeah, she's uh, she kind of yeah gives off that vibe that she may be involved in the wrestling business, maybe, or some type of bodybuilder or something. Now, Terry Taylor also has not been wrestling on TBS, by the way, for those looking to keep score. <laughs> Terry Taylor yeah. has been wrestling and doing commentary on Worldwide. Yes, yeah, it's just such a silly promotion at this point in time and how they were doing has business. Has Dallas even been on TBS at, the, lately, by Pro the, at this point? If he has, it wasn't long. Silly. I, mean, I feel like a lot of the green guys also hadn't been on TBS as much lately. As they compared to um, 93. Yeah. All right. So. Did Terry Taylor just Terry. hit an exploder as we get to that? Terry Taylor pinned down on page in 45 when Paige missed a charge to the corner with schoolboy for the pin. It was okay early until Paige used a Cobra sleeper that only worked on the television audience. Taylor's time was perfect on everything, but it didn't make a difference here. Paige threw one of the greatest punches I've ever seen in the wrestling match towards the finish. Half a star. Hmm. Got a Terry Taylor cross arm breaker here. What is going on? He had worked. I, I'm trying to remember if he had done a Japan tour in this. I don't think he did all Japan tour in '93. No, he didn't. They're, show, they're showing this diamond doll at ringside a lot too. Well, she was uh, easy on the eyes. What can you say? She had kind of like an exotic look going on there. But anyway. All right, so next we get Johnny B. Bad beating Jimmy Garvin in 1048 with a sunset flip off the top rope. 
Garmin's semi-retirement didn't seem to change his work philosophy on, of doing as little as possible. After the match, Bad went after Hayes. Garvin attacked from behind and gave him a jawbreaker, which left Bad laying, which Hayes and Garvin called the 911. Fans are definitely left with the impression that Garvin's going to stick around, which, based on his performance and the company's track record when it comes to talent decisions, makes perfect sense. Dud. All right, we're looking at Jimmy Garvin here. Do you remember what he's the wearing his Freebirds gear? I think it's supposed to be Hayes' gear, is the storyline. Yeah. He looks in good shape. Wait, have we had the finish yet? Where is the finish? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I want to see the jaw, the jawbreaker. I mean, you can probably figure out what it is, but... That's what I'm saying. I'm curious, okay. because it would have been the first time it was used on WCW television. It would have been the first time I saw anyone use it. Okay, so here's the finish. Yeah. And he's dazed! Nice. He not know where Michael Hayes is! One, two, three! By the way, it was pretty... But I always hated the top rope sunset flip as, like, a finisher. As an opportunistic move in the right circumstance? Sure. But it's like, oh, you're going to take a, like, that's your finisher? You're going to take a bump? Well, it won a world, it won a world championship for Ronnie Garvin. Sure. mistake by Johnny B. Bad. A big mistake. Garbage not finished yet. Oh my! He's sitting back in. That was a heck of a cool looking bump. Bad wins the match. Yeah. That what means the... that means what? Michael Hayes and Jimmy, Jimmy Garvin. Hayes took his boot off. He took his cowboy boot off. Hit him in the side of the head. Happy trails. Now he's going for the DDT. No! There it Jack is! Baker. The Stone Cold Slatter! Does he just experience a 9-1-1? That's called the 9-1-1. Well, Johnny B. Bad won the match. But he certainly don't look like much of a winner to me. They did a number on him, and Michael Hayes did it without ever leaving the chair. Without even touching him. 
the heels are coming back when, as far as we can tell, everyone involved in booking this knows they're not. Yes. Huh? We very, very weird. This is for weird. This is Flair as the booker now. Huh? Well, if it's Flair, though, that means someone else is being delegated to do stuff like this. Uh, we... uh no. This was the era where Flair was more involved in the in all the booking. So, oh, at this point, he was doing more up and down the card booking than he did in 89. Yes. And okay. I'm curious. Uh, uh, well, I guess at the end of the show, we can maybe see who is in the credits. Oh, as far as wrestling operations? Yeah. So we'll see yeah. that. Well, also, the 911 is a little bit of a callback because when they had Bad Street teaming with them, his finish, yep. the second rope DDT. And not the second, not like a diving DDT. It was a, he grabbed the front face lock and then kick off the second turnbuckle. That is correct. Was the 911 DDT. Yep. Yep. But very, very weird booking. Yes. The, the match ends with the heat on two people. One person who's retired one, and had not been in the promotion for a, well over a year, like a year and a half. One who effectively was had been done with the promotion for three months and was leaving. I, I don't get this at all. And this is never blown off. No, also, because of when this was taped and what they do here with the injury angle and whatever actual injury there was or whatever, Hayes did not actually wrestle a match for WCW in 1994. No, he never got out of the chair. <laughs> this wasn't a bait and switch. He just never got out of the chair. So he wasn't well, the match, also the match wasn't either. advertised either. I know, but he wasn't faking an injury either, and so to speak, because he never got out of the chair to show you was faking an injury. Yeah, was he legit injured? Did, what did Dave say? He may have been. Dave, I mean, he may have been. Well, actually, no, wait, we know he's injured because then in, when they all go to Global, he's the manager of uh, Garvin and Gordy. Yep, so there you go. He, and then he was Hayes, it, yeah, and Hayes doesn't wrestle till the summer. There you go. There you go. All right. So next we get Lord Steven Regal pinning Arn Anderson at 2732 to keep the TV title. When Arn went for a sunset flip, Regal grabs Sir William's umbrella and sat on R for the pin. Way too long. They shaved time. So it was announced as being six seconds before the 30 minute time limit expired that the pin took place half a star. So technically, it was not a 30 minute draw, Bix. Hmm. It, it was just build this one. That's right. Thirty minute time limit. Yeah. Um, but still, like it did not go longer than was planned. The planned finish no. was for them to do something that they could present as being a few seconds short of the time limit. It's um, just Dave. Dave thought they shouldn't have went this long. Period. Yes. Oh, so also with Jimmy Garvin, his last match in this little ninety four run that he has, not in global. It's on an all-star wrestling show in Mount Airy, North Carolina, where he loses to Rob Van Dam. Okay. Random. But anyway, um, any any thoughts on the TV title match? Mm, I mean, it, I I, rem I remember the match being being uh, fine, okay. But yeah, I'm with Dave. I thought it was just too long. Well, this isn't well, a match for pay-per-view to do a 30-minute, uh, supposed to be a 30-minute draw. Was there even? I wouldn't have done was there even a storyline reason for why it was a 30-minute time limit and not a usual TV I, title time I, limit? I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember. 
not that they were. I was just going to say, not that they were ever consistent about when it was 10 versus 15 minutes anyway, but. Nasty Boys retain tag titles, getting disqualified against Cactus Jack and Max Payne at 1237. It's up to more closely approximating a major car wreck at the interstate in a pro wrestling match. It does a good job with a clumsy situation regarding Missy Hyatt, fire, but still has much worth for pre-tape worldwide appearances, by saying she was at the Mayo Clinic getting her gums repaired, which is actually the funniest line of the show. Pain opened by suplexing both nasty boys out of the wrestling boots early until he was clipped at five minutes. Jack took a cold tag and ended up taking a totally psychotic, nasty plunge bump off the apron, cracking the back of his head in the concrete, mm. which was the same bump he took against Mil Moscaros at the Clash four years earlier. He got his head run into the guardrail and came up bleeding from the mouth and somehow wound up with internal bleeding and was hospitalized after the match. This was said before and to be said again, but nobody in wrestling works any harder than people like Katniss Jack, Shoshka Kuchi, or Sabu. But it's one thing to do moves at risk injury. It's another to do moves that guarantee injury. Shivani at this point mentioned the Vader angle from last year. Talked about how Jack lost his memory. Came back. Ignoring Jack's interview saying he never lost his memory. Don't these people watch their own shows? No. Jack made a comeback in both men and DDT and tagged in Max. Who did a suplex on Brian Nobbs that looked like he could have broken his arm and his neck because of the bad landing. But only dislocated his shoulder, although it's fair he may have broken his shoulder as well, which was signed him for several weeks. Nowhere to press time about how serious the injury turned out to be or how long he'll be out of action. He had to go right to the finish. At that point, since Nas was done, and Payne put Nas in a painkiller, Fujiwara armbar, and Sags hit him with guitar for the DQ, three stars. Yeah, this is the first big match of their series of crazy shit. And it, again, it gets forgotten because of all the other crazy shit they did. And because it's more of a regular match, officially, that's then followed up by two pay-per-view street fights. Yeah. Um, I, I did locate the Nesty Plunge, which I don't think he had done anywhere in the last four years, had he? Not that I remember. But Sags, uh-oh, they pulled the mat back. Time to rearrange some furniture. Oh! Oh, my. I don't know what to say about that. You hear that? We need to see that again. No, we don't. (laughs) This 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 match is not over. I don't, I don't think he can stand. I don't think he can stand. I don't understand how he's getting up. Oh. Well, if they're hitting him in the head, they're making a mistake. He's coughing up blood. Oh. Better get him some help. Yeah, we need some help for Cactus Jack. Oh, for crying out loud. After that initial landing, Mick does not look like he's all there either. What about Heenan? You know, Heenan's, this is his second. He's never seen any of this shit before. No, this is his second big show in the company. And, I mean, he is definitely getting the WCW experience now. All right, let's let's take a look at it again, Bob. Look at this, Tony. Flat on his back the cement floor and then the head right into the rail look at that back of his head 
All right. No, 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 a horse. A horse would still be laying on the cement. Yeah, you're right. So would a gorilla. You're right. But he's back on his feet, and the people are standing here uh, in Albany, Georgia. He's not on his feet. <laughs> Good work in the truck. Even the crowd seems kind of shocked by it, too. I'm a, yeah, one woman that was yelling at you, son of a bitch. Just, yeah, I mean, it, it's like, wow. It's, it's, it's a wild thing at this point in time. You know, I mean, it's like, holy shit. So, yep, this view is just getting hot and heavy, folks. So there's that. More to come. And the crazier matches are probably a lot safer for the most part, other than maybe some of the weapon shots to the head, than that bump. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. let's, see the, let's see the... Should I pull up in real time, or should we just look at the replay of this suplex? Let's just look at the replay. replay. All right, Bobby, here's some of what went on. This is where I think he hurt his arm. Uh, I don't know how to explain this. Notice his right arm. He goes right down on it. Wow, I believe he oh. a wrist there. But the, I can't describe the action. There was so much of it. Look at this. Look at that. That was the first hit. And here's the second. I mean, that's presumably Nobbs trying to sandbag Max Payne, right? He fucked himself up in the process. Yeah. Smart move. Of all the Good guys you're going to sandbag on a suplex... It's, it's Max Payne. Peterson. <laughs> yeah. I want to he is nuts. Yes, he's nuts. Or he's Superman. No, he's nuts. Now Max Payne. Oh, and believe man. it or not, those lariats. Yes. There's the same one. Oh. Max Payne. Okay, I gotta see that. Let's see this again. No, yeah, he's nuts. Now Max Payne. Boom. And believe it or not, there's the same one. You're going over with you like it or not. He clearly likes Sags better because Sags gets a body slam. <laughs> Headbutt! I think it looks to me like Nobbs that broke his arm. He may be right. I bet he broke his arm on that last one. Uh. In the side of the head. He doesn't give a fuck. The painkiller! He's got the painkiller on! Yeah, which side did he land on that he fucked up at his uh, shoulder? On that, on that arm, and he's using the painkiller. <laughs> the painkiller. He's got the painkiller off. We may have new tag team champions right here. Oh, it's time to hear some music. He's got the guitar. disqualification the nasty wow. boys will keep the belts talk about make it or break it wow <laughs> I mean, here's the thing i mean it said even setting the clotheslines aside because those didn't look unsafe they just looked they were hard hitting yes. yeah uh Knowing their reps, I mean, Brian Nobbs is definitely someone who would be like, fuck you, and try to sandbag on a suplex. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's what happened there. And uh, like I said, of all the people to do that with, exactly. you're going to pick one of the various, like, 
NCAA heavyweight division all-stars of the mid-80s that were in pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, you're going to do it to John Tenta, too? Dr. Death? Severn? <laughs> one of them? Yeah. Oof. So, yeah. Next, we get Thunderdome. Thundercage. Thunder, Thundercage, excuse me. Whatever. Same difference. Thundercage. Sting, Brian Pillman, and Dustin Rhodes defeated Rick Rude, stunning Steve Austin, and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff in 1436 in the first Thundercage match when Pillman pinned Austin after Sting pressed Pillman and threw him into Austin. Austin was the best wrestler on the show, and it's an excellent match from start to finish. Sting with Austin twice hard into the cage. Pillman tagged in, took a hot shot in the cage, juiced, and it was hit with an e-drop off the top rope by Rude. At one point, Austin came off the top rope, and Pillman got up, caught him on a drop kick. Another big spot was Dustin going for a bulldog on Rude, but Rude blocked it and dropped Dustin on the ring post and followed it with a backward superplex. Orndorff also juiced. The highlight was also in the apron. Dustin kneed him, and he took a bump and pretty much crotched himself on the cage. After the match, Rude slammed the door on Sting's head, left him laying with a rude awakening to set their match on the next pay-per-view show. Four and a quarter stars. Oh, yeah, this was a hell of a match. Again, it's a shame it's forgotten about because it is a hell of a match. Rare uh, plain black trunks on Austin, too, for this era. No, uh, no letters, no stars, nothing. Yeah, but... Uh... And there was no real storyline for this other than that, that there were some singles feuds mixed up here. Well, that's what it is. I mean, that's what it is, basically. I mean, was Dustin feuding with Orndorff? Pretty much. Okay. And Orndorff is wearing what would become his pretty wonderful gear, the kind of golden yellow uh, trunks. Yeah. Pillman and Austin loved that uh, cutoff with the dropkick spot. Yeah, and the thing about the, you know, the cage is, a, you know, fully surrounding the whole ringside area. Yes, it's the same. It That's, is the cage that was the Thunderdome at Havoc 89. Yeah, exactly. And there's Austin getting the, with the crotch spot right there, basically, on the cage. Let's see. <laughs> yep. So. Uh, I mean, definitely an interesting thing to try with some with someone who had the knees that he had, but. But yeah, I mean, a hell of a match. I know he ends up becoming one of the three biggest stars in the history of the wrestling business. It is kind of a shame, though, that we didn't get to see what Austin would have looked like as an actual main event star in WCW. Yeah, Flair was going that direction. <laughs> but that didn't work for Hogan, brother. No. And neither did Steve Amania. <laughs> yeah. Alright, next is Thunder Cage match number two as Ric Flair beat Vader by referee stoppage in the Thunder Cage match for the WCW title with the boss as the referee in 1132. The intensity and the heat was excellent, but it was too short, and for those who bought the show hoping to see a great match or brutal cage match or Flair using his stamina, they would be disappointed. Vader was working with a staff infection in his chest, hence the new ring outfit. Yeah. Oh, oh, I He's wonder wearing... how Vader of all people got a staph infection. <laughs> yep. So yeah, he's yep. wearing some kind of shirt or under a singlet or modified singlet top here. Yeah. Flair got the early edge with a few chair shots. Vader did a flare flip into the buckles. Later splashed Flair and went for a moonsault, but when Flair moved, Vader landed on his feet. 
The spots were so rushed, it didn't get over as they should have. Harley Race continued to interfere through the cage. Vader, at one point, superplex Flair while standing on the top rope. Then Boss tried to handcuff Race to the cage because he kept interfering, but instead Boss got handcuffed to the cage, and Race got the key from Boss, and the two attacked Flair. The camera at this point was atrocious because they kept focusing on the Boss, who eventually was breaking the gimmick handcuffs instead of showing Flair getting pounded. Rick Steamboat, who was going to be early in the show twice and announced he's getting the title shot against the winner, a spring stampede to no crowd reaction at all. And Arn Anderson came out but couldn't get in. By the time the boss broke the handcuffs, cameras in the wrong spots. So not only did they miss him breaking the handcuffs, missed his cracking Vader in the knee with the nice stick. And by the time the cameras got the right shot, Flair was clumsily putting the figure four on Vader and boss signaled for the bell, even though Vader never submitted. It was a good storyline for a post-match angle, so Vader and the boss. But it would have been nice if they would have done a 15-minute match before the angle. Three and a half stars. Actually, wait, I just realized if it's on his chest, this is probably Flair lighting him up with chops and uh, Vader not taking proper care of it, right? I mean, it's possible, but there's, God, there's a lot of WCW everybody going on here. In all honesty, though, if Vader was going to work, and at least he's covered up to try to prevent spreading the staph infection to someone, he shouldn't have been working a long match in that condition. No. But, good lord. So much W C everybody going on here. Also, the boss is wearing his cap the whole match. Oh, of course. Until, well, until Vader uh, attacks him. But man, is he big. <laughs> He's the boss. All right, so and we want to see the he friends, big. right? Yeah. All right, so Bill Shaw, Bob Jew, Tony Schiavone, Craig Leathers. I, ta- I can't see him. Oh, sorry. I... My computer was getting warmer than usual on the screen share, so I was turning it off more than usual. All right. So, technical director Rick Fancher. Okay. Dan Bynum, Neil Pruitt, audio guys, uh, Pat Dixon, engineer in charge. Cam- okay, so your cameramen at this time are Jackie Crockett, Al Eastman. Friend of the fam from my family, Rick Lasseter. Yes. Oh, we have a camera woman, too, Sharon Hill. Yeah. Yeah, Ricky Lasseter, Henry Matthews, Tim Smith, and Bill Tinsley. Bob Bennett on the Steadicam. Wes, Wes oh, Bennett, Steve Bennett as the uh, Steadicam assistant. Rick Little on the crane camera. And then we have your various crane camera assistants. Woody Kears, the uh, racial discrimination lawsuit witness, Woody Kears. Woody, my boy. Mike Weber for marketing and promotion. Kepper Rogers for pre-production editing. William Bird. Bird uh, Big fan of uh, Jewish employees, William Burr. <laughs> yes. Production manager. What else do we have recognizable here? Oh, Lighting Design Services. Isn't that a different lighting company from what they normally use? Uh, maybe. Okay. Beyond Belief Productions, of course, for Pyro. Moses, Moses Williams. Williams and the Carpenters, <laughs> along with William uh, Alfaro. Security, Doug Dellinger. Uh, we got electrical generators. We have our grips. We've got catering. Andrew Jackson. Make Manette, yeah, their makeup. <laughs> so she got promoted from being the ma- a makeup artist? Yes. Yeah. All right, here we go. Wrestling operations. Bill Dundee. Bill Jenny Dundee, Ingle, Gr- though, too. No, no uh, William Crookshanks. 
Bill Dundee, Janie Engel, Greg Gagne, Mike Hamilton, Jody Hamilton, Al Rogowski, Virgil Runnels, and Grizzly Smith. You mean Mike Graham. You said Mike Hamilton. Jody Hamilton. I said Jody Hamilton. I said Mike Graham. No, you said Mike Hamilton. Uh, so yeah, Bill Dundee, Janie Engel, Greg Gagne, Mike Graham, Jody Hamilton, Ole Anderson, Dusty Grizzly. So basically the same people that was always there in that that time frame. And Gagne. Yeah. Yeah. So So we think what? Dundee is probably because the one doing a lot of the book and grunt work with Flair? Maybe. Greg. 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 Dusty's not booking. But he's part of wrestling operations. Yeah, but he's not. He has nothing. Jim Barnett, senior Senior consultant, consultant. of course. Chip Burnham. Burnham, coordinator. coordinator. Legal Beagle Gary Juster. Juster. At what point did he become the lawyer, anyway? Uh, Keith Mitchell giving himself the big letters. David David F. Crockett. Crockett Executive producer, producer, senior vice president, Eric Bischoff. Yeah. And there's the arena empty out on this one, too. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Wade Keller's thoughts, shall we? And a big surprise for WCW, the Albany Circuit Center turned away crowd. WCW officials had no way of knowing how many fans would take advantage of the thousands of tickets given away. In fact, WCW had taken off half the arena. When half the arena was filled up and there was still thousands of fans falling in, they had to open up the entire 9,000-seat arena except for a few hundred seats behind the stage and lighting equipment. And this made 2500 pay for their tickets. Well, that's a lot lower than what Dave said. A few years ago, WCW drew fewer than 500 fans for a TV tape in the same building. This time around, WCW had billboards all over town and flooded the area with radio and TV publicity. Albany has been a dry market for wrestling for a couple of years. There are reports that Ric Flair had input on certain booking aspects of this show. Well, I would hope so. He's the booker. Dark match was Marcus Bagwell and Tuco Scorpio beating the State Patrol. Bagwell and Scorpio's music did not play, which visibly upset Scorpio who almost seemed lost upon his ring interest without it. It was a better match than all but two or three on the card. Why? Why do you have these guys come out with no music? That's Scorpio's gimmick. Oh, get this. Debbie Semi failed to come to agree with Terry Gordy, who was originally slated to be Garvin in Garvin's slot at Super Brawl. Garvin apparently is legitimately a pilot, as he said. So we were, that was supposed to be Terry Gordy, Bix, at this point in time. Would that have been his first match back? I don't know if it would been his first match back, but it it's early. This uh, worked out better, I think. Uh, yes. But good lord. I Oof. mean, at this, at this point, is it possible no one knows exactly how bad off Terry is in terms of how he's recovered, but not as a wrestler and might not be all there? Well, he's probably telling people that. Okay, yeah, this would have been his first match back. Wow. He comes back for a one-off in April uh, in Global, and then uh, it becomes a regular in Global in the summer. That would have been nuts. Wow. Couldn't come to an agreement with Terry Gordy. I, I wonder if that's a cover for, oh, we realize he's severely brain damaged and probably shouldn't be wrestling. Yeah. During the show, Oakland interviewed Flair and Steamboat. During the interview, Oakland mentioned that Hulk Hogan was watching the pay-per-view and suggested a Flair-Hogan match may be in the cards. Flair said he would look forward to that match and said it would be the biggest match in wrestling. Then we talked about the, the guns for gifts. 
where you got four tickets to brawl or a music pack the day of the show from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. There are PSAs over television, radio in the store, on the front page of the Albany Herald. 300 guns were traded in and immediately melted down. They had a press conference on February 8th announcing the show. So there was that. Uh, Katniss Jack, after the bump he took at Super Bowl, had a legitimate internal injury, causing his bleeding from his mouth. Despite the urgent of some, he didn't go to the hospital, although he apparently did decide to stay over in Albany an extra night rather than drive in his condition. Max Payne suffered several major welts on his back as a result of the guitar shots he took. Brian Knobs separated his shoulder as a result of being suplexed by Payne. Despite speculation that Payne was getting even for what the Nasties did to jobbers recently in the ring and backstage, there was no sense after the match that Payne had intentionally injured Knobs. But it's safe to say very few wrestlers in WWE felt sympathy for Brian Knobs, given his popularity among the boys. Uh-huh. Well, that adds new light to this, doesn't it, Bix? Yes. So, okay, but Just, still, that also shows Knobs had not exactly been the most cooperative fella. There you go, oh, yeah. But regardless. Yeah. yeah. Jesse Ventura returns to WCW at the March 1st Saturday Night Tapings. He was back home in Minnesota, but did not plan to be a Super Bowl or the tapings this week. Staying with the torch, now we, just, we go from that to Wade's commentary. It could be the curse of too much main event caliber talent, but WCW has many wrestlers with big egos, big reputations, and big histories. To book any of them to do a job on a big show takes guts. That's a quality of which WCW's bookers have shown little of. When was the last time there was a decisive major upset in WCW? When was the last time a Rick Rude lost a big match to a Tuco Scorpio in order to bring a mid-level wrestler up to a new perceived level? It doesn't happen often. The last time anything like that happened, Scorpio and Bagwell beat the Nasty Boys, but they were quickly buried thereafter. WF short on perceived main event caliber talent has taken Yokozuna and made him a credible, albeit a freakish champion. The WF has taken virtual jobber Owen Hart and turned him into half a main event at WrestleMania. Tatanko's young independent wrestler was built up over the course of a year and is now in-house show main events against Yokozuna. W7, on the other hand, has no vertical mobility. There's a top-tier wrestler such as Rick Rude, Sting, Rick Flair, Vader, Dustin Rhodes, Steve Austin, and a few others who do not, under any circumstances, unless it's a major screw job, lose to a mid-level or lower-level wrestler. What that does is lead to an internal match, series of matches such as the six-man cage night of Super Bowl or the Sting-Austin match of Saturday night a few weeks ago, which has no short-term or long-term meaning. The WF is still getting mileage out of the one 2 3 kids victory over Razor Ramon on Monday Night Raw and Marty Jannetty in one 2 3 kids victory over the Quebecers. When fancy a match that could actually end the clean upset, they pay attention. When a promotion generates genuine emotions based on a gutsy upset, it can ride on that reputation for weeks, if not months. Instead, WCW booking has relied on a format that provides obvious finishes to matches where a low-level wrestler faces a higher-level wrestler. The only finish you'll get from the top-tier wrestlers against each other is either Babyface winning cleanly, i.e. Flair beating Vader, although not decisively, or a heel winning by cheating tactics. Although Wade would never accuse WCW of underestimating the intelligence of their customers, and WrestleFans are not as stupid as so many condescending members of this industry like to think, its customers do catch on quicker to that pattern. In fact, the intelligence level of wrestling fans attracted to a wrestling product is directly related to the level of sophistication of the product therefore being presented. The only thing worse than predictability is predictability packaged with consistently underachieving performances by the wrestlers. All Japan saves itself because it has great wrestling and a surprise finish here and there. WF saves itself by having good matches now and then and consistently booking twists and turns among their well-developed characters. 
WCW stop button continues to resemble output from a fourth grader's computer program rather than the output from a creative genius, as Dusty has been falsely labeled by some. With WCW's talent level, a few twi- if a few twists were thrown in and there was a new dedication on, on all levels to have better matches, there would be more reason to watch WCW. A good Saturday show here and there is enough to save WCW. If the long-term booking scheme stays the same. Ask yourself this. If you missed the next six months of WCW and tuned in again, would you expect you to see any major changes in the pushes of the wrestlers now there? Probably not. The biggest problem is WCW manager apparently doesn't have the background or perspective to recognize this and make changes. When I put this in the notes and I was reading this, I was like, holy shit, Wade Keller's talking about wrestling in 2024. Both talking about AEW. Yeah. Well, but and WWE has that too. I mean, but AEW, way more. And it, the person I thought of, Queen Amanada. Queen Amanada has been in, what, seven TV matches lately? Something where like she that. has showcased herself and has really caught on and, I mean, has looked really good. And she's lost all seven. And I, listen, I understand that this is a way of kind of like building her. But goddamn, I mean, at one at some point you got to piss, you know, got the pot, and give her a win against a name opponent. I know she gets wins on Ring of Honor or whatever, but she's got to get that. that Red Velvet's another one that they've done that with in the women's division lately. And I mean, we see like especially yeah. for someone who's been there for a while, they really underutilize Red Velvet. She's but gotten it, really good. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you have that, but you also have the situation where, let's say you tuned out of AEW for six months or WWE, you know, for for stretches, and then you come back six months later, and people are in the same positions. They're either sometimes in the same type of feuds or whatever. There's a lot of that in both major promotions these days that. You know, and AEW has a lot of that same slotting, you know, that they've had. I mean, so many people in the same position, same everything. And and also they, they not, uh, not capitalizing on upsets, too. And WWE, too. I mean, it's just you got to eventually pull the trigger on some new people and get them in positions where they need to be, you know, have the chance to be successful, you know? Especially people who, and Meltzer brought this up recently, like, where it gets to the point of being ridiculous, like, how many shots at titles have AR Fox and Commander gotten while having, like, their losing records plastered on the screen? Yeah, that's, I mean, AEW has had a lot of that problem, you know. Um, WWE, a lot of their stuff is like, um, the one, like, this group of guys last year, uh, Ricochet, Bronson Reed, um, Nakamura until he got the Cody feud, um, Ivar, those guys like that that were wrestling each other in various stages and they would get wins over each other, trade wins, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's that same group that's just f- fight, fighting each other, you know, all the time. You know, I mean, I... I understand that you have situations like, um, say, Judgment Day, where they're the tag champions, and 
you know, you're, you have a long-term angle that you're running, but you know, sometimes you need to shake it up. You need to have that upset or have something where, you know, they get knocked off and somebody else gets a little rub off of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm hoping that AEW is going to do that with Garcia, with Christian, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm I not st- sure if I think that I don't think I don't think he's being I, I don't think he's beating Copeland. I think there's I, I, I think it's going to be done in a way where Garcia doesn't get hurt by it. Or it's going to be set up, or maybe maybe possibly set up some type of three way, which would be kind of lazy. But I don't know. It's it's a situation where Copeland. This is a this is is that a perfect example I'm talking about. Adam Copeland should job that Daniel Garcia. Yes, he absolutely should do a clean job to him. I hope he does because we're taping this the day before the Dynamite is airs on the the 16th or the 14th, excuse me, Valentine's Day. So he needs to do the job to Daniel Garcia. We'll see if it happens. I don't know if I have faith in that. I just don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I'm reading this. I mean, it just sounds so much like wrestling today in a lot of ways. All right. This is a a situation here where we were hoping that we could have video of this stuff, but it's not on YouTube. None of this stuff we're about to talk about, which is sad. Or anywhere else that I can find. WCW wrestlers have never received as much mainstream exposure as they have in the past week, which is so funny that the time they get it, it's not available, you know, 30, 20 years later, 30 years later now. Yeah. Um, on February 15th, Sting appeared on the Arsenio Hall show due to a snafu in, in the PR to company that got Sting the booking. He was advertised on all the radio ads by the Arsenio Hall people as the current WWF heavyweight champion. I mean, he's not. Uh, At this point, he's not even a champion in WCW. uh, (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The show is up pretty well, exemplified why Arsenio's star has fallen so fast in the past few years, as he was totally unprepared. Stain came off good, and and the audience knew who he was, so it made him seem like he was somebody. Although there was nothing noteworthy about the segment. Arsenio plus Super Brawl by saying it was Super Brawl four times rather than Super Brawl four. What? <laughs> and when he asked Sting about his match, Sting just said he was in the Thunder Cage with two other guys against Rick Rude and two other guys. <laughs> eh, maybe Arsenio actually being a WCW fan is more of an urban legend then. But then how about Sting? Not even mentioning everybody in the match by name. Paul and what Orndorf. else was it? Paul Orndorff. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I wish we had this. Yeah, I definitely wish we had this. Ric Flair was on Larry King Live on February 16th in the best segment of the three. It started uh, because Dave saw about Vicky Lawrence, too, which wasn't our week. Um, it started out like it was be a disaster. Vicky Lawrence is on YouTube. Yes, we'll have that whenever we do that week. Uh, it started like it would be a disaster when Larry, who I was totally. We did do that week. I can't remember if we did or not. thought you said we did. Uh, who, no, we did uh, the week before. Oh, I thought, okay, I thought it was the week before. It's in the week after. Okay. Well, I'm checking to make sure we have it, but I don't think we have. So what's uh, the air date of Vicky Lawrence? The 21st. Okay. Uh, no. So maybe next year we'll do uh, Vicky Lawrence. <laughs> WCW people on Vicky Lawrence. But um, 
Larry was totally unprepared and bluffed his way through it. Much better than Arsenio. Ask Rick if he ever appeared on the pay-per-view show before. <laughs> All right, Rick. You ever been on one of these pay-per-views before? Thankfully, it got a lot better since the two seemed to develop a rapport when it turned out that one of the men in the 1975 plane crash that Flair was in was Bob Broggers, an ex-University of Minnesota football player that King happened to know when he was a former sports broadcaster. Well, I'll tell you how Larry knew that. Bob Bruggers played for the Miami Dolphins in the late 60s. Larry King was one of the announcers hmm. for the Dolphins. And Flair was kept on for an extra 15 minutes because the show was flooded with phone calls. When Larry asked if Flair if the outcome matches were known ahead of time, Flair said the outcomes aren't known ahead of time. When he asked if the wrestlers really tried to inflict pain, Flair said there is a large entertainment aspect, and they don't try to injure each other, but they do try to win. The callers were reverent to Flair, but also almost exclusively called out pre-1987 happenings, and most obviously were no longer fans of wrestling, but still remember Flair from when they were fans. Flair put over everyone asked about, although he, when asked about Devon Eriks, so the downfall of the family was a failure to recognize problems with chemicals that weren't dealt with. Eh, he's not lying. One call who was obviously prodding Flair, asking Flair about Bret Hart, but Flair simply said Bret was a great wrestler and a great champion. He hinted that he would wrestle Hulk Hogan later in the year and said that Vader and Ricky Steamboat were the toughest opponents he'd ever had and that his best matches were ever were against Steamboat. Flair also said the woo came from copying Jerry Lee Lewis. A caller asked Flair if house show crowds are really much smaller than years ago because he heard Bruno San Martino say that was the case. And Flair told the truth and said crowds are a lot smaller and said WCW's regrouping their house show business and eventually were promoting the major cities once again. Well, how about that? Another caller, apparently dismayed by the reverence toward Flair shown by every other caller, said that Flair was a con man and that pro wrestling takes advantage of mentally defective people. Okay. Well, it, going by social media these days, um. Yes, there are a lot of mentally defective people that claim to be wrestling fans. I mean, more or, at least they, they act, or at least they act that way. On a more serious note, though, I have heard a, a few stories lately of uh, people who either did or appeared to have mental disabilities being exploited a bit via the whole uh, sponsor racket. So like it happens, but the larger, yeah. But Bix, you got to kind of explain what, yeah, what the sponsor okay. racket is. Real quick, during the pandemic, I mean, there had already been people that would sponsor a whole indie show or whatever, maybe occasionally a match. But during the pandemic, it became more of a thing. Like I'm going to sponsor this individual wrestler, etc., because a lot of time there either weren't ticket sales or minimal ticket sales or whatever. Even as things open back to up, that kind of stuck with. And as you would expect to happen with stuff like this, a lot of it was being done more so on the women's wrestling side. So there's a lot of weird parasocial shit and stuff like that that has made the arrangement kind of weird. Like, I know, like, certainly some people I know that whether wrestlers, promoters, etc., they feel like, generally speaking, you should not have fans sponsoring individual wrestlers. 
and that really you shouldn't you shouldn't have someone that's just I am a guy sponsoring anything. At least like if you're not sponsoring a web if you're not excuse me, if you're not promoting a website, a podcast, a business, whatever, you know, you that they shouldn't do it. It shouldn't be, you know, John Q public uh presents, you know, whoever. Mary Smith, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to single out any particular women wrestlers. No, I'm just saying Mary Smith, a common name. Sure. A generic Jane name. Doe. Yeah. Jane Doe, Mary Smith. You know. Yeah. And <laughs> No, it, it's that that whole thing was so weird. So weird. And it slowed down for a couple months and now it's it, it's roaring back. Oh, that sounds delightful. And isn't it mainly basically men sponsoring women? Isn't that the main thing? That's what a lot of it is. Of course it is. I mean, Call this horny guys that want to try to get somehow get a piece of a of a, a female talent that they are, uh, you know, infatuated by or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I won't say who, because there's a lot we don't know about the situation. But there was a somewhat well known woman wrestler several months back who had been sponsored regularly by a particular guy and then all of a sudden wasn't. And he went off on social media about feeling used and whatnot by her. Yeah, I mean, there. I'm sure there are some legit things with this, which is not problematic. And there are some but... guys who are just genuinely guys with a lot of money that are doing it to help wrestlers be able to travel and get bookings and stuff too like yeah i'm not i'm not casting you know aspersions on everyone but <laughs> if you look at totality i'm pretty sure that they're if it's yeah. just a guy if it's just like if it's not oh my podcast is sponsoring them oh my website's sponsoring them my business yeah if it's just, yeah, yeah john q public sponsoring jane oh against Mary Smith, sponsored by John Doe, it's going to lead to shit yeah. like that. Yeah, it just is shady in ways. Alright, so, you want to know about WCW Main Event? Well, let's go back to the torch. Because WCW Main Event was the final push of Super Bowl, ending just as the pay-per-view began, for a change of pace, this week's TV scorecard reviews WCW Main Event instead of WCW Saturday Night. Eric Bischoff and Dusty Rhodes open from the studio desk against with a Super Bowl preview edition. Lord Steven Rigo promoted his battle against Arn Anderson. Arn won a squash as Larry Zbysko and Tony Schiavone handled the play-by-play. The five-minute highlight package of Ric Flair and Vader aired. Same what aired uh, on the pay-per-view before the Flair-Vader match. Uh, Super Bowl Control Center featured a few brief promos. Dusty predicted a tag title change. Cactus and Max Payne versus Nancy Boy's feud was recapped. At the promo with Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and Paul Orndorff, a recap of the Pillman Austin feud aired, including chicken suit clips. Orndorff and Roma defeated Thunder and Lightning. As the referee escorted Lightning to his corner from behind, Roma hit Thunder with a harmless-looking forearm to the back. Orndorff then covered Thunder for the pin. Okay, so, so before we get into the analysis, I guess this Nothing means, on Michael Hayes. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. If you don't get the syndicated shows or didn't see Worldwide or whatever... Then even if you watched main event, you you had no idea about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if they had recapped any of the like 
booked a few matches where they were teaming up on on main event before the turn. I'm not sure they did. <sighs> but at this cuz at this time like if you don't get worldwide or pro and well wait, pro at this point's TBS, right? Yes. Or maybe both. But if you don't get worldwide uh, syndication, the only time you're seeing worldwide stuff is on main event. Yes. In a recap. Uh, now, so what? I was going to say, you know, we'll get into Wade's take. It's not a great effort, but at least they're trying and actually realizing, oh wait, we have something we can leverage here before these pay per views. And then, they, well, the, it took them a while, but they finally would uh, eventually decide to start taping in the building and go live. And using it as a proper pre-show, but yeah. All right, so Wade's analysis. This was truly a lot lesser effort on part of WCW. If the purpose of this show is to get people excited about ordering pay-per-view, immediately following the end of the show, it failed miserably. The lame main event that began with referee Pee Wee Anderson counting two when Ordor's shoulders weren't near the mat and ended with a horrible Roma form did nothing but turn off viewers to the idea of watching pro wrestling matches. Dusty Rose added nothing but a few cliches and a horrible on-camera appearance. Every promo was too short, antiseptic, and rehearsed looking. The production values were weak and that the arena looked dreary and dead. The pacing was off with jumps from studio to arena with talk of the pay-per-view coming up in minutes. The only adequate element was announcing. High Wade Keller's score. Uh, match quality, 5 out of 20. Achieve purpose, 7 out of 20. Angles, 5 out of 10. Interviews, 3 out of 10. Announcing 7 out of 10. Production values, 5 out of 10. Pacing continuity, 4 out of 10. Incentive to tune in next week, 0 out of 10. So out of overall 100, they scored a 36. And Wade does drop this whole scorecard format not long after this. Sadly. (laughs) So many categories, too. So we got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, Seven, eight different categories here. Mm-hmm. Which are uh, all it's actually yeah. what? Not no, just it I don't know. I think he I think he overthought this a little bit. Okay. He's trying to trying to make it interesting. I guess. Uh, uh, Saturday night drew a strong two point eight rating on the nineteenth, while main event did a two point oh and power did a one point five that weekend. The reason Equalizer had the ring name Evad, Dave spelled backwards, Sullivan, is because they're going to say he's dyslexic. I never knew dyslexia also caused you to mess up all your spots in a wrestling match, Dave said. <laughs> TBS is scheduling a six-hour best WCW marathon this week, which will air the classic Flair Steamboat match of 1989. Thank God for this. The first the WCW R-Nighter. Oh, I watched this so much. I mean, I, I, this is one of my favorite things to watch in the mid '90s, and then the second one too. And I put them both on the same tape, eventually Wait, on an eight, eight hour, eight hour tape. Oh, you edited all the commercials out, and they fit on to an eight hour tape. Like that. Gotcha. Yeah, because there was some repeat, repeat wrestling on the second one. Oh, you first. edited and you edited out the repeat matches too. Gotcha. Exactly. Yes. But oh, I love this so much. Oh, it was great. They should have done more of this type of shit. Yeah, they do the two. And... That's it? Yeah. So it was... What's the date? As I look at the newspaper stuff here. This was... The, it's February 26th, looks like. That it... So yeah, how much notice was there even that this was airing? Not much. Maybe a week or two. 
Yeah. Michael Hayes has two concerts scheduled for Center Stage in March. Hayes offered to do the pay per view because it'd be the right thing for business, but no word if he has a future with the company. Although the pay per view show would give on the impression he does. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. All right, here you oh, go. Wait, here Chris, you go. You'll love this, by the way. Yeah. The first result here is the Elko Daily Free Press, but I'm assuming they're getting the same data from a bunch of other papers, the same place a bunch of other papers would be. Your uh, logline description for the all-nighter. Oh, wait, which also had a replay? I did not remember that. It did. It did. Uh, Clash of the Champions specials from 1988 through 1993. Featured matches include Ric Flair versus Terry Funk in a match from 1981. <laughs> if only... Yeah, they're all Japan match. They're showing a handheld. Yeah, because that was the only match they wrestled against each other in '81. How many singles matches did they even have? Period before. Uh, before what? Before '89. Oh God! I mean, in the '70s, they were wrestling each other all the fucking time. Okay. I mean, they 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 for '77, '78 into '79. They worked each other a lot. That was a, I mean, that was a top program, you know, and then they would have their own little other things, but they would go back to that. And then Flair turned Bayface in mid 79. And then they wouldn't wrestle each other again until uh, 82. Other than the Ultraman match. Hmm. Now, did they, I'm trying to remember on the air. Cause I don't think I've ever seen the entirety of the first all nighter. Cause my parents taped it for me, but they were watching a rented video during the first match, which was Flair Sting from the first Clash. So my tape picks up with the finish of Flair Sting. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I taped the full all-nighter the next year, and that had the whole match. Um, it did. Did they give the Clash theme on the first all-nighter, or was that more something on air on the second one? Because I don't uh, remember on the, the second one. Yeah, the second one when they would they showed some of the matches from the first one, but it had like a a, a, f- a fuller version. So and it was speak. supposed to be the top ten clash matches. Yeah. And they also did the weird thing where they were like, "Oh, uh, you know, number two or number three, whatever it was, Flair Steamboat from Class Six. We've seen that match on TBS so many times over the years that instead we're going to show you their match for main event last summer." Yeah, that was a weird choice. Yes. Was and the second the second the second one was the one with David Crockett, right? Yes. I believe so. And the first Yeah, one, that was great. The first one I mean, well the first one had pay per view stuff because it had Thunderdome. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what else. Uh or was that the only pay per view match? But the second one I mean the second one was with David Crockett was so great because they showed the studio stuff. And it was just a couple. Of, it was just you know promos from Flair. Right. They showed the Flair Magnum thing. They showed some yeah, gorilla uh, stuff with Dusty. I mean, this stuff you hadn't, it hadn't been on the air in ten years. Yeah. Okay. So here here's your listing. So WCW All Nighter One, uh, hosted by Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heaton, Gene Okerlund, Chris Cruz, Gordon Zoli, Eric Bischoff, and Larry Zbysko, allegedly from Tony's house. <laughs> yes. Flair Sting from Clash One. Flyer Steamboat from Clash 6. So yeah, there you've got like the first two plus hours of the of the special covered there. Luger Flair from Clash 10. Flyer Funk from Clash 9. Flair and Sting versus Muda and Funk from Havoc 89. Why didn't they just show flip those? 
I don't know. Uh, Flair and Wyndham against the Ben Knights from Clash 4. Douglas and Steamboat against Pillman and Austin from Clash 22. Austin Pillman from uh, Clash 25. Road Warriors, Smo and Swat team from Clash 8. Enforcers versus Dustin and Steamboat from Clash 17. And Cactus Jack versus Van Hammer from... It says Clash 17, but wasn't it the one from Clash 18? It's the one where the Missy got dumped in yeah. the tank. Yes. Yeah, that's Clash 18. Okay, so Wikipedia is... Well, whatever. Um, Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer, reviewed all the spe- first special favorably, writing, All the announcers were pretty funny, and the matches, most shown in their entirety, were mainly classics. Uh, 1.2 Nielsen rating. Impressed TBS enough to consider making an annual event. Um, then the second one, which is the one that was... Uh, on, on both WWE Classics and then later on the network, hosted by... So yeah, they were both in less than a year, because the, the second one's January 21st. Shivani, Heenan, Zabisco, Oakland, Soli, Dusty at the Omni Hotel. Um, so you had uh, Austin Steamboat from the previous August Clash, Vader Davy Boy from Clash 24... Vader Dustin from Clash 29. This is counting down, allegedly, the 10 best Clash matches. Hogan Flair from Clash 28. Austin Pillman from Clash 25. Enforcers Dustin and Steamboat. What I said earlier about the whole Flair-Steamboat thing where they didn't show the same match. Uh, Arn and Tully versus Sting and Dusty from Clash 2. Flair Funk and Flair Sting. And then also they showed the Gladiators versus the Malkies. Yeah. Um... They showed, oh yeah, they showed Hogan Flair from Havoc, and uh, they yeah. also showed clips of Flair and Wyndham against Gilbert and Steamboat. Oh, and yeah. uh, St- and Steiner's Road Warriors from Starcade too, and and Luger uh, Sting from Super Brawl. So, yeah, more pay per view matches on the one that had the Clash Best of the Clash theme. Yeah, so there you go, WWE All Nighter, good shit. They, 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 it sucks that they didn't keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Especially for does. something that's so cheap to make and with the history of how well showing older stuff did in the ratings. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the stupid shit WCB is doing here. <laughs> On the Worldwide Show, they had the day for the pay-per-view. In most markets, the event center segment saw Oakland trying to get viewers to call in to see the show tonight. And they had interviews airing, plugging a Steve Regal, Davey Boy Smith match for Super Brawl. Where a Smith won, he'd get five minutes with Sir William. If they're going to take months in advance, the least they could do is have someone edit those months' old shows to make sure things like that don't sneak through. Holy shit. Why is that something you would do? It did, wait, when did, when would, and where would Oakland have taped that event center? That wouldn't have been in at Atlanta. Disney, but what? No. It's probably something they had in the can and it, it just got in there and. You know, and slipped. Why would you do that months in advance? Davey hasn't been in the company in two months. WCW, everybody. I mean, it's all you can say. It's a WCW everybody moment. It's what the fuck they did. Happened way too much. From it, and then they're they're the wrong thing later in the year. Of course, of course, of course. Actually, yeah. Let me check. When was his last match of this run in WCW? Okay, he works. He worked indie dates for Anvil Promotions. Yes, it's who you think it is. After he quit WCW. Okay, his last matches were at the uh, November 30th 
center stage taping. So yeah, he's been gone for two and a half months because he quit within a couple weeks of that. Also, why, uh, what would have been the reason to renew the feud with Regal? Who knows? All right. WCP is running 17 dates a month the next three months, which is a far cry from the 45 plus shows per month they were doing months ago. This is under uh, Zan Breslov, who just arrived. Sid Vicious' return was brought up and nearly unanimously vetoed. Sid's lawyers are attempting to get a change of venue from Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, in the lawsuit filed by Arn Anderson. I forgot that Arn sued. Yeah. Marcus Bagwell signed a new contract, presumably for a figure of around $125,000 a year. Torch said that Bobby Eaton and Steve Kern are slated to debut as a tag team called the Fabulous Express, combining each of their famous team names of the past, the Midnight Express and the Fabulous Ones. Do we know why they don't become the Fabulous Express? Why they're just Bad Attitude? I thought Bad Attitude was a better name. With the uh, Fabs uh, inspired gear. I like the Bad Attitude name better, personally. Also, Kern with the hair loss and not really trying to embrace it the right way has aged him so much that I think trying to bill him as a Fab would not have Yeah come off great no it worked out better and he, it they worked have a out fun better. little run you know it's nothing special but they have some good matches Kern has that really good tv match with sting that's kind yeah. of random later in the year no yeah. and this also is uh after Kern taped matches as the gator man or whatever doing a kind of he wasn't doing skinner but he was doing something in between kind of like himself and skinner at the Disney tapings that never aired. There's mm-hmm. another thing that never aired, but there were photos of it in the Japanese magazines. And WCW scheduled to return to the Omni on April 24th. And as an April 2nd show in St. Martin's in the Netherlands Antilles, they'll promote the grand opening of Ric Flair's gym. He's opening there at the same time. Does that show happen? If it does, we don't have results, but they don't, they're not in the Omni. I'll tell you that. So. They're at the Omni for like over two years, aren't they? Yeah. So, and that that uh, definitely doesn't happen. That gym eventually gets destroyed in a hurricane, uh, and Ric Flair did not have insurance on it. Shocking, I know. All right, well that is it for this week. Next week on Between the Sheets, get ready. Oh no, we got back to the year two thousand, where in the World Wrestling Federation they have Raw at the Georgia Dome. So we'll have that. Plus, um, No Way Out. We'll talk about that as well. Featuring uh, the quote-unquote retirement of Mick Foley. Have you put these on the Google Drive yet? If I want to look as you're reading? Yeah, or... Looks uh, like you have not yet, actually. Well, I thought I did. But anyway, so there. So there's Rock the Georgia Dome, No Way Out, other, other stuff going on, including some interesting notes about Triple H. And uh, what's going on with him behind the scenes. In the Indies, we got uh, XPW running uh, a couple of interesting shows where Shane Douglas appeared at. We'll have the Memphis Wrestling Wars going on. We'll talk about that, including uh, Barry Blaustein appearing on one of the shows. Perfect timing. Um, We got a wrestling promoter appearing on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? The Super 8 in ECWA, so we'll have news on that. 
ECW taping TV and uh, Sabu drama. So we'll have that. Um, an interesting story that we got to be careful with when we cover on the show. But uh, Jim Thompson gets arrested in in Michigan. ML Curley. Yeah, I mean, there there have been a surprising number of people who asked about like doing a Patreon show about that, and there's no way we could do a Patreon show. But at least now uh, we'll be we'll be talking about it for those who have wanted us to talk about ML Curley being. <laughs> Arrested for being possibly one of the most prolific child molesters in human history. Yeah. Mil Mascaris is running for political office and pissed off at, at Gong in Japan magazine at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, let me guess. They released a magazine with like a special edition with his foot picture on it, and he was complaining that they were bootleggers trying to make money off of his good name. No. Really? Okay. That's not that's what I would have expected from uh from him, no. but Pedro Aguayo returns to Reno, Mexico for the first time in seven years. We'll talk about that. Uh, we have uh, a big rings show featuring Dan Henderson. So we'll talk about that as uh, it's a major deal with Yoshi Tamara on this show as well. Well, it's a, the King of Kings. Say it's a show. It's 2000. It's a card. It's King of Kings. Yes. Yes. King of Kings 2000. Uh, we got all kind of other indie scum news in Japan, of course. We have uh, Anita Pro and FMW has a woman winning the men's championship. Big Japan forges their deal with CZW. So we'll have that. Uh, the beginning of the end of uh, the original <laughs> Warriors of Big Japan. Um, we have the latest on the Riki Doze Memorial Show in New Japan, Triple Crown title change in all Japan, plus uh, an update on a possible split in the promotion, and then World Championship Wrestling, where we have all kinds of uncertainty as this is the time period where we got the uh, Kevin Sullivan, Terry Taylor booking deal with Brad Siegel, and people are upset, don't know what's going on, Hulk Hogan is doing his thing. It's just a lot of insanity. So we'll have all kind of news on that. Sting is not uh, being well-received by not just uh, the boys, but also USA Today buries his acting in a movie he did and all kinds of other crap, including uh, <laughs> what would it take to get Eric Bischoff to return and why is W7 Magazine talking about Ahmed Johnson? All that more next week on Between the Sheets. No guest, I'm guessing, due to page count but ten, or whatever. Yes. How many yeah, pages? No guest next week. Uh, 39. Well, at least we're going to be done with most of the Patreon show by then. <laughs> well, it's a you know, nice little chunk of results as yeah. well. So well, also, when we were planning out. out when to record the Patreon show, I forgot we're in a leap year. Yeah, we are in a leap year. But, I mean, we want to have it done by then. But still. Yeah. Um, also, wait, King of Kings is oh it's that i forgot about this the king of kings tournaments they end in the following year so okay, this is the finals of king of kings 99 yeah so big deal this is when it becomes a like i think this is maybe even the first tournament because this is when they really transition into being an mma promotion yeah yeah they had one of the best pro wrestling matches of the year in 98 so, this King of Kings 99, in you know, starting in October, is 
really when things shift. Yep. All right. Well, Bix, uh, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris and so long from the peach state of Georgia. Uh-huh. 